What's up, you apostate heathen assholes? It's the Gaming Memories Podcast, and we're back. You know the shtick. You know the drill. My thing is to invite creative and interesting people on the podcast and ask them about their favorite gaming memories growing up. On this episode of the podcast, I got a motherfucking Chris and a motherfucking Dan coming down in the joint. Chris and Dan are the host duo of Drumroll Please. The Stone Age motherfucking gamer podcast, StoneAgeGamer.com. Check it out. They got all your retro console shit covered. You need adapters, you need to go, go you need to go to RFID, to antenna, or to component cable, or to HDMI, or to upscalers, or memory cards, or whatever it is that you need, being an old asshole like myself into retro shit, because we're just these fucking old man video games these days. Kids don't get it. And all oh, this is sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's actually cool. I wish video g- games were more sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You should play Brutal Legend. That's some sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Not a lot of sex, but definitely some drugs and rock and roll. I don't know what the fuck I'm saying. The point being, Stone Age Gamer is dope. Chris and Dan are extra dope. They uh, It might be a little confusing if you go to StoneAgeGamer.com, click on podcast. It's going to take you to another website called GeekCade.com. I will let you listen to the episode to get the juicy details behind that story. But the Stone Age Gamer podcast is actually on a different website called geekcade.com. Geekcade.com is a website that's full of a bunch of geek shit. Whatever you're into, if it's geeky, they got content for you. Chris and Dan also are parts or excuse me, are hosts of two other podcasts that are on geekcade.com that are really dope. Chris is involved with the uh, Waveback. Is it either Wayback or Waveback? Pretty sure it's Waveback because Wave, like a music wave file. Yeah, it's Waveback. Waveback is a video game music-themed podcast where they, him and his uh, other, other guests and hosts essentially talk about video game soundtracks, theme songs, sound designs, etc. In fact, I've been playing Control. Uh, it came out on Steam like two days ago, the Ultimate Edition. I played it on PS4. It's awesome. I love the world. I love the lore. One of the coolest lore and world-building video games ever. I love the game. I'm actually wearing a Control t-shirt right now because I'm a motherfucking G. Anyway, I- I'm playing it on my on my nice studio setup with my nice monitors, my whole recording setup. And the sound design and the music is fucking top-notch. That game got a lot of buzz. Got Game of the Year, I think, two years ago. But no one talked about the goddamn soundtrack. People don't care about soundtracks. Well, if you aren't a heathen and if you are an actual man of culture a woman of culture you don't take things for granted and you understand how important fucking music is and sound design and video games then the Waveback podcast is right up your alley now dan is also the host of another podcast that i'm going to talk some major shit right now it is one of the greatest fucking ideas i've ever heard for a podcast ever and he, he says in the this episode of the podcast you'll hear him talk about how he stopped this idea he gave up on this idea like a bitch and the only reason i'm pissed is because i love the idea so much and makes my heart hurt that he stops and what makes me even more angry is i'm trying to find the motherfucking name of the podcast and trying to find a link on the goddamn geek kid mother fucking website and i can't find it they must have taken it down because or it's like buried it's not on the main menu anymore here's the thing the idea for the podcast is gold and every one of you listening should i'm gonna put the the social and the eat like all the contact shit and promotional shit in the podcast description find dan on instagram or twitter or whatever and freaking flood his 
DMs with the biggest, juiciest, most rancid dick pics you can ever do to try to motivate him to doing this podcast again. You ready for this idea? He did a podcast that pairs beers with video games. You know those assholes that are like, oh, this, I can taste the orange pills and the rolling hills of Florence, Italy, and the grain and the aged hickory barrel on this wine. And on top of that is that it, 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 it pairs very nice with this East, Eastern European monster cheese. The two together are like a concophony symphony of beauty on my mother fucking taste buds. Yeah, you know those people? Well, they're not full of shit. I actually do think that they can taste all that shit. They go deep, they go deep. But I'm not into monster cheese, and I'm not into wine. But you know what I'm into? Fucking beer and video games. And he had a podcast that pairs beer with video games and now i can't find it on the website so dm him send your juicy johnson dick pics and tell him to fix that shit because it's awesome and he'll, and uh yeah basically chris and dan are super badasses i had a absolute absolute blast on the podcast talking with them they know their shit they're both super ogs they've both written a bunch of shit for different video game websites. They've both been on a bunch of different video game podcasts. They've played a lot of games. We talked a lot about early childhood, which was the Atari 2600, and the ColecoVision, or ColecoVision, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Great time with them. I will put all the applicable podcast links in the description to their individual social profiles and their individual podcasts. StoneAgeGamer.com, StoneAgeGamerPodcast, GeekCade.com, the Waveback Podcast, and the unnamed, unfindable, genius Elon Musk of a podcast beers and video games i i will update the podcast description with that link once i find out what it is i just can't find it handy i don't want to re-record all this shit because i'm lazy i don't want to redo this stupid goddamn intro i love all of you remember to worship the gaming god spread the good news of the gaming gospel stone age gamer chris and dan i say these things in the name of me the father kojimi the son and karmic the holy ghost amen All right, so Danny, I know you from uh, the Retro Game Mafia group. Seen some of yeah. your posts, um, and then uh, I, had, I know a little bit about you. I checked out Geekade. I'm, I'm assuming you guys are both involved with that site. Yes, uh, I'm. I am one of the co-founders. Uh, me and two friends uh, co-founded the website, and I almost immediately said I want to do a podcast with Dan because Dan and I worked together on an ancient website uh called the geek writers that we we worked on for a while i love we that just name. wrote about stuff geek right isn't that a good I name it too Fuck, it was man. a good name yeah it's just it was it started as a tumblr thing and like i can't i can't speak for chris on it but like i got way too distracted by porn on tumblr it was like <laughs> fuck i can't like, i can't focus on writing. i know i know that's a thing like i know tumblr porn is a thing i've never i've never gone down the porn rabbit hole there but i have heard people oh, talk goodness. about it it used to, well, it, like, and it's not there anymore. So, like, we could reboot the Geek Writers and be totally focused because they took away all the not safe for work content. But <laughs> sweet. So, you guys originally started with the uh, Geek Raiders, which it's awesome. One, the Raiders, the team, if people who are fans, and there's also a really cool music duo. Um, I'm like, I nerd about a music duo called the Bag Raiders, and they're awesome. So Geek Raiders. See, Geek Raiders is way better. We were Geek Writers, but no, you. I like, I like your oh, idea. Oh, I better. heard it wrong. Geek Writers. Either is it way. Still- it, it's all good. Uh, is it still up? I can't find it. Geek Writers. No, it's... Oh, God, no. no. It's, no, it's, it's been it's, down for 
for years and years. Like once, once the uh, the geek aid thing, um, like once Chris and a couple other people started that, they were like, "Do you want to? You know, do you want to do this podcast and whatever?" It's like, yeah, sure. Like I'll totally jump in. And then I was like, "Can I write about like wrestling and beer and kung fu and like all this other <laughs> ridiculous silly shit for geek aid?" And they were like, "Yeah." Absolutely. So, I was, all right, cool. I'm not going to pay for the geek writers anymore. Um, I'll just let you guys pay for shit, and I'll write. Awesome. That that, that is pretty much how it went. Dan Dan wrote about wrestling every week <laughs> for a couple of years. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. <laughs> I I wrote about video game stuff all the time. I did a short lived YouTube series where I like pulled out weird random stuff in my collection and nerded out about it for a little while, and you know, did this podcast and. And things kind of expanded from there. Uh, yeah, I'll say things expanded from there, and then we'll, we'll we can continue to <laughs> detail that as time goes because we're in very different places now. Yeah, I uh, so just to give people um, the site is Geek Cade, which my name is Cade by the way, so I also like that name. Nice. <laughs> I always uh, thought it would be cool to spell arcade with a K because my name is Cade with a K, and I always like had this weird mystical thought they're like i must be destined to love video games because my name is like arcade arcade just grasping for straws to justify gaming all the time you guys i was on i was trying to figure out what podcast you guys do but under your on your website geekade.com you have one two three four five six seven eight podcasts can you give people a breakdown <laughs> what those are about which ones you're involved with all right, I'll, I'll I'll field this one. Um, the ones that we're in, the ones that Dan and I do, uh, Dan and I together do the Stone Age Gamer podcast, which is funny because so we started at Geekade, and Dean, one of my partners uh, that started the site, said, "I want to do a video game podcast, and I want you to be on it, and we're going to call it Stone Age Gamer." I'm like, "That's a neat name. Sounds vaguely familiar." I'm sure he did his due diligence, and it's just a thing. So <laughs> we record for a little while, and 13 episodes in. It, I, I can't get this out of my head. Like, I feel like I've heard Stone Age Gamer before. So I decide I'm just going to do a Google search myself. And lo and behold, there is a rather large and popular website called StoneAgeGamer.com, oh. which we have now stolen their name. So I reached out to them and said, Hi, we are a tiny website. We are 13 episodes into a podcast that, and we accidentally stole your name, not realizing you existed. And uh, we had a really funny back and forth, and they listened to the show and said, ah, heck with it, you should be our official podcast. So we are the official podcast with StoneAgeGamer.com. Uh, <laughs> wow! <laughs> I now work for this site. Um, I don't really write for Geekade anymore, because Geekade was our thing, and we've made exactly zero dollars <laughs> doing any of that stuff. Uh, but Stone Age Gamer pays me to write their blog for them. So I write for Stone Age Gamer every week. I run their social media accounts. Uh, I handle some marketing stuff. And it all comes from the mistaken accidentally stealing their name for a podcast, which is, it's been uh, pretty great for us. Uh, Dan, uh, we have an editor for our show. His name is Evan. He's our. He's the third person who started Geekade. It was me, Dean, and, and Evan started Geekade. Now, uh, Evan and Dan have a comic book podcast called Paper Cuts, and that just started back up again, and it is extremely funny, uh, because Dan is definitely the funnier of the two of us. <laughs> That's definitely <laughs> true. Definitely. And better looking. Not that you can see it, but it's it's 100% <laughs> true. 
Um, and let's see. I also host the Waveback podcast, which is a podcast that I host with my friend Matt. Uh, and it's about video game music because I am a complete nerd for video game music and we just listen to songs and discuss them and do it soundtrack at a time. We just did Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. We're going to do Conker's Bad Fur Day next. What's that one called uh, again? I'm really interested in that. That's called Wave Back. Oh, Wave Back. I see it on here. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's been like my, besides this podcast, it's kind of been my, my, primary love podcast that i do i just i i love doing that show so much have you done chrono trigger yet we did we did a two-part chrono trigger just a couple of months ago sweet uh, two parts on chrono trigger that might be my favorite soundtrack of all time i'm gonna listen to that one for sure it's pretty high up on my list. it might be my favorite soundtrack of all time too it's really good I adore yeah. that game my three-year-old daughter is recently taken to uh requiring music to go to sleep <laughs> So I made a, a mix of a bunch of stuff from v- Video Game Music Box. Have you ever heard of them? No, what's that? It's They've taken video game songs and just turned them into music oh my box God. sounds. My wallet. And it sounds like lullabies. Yeah. So I put all of Chrono Trigger on that. She's, two, she's three. She wouldn't really get Chrono Trigger, but she knows the music now from listening to it in her sleep. Uh, so, slowly uh, bring, slowly yeah. raising the next generation. That's that's the plan. That's uh, awesome. The other podcast I'm involved in, we can swing, we'll swing back to video game music. <laughs> I just want to get this far. I forget it. Uh, me and Evan and my wife, Karen, and Evan's fiance, uh, Angie, we all do a TV show podcast that used to be weekly and now it's monthly because of scheduling stuff, but it's called this week's episode where we talk about all kinds of TV shows. Usually I'm talking about cartoons cause I'm a child, <laughs> um, but uh, like I, we're going to talk about the wonder years in our next episode, which we're recording on Tuesday, which is really fun to go back to, but yes, that's uh that's, that's that. And I think that's all the podcasts we're involved in. Yeah. Now the, the other stuff that's on the site, um, doesn't directly involve any of us. And, um, yeah, like I, I would be lying if I told you I listened to them because I don't. So <laughs> okay, I know we, we had, guys, are... we, but we've had a couple different. Like over the years, we've had a bunch of uh, uh, different stuff like come through the site. I know the the paper cuts that Evan and I are doing is going to be comic books. It's going to be once a month, um, kind of set up in the same structure the way that we do the Stone Age Gamer podcast because we used to have a paper cuts podcast that had like. Anyway, some weeks it was three people, some weeks it was like f- five people, and we just tried <laughs> we tried to talk about way too fucking much stuff in there, and we just all got super burnt out on it, so we stopped that for a while, bringing that back. We just, we try to get, the, the whole point of the site was really to, to kind of give everybody a voice in whatever it was that you wanted to fucking geek out about. You know, like, I, I did a whole series of posts um, before I went back to school, uh, to get a, a master's in adolescent developmental psychology, which kind of killed all of my writing for fun because it's a lot <laughs> of writing for school. Um, so, but before doing that, like I would take, you know, I did this whole series that I was really like proud of and really excited about the bits and brews series and pairing like craft beer with video games and trying to come up with a through line as to why something like bourbon County stout was perfectly paired with Mega Man 2. Like, all right, That's I got that idea, idea in my head. 
right? Like so. <laughs> so now, what? What's my fucking through line to get these things together? You know, but once you go back to school and it's like, all right, I have to do actual, you know, research and and all that stuff. That all that kind of falls to the side. Yeah, that's um to 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 kind of put into perspective what he's talking about. So when we were coming up with the the idea for the site was like, I. I don't, I don't, I don't drink. I don't, I, and it's just a, I have a ridiculous palate and I don't enjoy alcohol, which is very unfortunate for me, but great for my wallet. And my wife always has a designated driver, um, <laughs> but I could listen to Dan and my other friend, uh, who went by the name Hunter on here. He was, he's a teacher. So he used a pseudonym. Um, listen, I could listen to them talk about beer all day long and I didn't get what they were saying, but they loved it so much that yes. that love came through. The genuine, the genuine passion was like enjoyable, even though you, you weren't familiar with the subject matter. Exactly. And there was a lot of that in, um, uh, just different directions. Like people who, people I knew who loved cosplay or there was a girl who was just really into home automation. Like yeah. it was, it was nuts, but listening to her talk about it was like, this is fascinating. So I wanted to create a site that was kind of an all-encompassing, well, what's your geek? What is it the uh, thing that what is the thing that you love so much that you can geek out about? And we we got into sports for a little while there. Um and it was it was a lot to do. I was editor in chief for for about 5 years and I loved doing it, but it's it's a lot of work cuz you got to wrangle like uh, Alex Azar, he's a published author. Uh, he's got a couple of books out there, and he would write about horror movies every week, which was outstanding. I'm not a horror movie fan, but I loved listening to his work because he was really into it. So he'd write these articles, and I'd edit them and add pictures and get them posted. I got uh, a great guy, Jonathan Fuger. He uh, he and his girlfriend did the Mutant Musings podcast, which was all about X Men, and they were they actually got a a huge following uh, through our website. They recently ended the show, but they'd come back for like specials here and there. But he also started writing about anime, uh, the anime annex. And he also did a whole thing where he did welcome to the D list, where he talked about his favorite D list superheroes, <laughs> mostly Marvel stuff, but like, uh, Arrow and red guardian and, uh, Shinobi Shaw, <laughs> Annalie, like, all these D-list characters, and uh, he would just write about why these characters are fantastic, and it's totally okay to love them. And so that was the whole point of the site. And we you also know, we had people that did um, uh, the "You Shall Not Pass Go" podcast, which was a monthly show about tabletop gaming and stuff like that. And um, the Sparkcast is currently running still. That's a Transformers podcast. So. The, that was the whole whole idea of it. Now, I'm not in charge of the site anymore. Uh, we obviously still do Stone Age Gamer through the website and wave back through the site, but I'm a lot less involved in the day-to-day -day because I just couldn't handle being editor-in-chief on top of all of my other work because in, in addition to uh, writing and doing all that stuff for Stone Age Gamer, I had a full-time 40-hour-a-week job, and I'm a staff writer for Nintendo Force Magazine, which is a physical magazine that, that you know gets mailed out everywhere. If you like the Nintendo Power... You would like Nintendo Force because we picked up right where that magazine left off. Oh. Uh, so I had to kind of give up on doing that. And uh, so I'm a little bit less involved in like, I know we got a new podcast recently uh, called the Weekend Rental Podcast. I haven't listened to it yet, but I hear it's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> I've, I've listened to a couple episodes of Sparkcast. Um, uh, Evan rebooted an old uh, uh, a podcast that was about art, just called Artist Avenue, uh, where he interviews various artists. And he had had like a uh, bunch of big names on there too. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, a handful of them. It didn't. It didn't run very long. Um, but uh, now, now it's back. And- I think the thing that we're really good at, we're really good at coming up with ideas and be like, "Ah, oh, this would be a fucking dope show." And then we do it for like three weeks, and then we're like, eh, "No, nah, never mind. We're good. <laughs> we don't need to do this anymore." Uh, Dean does a regular streaming thing. Uh, he calls himself the Vest Lord because he likes wearing vests, and that's on Twitch. And he's on there every day, streaming all manners of stuff. And he's got a big old audience, so. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's kind of where we are in that. <laughs> okay, so to re- most of my focus goes to uh, uh, Strange Age Gamer and Nintendo Force, though. Strange Gamer on Nintendo Force. Uh, uh, Stone, Age- Stone Age Gamer oh. is where I get most of put most of my attention, and then Nintendo Force Magazine is where okay. I I have that up. I'm I have a couple questions. So let me make sure to recap for the listeners. The main things that you you are involved in right now is both of you do the Stone Age Gamer podcast which mm-hmm. is the official podcast for the website Stone Age Gamer, but it's on geekcade.com because of this weird situation and how it started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. We, we host it, but we are their official podcast. Yeah. Okay, but like, I'm, on, I'm on their website. They don't, there's like no way to get to your... Oh, there it is, podcast. Yep. yep. And Click it just goes to Geekcade. Right okay, yeah, that makes sense. Perfect. Yep. All right, so if you're confused, that's why it is. Basically, Stone Age Gamer Podcast, these two, that's the guest, but also you're involved with Nintendo. I did not know there was still a physical, like a replacement for Nintendo Power that was going out. This is pretty cool. Yeah, there's a a bunch of people who worked on Destructoid and IGN. Basically, after that ended, like uh, Lucas Thomas, uh, who worked for for IGN at the time, uh, he was just like, well... No, <laughs> fine. If you're not if you're not going to make this magazine, then we will. And uh, there's a, a lot of big names uh, that that are people that I've been following for ages, uh, like reading their work from just like Jonathan Holmes from Destructoid, and um, they put together this magazine every month. It comes with free posters, just like the Nintendo Power did, except they're not. They're not like glued into the magazine. They just come separately, so oh, you don't yeah. have to rip the magazine apart to hang them up. But um, like the last issue we just did was uh, the the Paper Mario was the cover story, and it came with a uh, paper craft origami peach that you could build, was which so was so awesome. Oh, I'm looking at it right. Yeah, <laughs> the, that is the Princess cool. Peach from the game. Uh, it's it's a great magazine, and I was a, I was a fan before they let me write for him. Um, <laughs> that was a, that was a fun story. I was um. So after Nintendo Power went under, I had always dreamed about writing for Nintendo Power. I was like, my thing, I always wanted to do with my life. I really wanted to write for Nintendo Power. And then, you know, there was just, it was never going to happen because I was never going to move to Washington or wherever the, the magazine was being published. Um, and then that, that ended, and this first magazine popped up called Pure Nintendo. And I was like, oh, well, they're going to do a physical magazine. Let's try this out. So I got a bunch of issues, and I enjoyed them, but they weren't as... They weren't as, and I, I mean no disrespect, uh, I really don't, because I did enjoy the magazine, but it wasn't as thoroughly thought out as a lunatic like me once, you know? Like, and I'm on this little mini vacation with my wife, this was years ago, and I'm reading this article that they posted about all the many jobs of Nintendo, and they had pointed out that the first time Mario had played tennis was in Mario Tennis for N64. And I, I, I walked out of the bathroom, because that's where I was reading it. <laughs> I walk out of the bathroom, and I turn to my wife, who could not give a single shit about Mario's <laughs> career. And I'm like, look, 
here I am reading this article in this magazine, this physical print magazine that's effectively the replacement for Nintendo Power, and it was really only for a couple of months before Nintendo Force, not even a couple of months, it was pure Nintendo jumped in, and then like a month later, Nintendo Force showed up, and that magazine is like spot on, because there's all these professional people have been doing this for ages. So I'm... I'm bitching about this article in Nintendo Force. Like, they say that Mario Tennis for N64, they're glossing over Mario's tennis for Virtual Boy, which is the first game that he played tennis. But even before that, it was an umpire in tennis for Game Boy and NES. And I'm, like, ranting and raving like a lunatic. And Karen, my wife, just looks at me like, then why don't you do it? Why don't you write for that magazine? And I was like, fine, that's a great idea. So <laughs> Fuck, I will. Get back... Like, fine, I'll do it. So we, we get back from our little vacation. I sit down at my computer to start to start writing an article uh, to, to submit to Pure Nintendo and be like, look, you guys have got a really good direction going on, and I think that you could use me on your team. So I start coming up with all this stuff. And then as I'm typing it, the new issue of Nintendo Force came in the mail. Again, this was this was a bunch of years ago, and uh, it shows up in the mail. And towards the towards the end of the magazine, I start flipping through it because I immediately get distracted from what I'm trying to write. And towards the end, they had this interview with um, somebody who used to write for Nintendo Power, and a whole thing about uh, the whole interview was about what how do you break into this industry? How do you get into writing for uh, big sites and, and magazines and stuff? And uh, at the end of it, they said, so we'd be hypocritical if we gave you all this information about how to break in and then didn't say you could at least attempt to write for us. We've got a full staff, but if we really like your pitch enough, then we'll talk to you. So I immediately stopped writing the thing for Pure Nintendo and said, no, nah, I'm shooting for the stars. I'm going for Nintendo Force. So I wrote my whole thing. My whole piece was I wanted to write a recurring segment called Peripheral Vision, where I talk about games that could only be played with their original peripherals, like World Class Track and oh, the Power Pad or yeah. Donkey Kong Jungle Beat and the Bongos, you know? Uh, so I pitched this thing to Nintendo Force, and then I didn't hear anything for like a year. And then out of nowhere, Lucas Thomas... The editor-in-chief emails me and says, Hey, I bet you never thought you'd hear from us. I love your idea. Let's try it out. And so I, I worked as a freelance writer for them a while, and then just, a, I don't know, like five or, five or six months ago, they made me a staff writer, and uh, it's been pretty awesome ever since. Dang, what's your favorite piece, piece uh, for those who are interested on Nintendo Force that you can reference oh, on to? My favorite piece that I've written yes. for them? Um, yes. Well, well I, probably, I mean, personally, my favorite piece is they. F I, I wrote my first review for them. I had never reviewed a game before, and it was like a complete mind blowing experience. Like, okay, you're going to review Rad, which is the game from Double Fine. It's kind of like a uh, almost like a Diablo esque situation, uh, randomly generated, run around, beat stuff up with mutant powers and stuff. And um, I thought that was really cool to do that. But probably my favorite piece that I did was. Um, I'm trying to remember what, what issue it was in, but I got to write about a whole bunch of Nintendo's, uh, like just a whole slew of peripherals. Now I can't even remember what the, the, the whole through line was, but I got to write about like <laughs> Rob the Robot and uh, their 3D glasses technology that they came up with for the Famicom. Uh, just a whole mess of stuff, and I got to write like several pages worth of content. And I gotta, I gotta look back and figure out what what issue that was in. But that was that was my favorite thing that I ever wrote on there. But I, I mean, my favorite stuff in that magazine is stuff that I didn't do. Like, there's comics every every month, like the old Nintendo Powers. 
just a really cool interviews. Uh, it's, it's a really good magazine. And I don't say that just because I work for them. Like I was a huge fan before they let me write for them because it's, it really does pick up where Nintendo power left off, which was the game started the, the magazine started as like pure propaganda for Nintendo. But by the time it ended, it really kind of found its own voice of being like this kind of magazine of record. Like this is what's happening in the world of Nintendo. And this is why it's happening. And these are the games that we're kind of hyping up. And these are the games that like the reviews were a lot more honest. They weren't like, everything is the greatest game ever play Nintendo. <laughs> you know, they, they kind of evolved and started doing uh, interviews with creators and stuff. It was really, really quite interesting. And, um, that's really where Nintendo Force wanted to pick off from. Uh, and I think they've done a wonderfully successful job. Sweet. And then when it comes to the Stone Age Gamer podcast, give us a rundown on like the format. It looks like you, <clears throat> it looks like you guys focus <laughs> on a specific game each episode. And then what would be your, you know, for those listening that are interested, <laughs> what would be the best episode for someone to come in and check out? For the first time. All right, All right Dan, I'm going to look up that trivia episode with Dean, and then you explain <laughs> what the podcast is about. Okay? Yeah, so the, uh, the, the podcast itself is, uh, is every week, uh, every Friday it comes out. We've, we've done, uh, what is it, 314, 315 or something like that. And we're going to be recording 318. 318. See, that's how long we've been doing this, man. Like, it's just, <laughs> and um, so basically the format of the show is that the, the first half of the show is usually just Chris and I bullshitting about um about the world, about life, about our families. Um there recently, because uh, we're both homeowners, I am the more recent of the two of us with uh home ownership. Uh so there's been a lot of like uh lawn maintenance uh talk in the first half of the show. So this is the so, ultimate dad cast. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Like there's a there's a lot of discussion about edgers and the proper trimmers and and a bunch of that kind of shit. Um, but do, do you, that, do I you bought a new weed whacker today. Do you officially? I bought a new weed. Well, I was on vacation. Uh, we went to go like buy a bunch of stuff, and I was like, I need a new weed whacker. And I went into the aisle, and they had one on clearance for twenty five bucks. There you go. If it lasts me like a year, I still come out ahead. A hundred percent. So, <laughs> and and it usually, I mean, it just it devolves into um, got just a, a cavalcade of fucking nonsense because we are we are both Jersey boys through and through and for anybody who's listening to this that is not from new jersey if there is one thing that jersey boys could do it is we could bullshit about anything forever and that is usually what the first half of the podcast ends up being and we'll we'll talk about like some gaming news like we'll touch on that if there's big things you know last week um we talked about the the big giga leak that came out from nintendo or we'll talk about the games that that we've been playing and, and what we're loving about them or hating or finding challenging about it. And then the second half of the show uh, usually involves some sort of feature topic, right? So we've done anything from, you know, focusing on an entire retrospective of every Mario game. And, and when we say every Mario game, like you just heard Chris go off about how fucking angry he was <laughs> about the Mario job set. Like, that shit ruined his vacation. That's how much he fucking loves this. So, like, when we talk about Mario, every appearance that Mario made that we covered that, and we'll, like, we'll go and talk about all of them, or we just did, for a couple weeks, we did, like, a bracket-style tournament of getting rid of adventure games 
that I had to come up with, and it was sort of super questionable about like what your definition of an adventure game is, or like, or well, we're doing currently right now the big push that we do every summer um, is something that we came up with a few years ago uh, called the Summer Series, where we have our listeners um, and readers on the Stone Age Gamer. We have a Discord channel as well. Um, we put up uh, a bunch of games that that are either like cult favorite games or games that we know we should have beat when we were kids, right? Or games we should have played when we were kids. And we have the fans vote on it, and then Chris and I will talk about, you know, what we liked about that game. And most of the time, it does end up being like, oh my god, this was such a cool game. I really liked it. Everybody should play this. Um, Every now and again, we get voted to play something like uh, Pac-Man 2, The New Adventures, which was a recent episode. And if you want to hear two dudes just fucking trash that game for like 45 minutes, that's an episode to check out. That game's <laughs> fucking awful, and our listeners made us play it. Um, so we just, we, we kind of, we, 318 episodes in, we kind of run out of things to talk about every now and again. So we do have those recurring segments. We, we also have something, one thing that we do consistently once a month, we hit on the, uh, what we call the 10, 20, 30, 40 which is we'll talk about the games that came out 10, 20, 30, and 40 years ago now because we're fucking old and we're, you know, talking about old Atari games that came out. But we'll we'll go and try and hit the, the big releases for all the for major the systems about them. And most of the time, between between me and Chris, we have at least some amount of experience with one of the two games. It, there's not a lot of times on the show where it ends up like, so this is a game that came out. Yes, it is. Moving on, Moving on, right? Like, usually we have <laughs> yeah. something to talk about, and then, you know, and again, it'll devolve into some nonsense after that, but that is at least the one uh, recurring segment that we have. Now, uh, yeah. An- another thing that we regularly, semi, semi-regularly do is trivia episodes. Mm. Um, we, I would love to do them more, but there's so much work <laughs> that it's kind of hard to pull off doing them uh, all that often but when you you asked for an episode to point to like if you've never listened to our show before i would recommend i was originally going to recommend this other old one but uh i think more recently when the show the show started off super different like there was a we had like four hosts at one point at, at several different points points it's almost always been me and dan it started with me and dean and then i think dan showed up in episode two yeah and then we kind of kept going from there but it eventually came down to just me and dan because that was the chemistry that worked and um, one of our older episodes has a really funny joke in it. But honestly, I think Stone Age Gamer episode 298 uh, from March of this year, actually. Uh, wow, that was really March of this year. Yeah. It feels like so it long really, ago. It feels like a fucking Jesus. lifetime ago. It does. Uh, this was a trivia episode. We were doing a trivia tournament of champions leading up to our 300th episode. And this was a fantastic episode where we pitted me and Dan host the trivia. Usually Dan competes and I host. But me and Dan were, were, were both hosting, and the trivia was against Ferg from the uh, Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast, just one of the most delightful human beings on the planet. Uh, Banjo Guy Ali, who does these amazing banjo covers of video game music on, on YouTube. And if you've never seen his stuff, just go listen to it. He's uh, That he's sounds dope as shit. What's it called? Banjo Guy Ali. Banjo Guy Ali. 
He's amazing. He really is. And and he is an absolutely lovely human being as well. He really is. He uh, wrote the theme song to our show that we we debuted on episode 300. He he wrote our new theme song. And And we didn't have to pay him shit. He just did it (laughs) because we asked him nicely. Because he's awesome. And uh, those two were pitted up against Adam Shub, a.k.a. Square Painter, uh, who's been doing uh, paintings of pixel art for... I don't know, like seventy-five years now, something like that. And he's at—he's <laughs> younger than us, yeah. But, uh, and he's at most of like the major conventions out on the East Coast, and I think Adam gets out to some of the ones that are a little further away from us. Mm-hmm. He d- he does he does more shows than we yeah. do, but uh, they're actually um, Adam is coming back for we're doing uh, for Long Island Retro. Uh, they they do this great game convention, which obviously isn't happening this year. So instead, they're doing an online version, and uh, we're hosting a small trivia episode with Adam, uh, my co-host Matt from Waveback, and Dan. Uh, it'll be a, a shorter one because we only have an hour, but that's gonna be fun. But yeah, episode two hundred ninety-eight. That's a really good one. That I would recommend listening to, mostly because it involves a lot of people other than us. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. I mean, there's a there's a lot I want to ask. So I'm checking out some more of the Stone Age Gamer website and the Geekade, but I will let listeners just if they're not tantalized yet. There's dudes playing banjos. There's people talking about which alcohol pairs with your favorite retro game. If that doesn't interest you, then then you have no soul. Check it out. Go check out Geekade Stone Age Gamer. There's a lot. I've been browsing through. Looks like you Stone Age Gamer. You sell like retro accessories. For yeah, consoles, um, prob- uh, pro- probably the the biggest thing that we carry are flashcards. That's what we do the most business with. Um, uh, the EverDrive brand we we do a lot with. We also teamed up with uh, Terra Onion a bunch. Uh, and flashcards are basically like a cartridge that you plug into your original system. So, say you have a Nintendo Entertainment System, you have an NES, you get the EverDrive N8, and you plug in your uh, SD card that's filled with your legally obtained roms <laughs> and uh, of course you, you there's no other way to get them but legally it yeah 100 percent legally 100 percent legal uh and we, we we even sell the stuff on the website if you want to extract your own roms from your cartridges you can do that we have the things that make that happen um but you plug those the you plug the sd card in the flash card you put the flash card in your nes there's a menu of all your games and then your nes plays them uh, ah. as if the cartridge was there. So there's no emulation involved. You're not running an emulator. There's no glitching or anything like that because the system thinks it's actually using the original cartridge. So, um, But it's all in one cartridge, for- basically. Yep. It's exactly. Yeah. It's all in one card. So we have those for, for Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis. There's actually a really fun bit of competition happening right now in the Genesis department because uh, last year, Terra Onion came out with the Mega SD which included the ability to play Sega CD games without a Sega CD unit. So you plug this thing into your Genesis, and you can play all Genesis and Sega CD games, which is kind of amazing, and you don't need a Sega CD unit. Uh, but the uh, Crixie, who does the EverDrives, he upgraded the Mega EverDrive to the Mega EverDrive Pro, which also includes Sega CD uh, playback. And now there's kind of like this little rivalry between the two of them well which one's better because they both now they both do a lot of similar things the everdrive is less expensive the uh neo uh the mega sd is a little bit uh flashier it's it's really interesting um they're both excellent products um but we we have stuff from Terranian for like a neo geo flash card which is crazy because if you're a neo geo collector Neo Geo games are freaking expensive. Yes. So having a flash card 
that works for your Neo Geo is awesome. We just started carrying from uh, Retro HQ the game drive for the Neo Geo Pocket Color. We're gonna we're gonna get more from them. He also does a Lynx flash cart and a Jaguar flash cart, which we're going to start carrying in the not too distant future. But outside of that, yeah, we do a lot of uh, you know uh, retro gaming accessories, like con- controllers and adapters and all other sorts of stuff. How does I'm trying? I'm a little confused. Did the Sega CD originally only essentially just make the Genesis able to read a CD, and that was it? There was no like. It's it's a it's its own system, right? It's got its own processor and everything. So it's like an extra souped up Genesis. So how would the uh, Genesis be able to a regular Genesis be able to play a Sega CD game, even if it's on the cartridge? Uh, so I'm not super technical with it, but I'll explain it to the best of my okay. ability. <laughs> um, basically, they have a core inside of that that Mega SD that effectively emulates the Sega CD system itself inside the cartridge. Mm. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of basically tricking the Genesis into thinking there's a Sega CD attached to it, I think. Okay. And so then it just runs the games as if the CD and the CD, uh, the CD drive were both there, but they have to have this because the Sega CD, that's what was my question. The Sega CD games use the different core. They had their own system. So that exactly that the Sega CD had have, its own yeah would have yeah, to have its own in guts there. yeah okay that makes sense now it doesn't work for 32x like you can do 32x but you actually have to have a 32x plugged in and that's for uh, both of those platforms because apparently the way the 32x worked was co- uh, surprise complete insanity <laughs> so because uh, the 32x was complete insanity so. Uh, and there's also such a tiny library putting in the work to make it so that you could play like the three good 32x games is like that's pretty tough. <laughs> yeah. I had a 32x. I was one of the rare people. My my I got it, and I remember my mom got sold on it because the guy told her this makes a makes original Genesis games better. It like makes them faster, gives them better graphics and stuff. And even then, I was like, Mom, I don't think that's how it works. That's what the sales guy said. My, that's that's what the sales guy said. I'm like, thanks. And the only game I had that I liked was the Star Wars. It was like a Star Wars spaceship. Star Wars game. Arcade. Yeah. Yes, that game's great. That's one of the that's one of the few good 32X games. Like it was good. That game's legit good. It had a great port of Afterburner on that system. Yes. That had and uh there was another one that's not like Afterburner, similar you play as a guy like with the jetpack and the bazooka, Space Harrier. Yeah. Space yeah, Harrier. Yeah, yeah. Yep. There was a Space yep. Harrier on 32X that was dope too. Yeah, the uh, Sega, the, uh, I got turned on to a podcast called Retronauts. I guess they're famous. I'm sure you've heard of them. Yep. Yeah. We, we, they uh, did an episode on the PlayStation, uh, a series on the PlayStation 1 and then the Nintendo Fallout. But as a part of that, they also talked about the Sega Saturn. So that's the only Sega uh, console that uh, I know a lot, like I know more about what went into it. And that was also insanity. So when you tell me the 32X oh, yeah. is insanity. <laughs> It seems like they have a track record of, of, of <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At that point in Sega's career, it was they were they were just nuts, right? I mean, they were just doing whatever make, the fuck they wanted with like with no regard to to whether or not it made sense. Like at all, it's the, just the details ridiculous. of how the 32x even came about. There was a lot of, and again, I'm 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 basing this on on information i read a long time ago and if i'm factually incorrect please uh don't hold it against me but from what i come to understand even the the 32x system itself i don't think sega of america even wanted to release it because 
they were effectively competing with themselves because they yes. they wanted to put all their chips on the Saturn, and the Saturn when it was being developed was all like, well, yeah, the Saturn is going to be like the best two D game machine ever, and then Sega of America is all like, but. Don't people want to play 3D yes. games now with their fancy <laughs> CD-based systems? Like, well, I guess we could push some polygons with it. But, yeah. I guess we could try and then fucking not. And I adore Ugh. the Saturn. I really do. I, I love, love the Saturn. Um, I love. I didn't have gonna... one growing up. I had a PS1. I remember thinking the Saturn was cool. That uh, that, that Retronauts episode talks about uh, Sega of America. Sega, like the uh, friction between Sega of America and Sega of Japan and the 32X. Mm. And this, they talk about that whole thing. And I guess the way they explained it, I might be butchering this technically as well, but <clears throat> the Saturn uses, at like a fundamental level, it, instead of rendering triangles, like most, and even modern, like it all comes down to a triangle, I guess, a polygon, the right. Saturn used, mm-hmm. used like vertex, like points in a field, and it wasn't really made for 3D, and they were just <laughs> kind of like trying to jimmy rig it to do 3D, because it was designed for 2D, yeah, that, it was, it's interesting, I love the Saturn actually is for me recently. I never had one growing up, and it's been a pain in the ass to get to work with emulators. The emulation scene in Saturn is like okay, but I have it's tough because the system's insane. <laughs> yes, but I found I've gotten to play like a handful of games, and they're pretty stable. And man, I'm I missed out. Like the the system, I think the system looks cool too. Like the design still oh, looks yeah. cool to it's me. It's a great looking platform. Yeah. Well, if you do wind up getting your hands on a physical platform, um, one of the products that we're going to be carrying really soon uh, is made by Terra Onion. It's called Mode, and it works for both Saturn and Dreamcast, and it's effectively a flash cart for your Dreamcast. You take out the disk drive and replace it with this little doodad that you can plug an <laughs> SD card into, and then it will you can, it'll basically think that that's its disk drive, and you can just load the games right off of Mode. Uh, and it works like a flash cart for your Sega Saturn or Dreamcast. And I cannot wait to get my hands on one of them, but we haven't gotten them from Terranian yet because, you know, COVID and shipping, and there's just been so many issues with that stuff. Um, but it's coming in the next couple of months, hopefully. And uh, there's uh, some of them out there that Terranian was selling directly from their site as well. Uh, so people have their hands on them. They've installed them super easy, and uh, they think it's great. And I can't wait to use it myself. But that's because that's a great way to play Saturn stuff, especially since collecting for that system is collecting for that system is insane because yes. most of those games haven't been re-released on any other format. Um, like you said, emulating them is is a crapshoot because it's really tough to emulate that system properly. Um, so having something like Mode out there is a really great way of preserving that stuff because also the discs are starting to rot, you know? They're not going to physically last a whole lot longer. I didn't you, even you know about disc some- rot until like a month ago. I'm ashamed to admit, but it blew my mind. I'm like, wait, discs eventually just rot? Apparently, yeah, they yeah. just kind of fall apart. <laughs> What's going to happen to like, dude, all these disc games aren't going to live. Like only cartridges no. are going to survive. Yeah, that's you're you're 100 right. It, it's, like my copy of Pants of Dragoon Saga yeah. is super awesome, and the discs will always look cool, but it's not going to work forever, and that's a bummer. It's one of the things like that that we you know when we go off on our tangents on the show, and it's you know kind of, it's just it's relatively important to the gaming community as a whole is when you get into that gray area of like emulation and piracy and whatnot and all those things, it's like, look, there's a certain segment of games, a a very large segment at this point in time, that if they're not emulated, if they're not ripped and preserved somewhere, you're not going to be able to play. They're they're gone. 
They're right? gone. Like, yeah. They're they're just gone. I will always be able to pull out my top loader, my NES top loader, and you know, the six original Mega Man games. And that shit's gonna work forever. You know, like it's basic I, I at this point it is like child's play, the level of technology that's involved with that. You'll always be able to get the replacements for it. But for all of these like we're gonna lose all of these games and you know, at what point does the preservation outweigh the the gray areas of you know emulation right because like you said you're just getting to saturn stuff now and there's some really great shit out there there's, there's some really, really great shit, shit for yeah. playstation one that people have never played and if this oh, goes away man, some of that stuff is is tied up in rights that'll just never happen yeah again. like yes. okay so we've got perfect ports of like let's say Marvel superheroes right that great fighting game from capcom we've got port arcade ports of that yeah but what if we want to play this specifically the Saturn version of that game? Well, nobody's going to spend the time licensing that version of that game. Yep. Or like even the old football games, like you know, NFL Quarterback Club '97. I don't know if that's a good game, but like just throwing that out there. <laughs> or like, I, you, let's say you wanted to play that. How are you going to do that 15 years from now if all the discs don't work and the systems have all crapped out? Oh, a, a big one for me that. is the uh, the Saturn version of Symphony of the Night. I wanted to play it because one right. of my favorite games. Oh my god! There you go. Yeah. Well, mode can do that for you. So. And what's so nice about it too is that we, you know, there there are these products out there, and like I'm not going to show for Stone Age Gamer because they don't pay me shit. Um, <laughs> just fucking do the podcast for free. But like, what's super nice about it is that the these are like idiot proof modifications, right? Like, because they're not even really um, modifications. You're doing really simple shit to get this in there. Like, in the, the older EverDrives are even easier than that. You know that yeah, you're just talking just plugging in a plug and play yeah. with the the disc based mods. Even that stuff is super easy to do, and it just gives you access to all of this stuff, right? And it's it's all in the spirit of like a celebration of this this fucking hobby that we're all super into and love, you know. And and I think one of the one of I think the interesting developments that has happened over the the course of the last. 318 episodes uh, of the Stone Age Gamer is where Chris and I have gone as, as far as like gatekeeping to gaming and, and all of that is concerned because I think we're both kind of at the point now where we're like that everybody should play everything right like <laughs> you know we go on and we talk about these games and like in a couple weeks or next week or tomorrow I don't even fucking know um, we're going to, we're going to talk about high seas havoc, right? It's part of our summer series for, uh, tomorrow. For, the, for tomorrow. Okay, sweet. I'll do some research. Um, I should have been playing the game this whole time. Uh, so like, we're going to talk about this game, right? Like it's this kind of, uh, uh, cult Sega Genesis game. And hopefully by some people listening to our show, like, all right, sweet. I'll go check that out. And then you can kind of branch from there. And it's just putting out these, you know, the, these tendrils out into the world to expand this shit because we, we do love it so much and we do want people to experience it and whatever barriers we can tear down for it now is just really where we are, you know, as a show, which is kind of an interesting development. Cause when we started the show, uh, uh, there was, there was more, not that it was ever really the focus of the show, but there was definitely more like, if I'm a dick about this, that'll be funny, right? And and it wasn't after a while. So the show has just kind of developed organically into 
a genuine celebration of this hobby. Yeah, because there's no sense in being mean about stuff unless it really deserves it. Right, like uh, Pac-Man 2 deserves to be shit on. That game is fucking (laughs) awful. But, you know, for the most part, it's a celebration. Yeah, like we had, we interviewed Tommy Tallarico not that long ago. We're not interested in the uh in television amico like it's it's fascinating but we weren't exactly sold on it and we kind of we were very upfront about the way we felt about it and we it was really cool of him to come on the show and try to convince us that his what what makes his system good and it was a fascinating interview we had a really good time interviewing and he can talk like we can so <laughs> so we were talking for like a long time but um there was no sense in being mean to him about it. Like, this is stupid trying to relaunch the Intellivision brand. That's stupid, and you're stupid for doing it. Like, fucking just asshole who like, wants to play Moon Patrol. <laughs> yeah. We just looked at him like, well, look, we don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. Please explain it to us. And yeah. then he did. And then we had a lot of great conversations about video games, yeah. which is great. So you're saying, like, maybe modern society should listen to each other instead of just tear each other down and try to slam dunk on each other? Because that's not a problem. Let's not go that far. (laughs) That's not a problem online at all. (laughs) Yeah, no, like, I I mean, honestly, like, yeah, like, that. that's really where we are, you know? It's it's a funny development, and I don't know, like, I don't know if it's for us personally of, like, having children. Like, I have twin daughters that are 11 now, and, like, seeing them grow into people that interact in the world and like the stuff that that they're into um you know when when people try to tell like my the other the other day my my daughter Katie woke up at like she she woke me up at like 7:30 in the morning cuz she was she was crying in a room and I walked into her bedroom and I was like sweetheart it's fuck what the hell could have happened at 7:30 in the morning that that has made you this upset and somebody was they were playing a game. They do a lot of, they play a lot of Roblox, right? Cause they're kids and kids play Roblox. And one of the things they do on there are these role plays where everybody just kind of jumps into a server and they take characters from a, a particular property, whether it be like a, a, an established property. Uh, they do a lot of play with the wings of fire prop, uh, series, which is a series of books about dragons and shit. Um, or, you know, a fan made community of these different characters and they go in and, and the community decides like, all right, you're the queen, you're the king. We do this, we do that, whatever. Right. And somebody had come into this community and was just being a fucking troll, you know, like just came in to tear people down on purpose. It was like, you're all fucking going to hell. You stupid. You buy this with that, with it. you know, whatever little kids, I mean, it's way worse than shit. I would say, I mean, maybe not on our <laughs> show, but we're guests here. So I'll, I'll keep it back a little bit. But, you know, like, they, I mean, they were just terrible, terrible things that they were saying to the point where, you know, my, my daughter, who's just trying to go in and play a video game, is crying in her bedroom at 7.30 in the morning. It's like, man, this is just, world's a fucked up enough place. We don't really need to have this in video games as well. Like, there's a difference between shit talking and trying to actively make people feel bad for the things that yeah, they're into. Yeah, very big difference. Shit talking, especially among boys, teenage boys, it's almost right. like... Right. A bonding, like you're actually saying, "I like you." It re- exactly. exactly, yeah. You know, like it's a rite of passage. It's it's how it's how boys interact. Yeah, it's how girls interact too. You know, good natured shit talking, like sitting sitting in my buddy's basement when I was a teenager playing NHL '94. I mean, the things that were said back and forth between the two of us were 
us the most awful shit in the world. But but we were friends, and it was like it's it's weird, but it was done out of love, you know. And it's a kind of it's kind of like when my wife and I play Doctor Mario, yeah, she gets violent, you know, <laughs> like not like hitting each other. We say awful things to each other when we're playing Doctor Mario, and we have to like now we have to censor that shit because the kids are around <laughs> watching us playing, and and like. Karen's not as good as censoring herself because she doesn't have the years of retail under her belt that I do. So, like, when she just starts calling me some horrible shit and uh, the, the kids are kind of asking questions about what is that? What does that mean? That's a good time. But yeah, that's the good natured, good natured uh, shit talking is a good time. But being vile for the sake of being vile or being mean for the sake of getting attention or tearing down shit you don't like dan and i are not xbox fans and occasionally we'll jab at the xbox that's because xbox Xbox is fucking bullshit it is bullshit because it's not it's not for us it's for different people who like the xbox and that's great for them no it's not it's for lesser human beings to say it <laughs> I don't get it. I really don't. Like my friend Mike, he actually used to co-host the Stone Age Gamer for a long time. He uses his Xbox One for more than his this PlayStation Four. And I, and like, if it's something that's available on both platforms, or even if he's doing stuff like Netflix or whatever, he just likes the UI in the Xbox One better. And they, it's it's the simple shit like that. So okay, that works for you. I don't get it. I think it looks the same. <laughs> I just don't understand it. Like, I don't think. I don't know. I don't get why you would have that and that and th- those two things do almost exactly the same thing. But this one has a whole lot more games you can't play on that one. So I don't know why you go with That's that. That's right. One. But one of them has Ghost of Tsushima. The other one doesn't. The other one doesn't. Dude, <laughs> we can't get derailed on Tsushima. But my D- God, dude! Oh my God! Oh, oh that my God! God that game! game. <laughs> Holy shit! Right. <laughs> Like I, it is oh so my good. God. Oh. I, I I just I sit there and I play like it, it's one of the few games where I just stop and and just exist in that world for for you know a the a brief moment before it's back off to like oh I gotta go murder people like so fucking I gotta get on my horse but like before that it's just I'm gonna look at the scenery and the way I just the 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 intelligence and the love and the care that has gone into that game is astonishing. They ha- they they ironed out like it's like every little detail has been gone over and refined and boiled down to like what is fun in open world games and what is tedious. And we're yes, gonna get rid of yes. all the tedious shit and we're just gonna make this like there's nothing new, there's nothing groundbreaking, but it's no. the open world yeah. it's yeah. the open world format just like perfected. It, it's it's just it refined. is a stunning yes. stunning achievement, and like because Chris and I we talk about open world games are not for us. Like we are not really open world gamers. Really never have been. But but Sushima, god damn it, you're you're a hundred percent right, man. Like they took out all of the mundane, stupid. Like none of the side quests in Sushima feel like side quests. They feel like an integral part of the story. That yes, naturally, this would occur at this moment in the story, and I should go do this thing. You know, oh my god, it's perfect. It's just, oh, I fucking love it. In the it. combat, you feel like a samurai. The, the sword, the sword, oh, it's like, so it's good. It's kind of like good. Arkham Asylum, but also Dark Soul. Like, it's just this weird mix. It took me a second to get used to it, and then when you get all the stances and you start managing groups and you start oh. getting good at it and pre- parrying and dodge, and then it's like you get in the state where you fight 15 dudes and you're switching stances. I'm not thinking of it all. It's almost 
it gets so in- engaging that you know when you drive your car sometimes and you're into a song, you're lost yes. in thought, yes. and then all of a sudden you're home. Like, how the fuck did I get home? Yes. I don't even remember yes. being. That's what happens with Shushima. It's like I I go in and I storm, I fight all these dudes in this fort, and then all of a sudden I like look, they're all dead, and I look down, I'm like. It's been 20 minutes. I don't even know what just happened because I was yeah. <laughs> I'm so switching just like, stances and I'm switching parrying stance, and parrying this guy, dodge and, that guy. Yeah. Oh, God. It's so it's good. Awesome. It's good. so, so fucking it's good. good. <laughs> oh, I just adore that game. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, see, this, this is what we do. We, we sidetrack and we devolve into, not, into just... Okay. This yes. is the Stone Age but, Gamer. Sorry. I got to get us back on track. So you guys, both from Jersey, right? Or yes. Born and raised? Yep. Born and raised. Okay. If you don't mind me asking, what years were you born? I like to guess what I think your first console is. Well, okay. I, I was born in 1980. 80, okay. You, I am 81. 81. So you guys are a little bit, a few years older than me. I was born in 85. I'm going to guess one of you is Atari twenty six hundred and one of you is like ColecoVision might be the first console. That's fucking nuts. That's a hundred percent, hundred percent dead on. Chris dead was on. Atari, <laughs> yep, and yeah! Atari twenty six hundred Junior, and, and yeah! I was ColecoVision. Getting... That was my shit. Well done, damn dude. I, uh, That's impressive. I asked this. I asked this every every episode. I'm getting better. Um, <laughs> yeah, I went back and listened to which one did I listen to? I listened to one of your episodes as as as, as research recently, and I can't remember which one it was now. I think, I think it was the most recent one. Who was the last person you did? The last person was the there's like this Aussie dude. What was it called? Frozen Blokes podcast. Oh, that was I listened yeah, to that. That was episode. that was a yeah, dope. Episode. I listened to like I got a, I got through about half of that one. It was really good. Most people, honestly, so far the most common uh, console has been the NES, mm-hmm. which makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah, that makes so, sense. Yeah, I kind of want to go a little bit deeper because we haven't talked. I haven't had a guest that we've talked about either. Uh, Brett Weiss, which I've seen you guys had on your podcast, he yeah. talked mm-hmm. a little bit about some of the pre-NES consoles. Um, I want to kind of get into, for the Atari, the 2600 was basically, from what I understand, because I was a little too young, but retroactively, like, wasn't that kind of like the big dog, the NES, of the pre-NES era, the 2600? Oh, definitely. Without a doubt, yeah. I mean, you, you start, if you're just going with home game consoles, you started off with... um just basically pong machines, right? You get all these different different machines and they're like, this one plays forty two this has got six different sports in it. It's hockey, it's high lie, it's tennis, it's table tennis. And what that means is it's pong, 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 and pong. <laughs> because they're just different yeah. different variations of pong. And then you had um uh Channel F, which was the first console that did uh cartridges that swapped in and out. And Atari twenty 20- 2600 or as was known at the time the vcs uh came out shortly after that and if you look at the original games that were released for that system they were all numbered because the idea was like well we'll do this for a year or two and they'll move on to something else but the system blew up it was it just became this massive sales success and reading about the history of ataris is absolutely fascinating i i can't recommend it enough in fact uh um Leonard Herman is a great author. He wrote a book uh, called Phoenix about the history of video games. And it's, it is incredibly dense, but if you want to know about the history of video games, that's the book you go to. That is the book. It's called Phoenix. Right now it's on its fourth edition. Uh, look, look up Phoenix four. It's a, it's a massive tome, but it is, it's an incredible read. It's very, very good book. Um, 
But uh, so, so, yeah, the Atari 2600 pretty much exploded, and the company of Atari just exploded from there, and they stopped numbering the games the way that they did. Like, you still have, like, CX numbers and whatnot, but they stopped numbering them, being like, this is game number five, or game number seven, or whatever, uh, just because they kept that system going and going and going, and then eventually Mattel... Uh, was just like, well, let's see. This is toys, video games. Let's do let's do that. So Mattel jumped in with Intelligent Television, which is the Intellivision, uh, and then Coleco, which was a toy manufacturer, but started off as making leather coats because <laughs> Coleco stands for the Connecticut Leather Company. Uh, they uh, got into wait, it wait, too. Wait, 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 wait. Coleco, Coleco Vision, Coleco started out as a coat company. Yeah, Con- the Connecticut Leather Company. That's Coleco. That's what, what? they are. I did not know that. Okay, keep going. Sorry, I'm just. Yeah, we'll <laughs> so come they, back. They we'll jumped in back. and they they took on Atari, and then the the crash happened and whatnot. And I was at the tail end of that. Um, my first system was an Atari Twenty Six Hundred Junior that my parents bought me at a KB Toys for like sixty bucks. The Junior was the remodeled one that was a lot smaller, and I still have mine. It still works like a dream because. You could skip an Atari 2600 across a lake and it would still work <laughs> fine when it landed on the other end. Um, but I, uh, I didn't really know anything about Nintendo when that had come out because I, I my, 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 uh, exposure to it was very limited. You know, I had only been to an arcade maybe once or twice in my life. I'd only ever really seen them at that point. And, um, I had seen games at my cousin's house who also had an Atari and they had one of theirs from the seventies. And I saw stuff like pitfall and I was just completely enamored by the fact that you could control what was happening on the television because that was such a novel idea, right? It's you're, you're a kid and kids now are like, well, I'm holding an iPad. I've got a supercomputer in my pants, but, uh, back then, like I can push buttons and make not just control what channel it's displaying, but interact with what's happening on the television. I thought that was amazing. Um, so when I got the Atari home and we got stuff like Pac-Man and Missile Command and Asteroids and Space Invaders, I was so enthralled by the artwork on the boxes. And I, I see this in my son, which which makes me incredibly happy. We just spent time with my in-laws. And their kid, uh, his cousin, plays video games like a lot of kids that I used to see when I worked at Funko land, they would, uh, their parents would just drop them off, go shopping and they would stand there with a controller in their hand and just zone out, just completely zone out. And like, of course they're experiencing the game and they're having fun, but they're completely zoned out. I was never like that with games. Games lit my imagination on fire. And it was these Atari games that really did it for me. Like looking at this box art for Missile Command. And you look up the box art for Missile Command, and then you look at the little squares and rectangles that are on the screen, and you fill in those dots. Yes. You fill fill in those blanks, connecting like this amazing. Like here's this guy with his helmet, and he's pressing all these buttons, and he's launching these missiles, and it's just this whole imagination thing. And I uh, I loved my Atari. It was my life. And uh, when I eventually moved on to an NES, I had played it at my friend's house, right? So I'm used to I'm used to Atari games, right? The most technologically technologically advanced thing was stuff like California games, where you have a lot of like uh, that Atari rainbow effect, or like the uh, the Activision sunset that's in a lot of their games. You know that kind of rainbow effect, and that's the most technologically advanced thing I've seen. And then I go over to our friend Joey's house. And he shows me his Nintendo Entertainment System. He boots up Super Mario Brothers, and the screen scrolls. I was like, "Are you kidding me? What?" I, I, it was the uh, life would never get better. How could it? The 2012 Ninja Turtle series. Have you seen that? 
I promise I have a through line to this. <laughs> have you seen what? In the 2012 CG Ninja Turtle series, when Michelangelo eats pizza for the first time, that was me with the NES. <laughs> just my eyes, my pupils dilated. There was fire everywhere. It was just like, I can't, I need to have this. I didn't get it for a little while because we didn't have a lot of money growing up. But man, when we got it, I finally got the, um, it must have been, it must have been 88, 87 or 88 that I got it because we, the system that we got, it was before Mario 3. Um, we got the one that came with the power pad, the zapper, Super Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt, and World Class Track Meet. Yes. And yeah, the bundle. Oh, yeah. That, that bundle pack was just like, it was so cool, right? Cause I'd played Mario Duck Hunt over at Joey's house and then I get Mario Duck Hunt, World Class Track Meet. Because my parents were like, well, this comes with the power pad, and then they could actually be active. And I loved the power pad. My sister and I went nuts for that thing. We would like be stomping on the floor, and things are falling off shelves because <laughs> you know, we live in this rickety house, and like we're just we're just pounding on the floor. Like, my parents would make us move the Nintendo down into the living room because they used to let us keep it up uh, up in one of the bedrooms. And they're like, no, no, you're not playing power pad up there because you're gonna fall through the damn floor. Like, just bring it downstairs and play it there. Um, God, we just love that. And and it wasn't just the games anymore because now like the graphics were so much better that I could connect the dots between the artwork on the boxes and the games better. Now, granted, the artwork on NES games is super cool, but it's not as amazing as some of that Atari stuff. Um, but it was still all this imagination and I was just in love with the worlds. And I dressed up as Link for Halloween and everyone thought I was Peter Pan because my mom made my costume because Link costumes didn't exist, you know? <laughs> there weren't toys for this stuff back then and i just obsessively moved from franchise to franchise i would draw pictures of my own video game system i would be secretly jealous of my friend who had a master system down the block but then i got like hardcore into the console wars like no nintendo all the way (laughs) it wasn't until it wasn't until the playstation actually the playstation one was what what sucked me out of that because um the greatest console of all time that's why i did it that's the profit that's the Je- that's the Jesus. Well, it was it was it was Castlevania because Ooh. I was such a huge fan of Castlevania, and I was I was okay with skipping Bloodlines for Genesis. Like it's a great game, but my friend had it. If I really wanted to play it, I could go to Greg's house and play Castlevania Bloodlines. But when Symphony of the Night happened, Ooh. I I was just like, I'm that's it. I can't stick with console exclusivity anymore. Because it's stupid. It, it, yes. And, dumb, and so that just game go is, where the games you want to play are. And it's it's such an unmissable game, right? Unmissable. Right? Especially at that. Yes. Nobody's doing 2D stuff at that time. And that was every all that promise of the Saturn, we were just ragging on them before for being like, well, we're gonna make the best 2D platform ever. Like, that was way more exciting to me than 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 polygons to an extent, right? Super Mario 64 was this amazing experience, but then when you look at something like Symphony of the Night and how few people were making games that used modern technology to beef up what was already happening on the, on the platforms like the Super Nintendo, like that's the evolution I wanted to see in Metroid. You see Super Metroid, which is this damn near flawless experience on the Super Nintendo, and then you see the gorgeous sprite work in something like Symphony of the Night, and you compare it to something like Battle Arena Toshin Den, like, that's night and day. I don't care how cool you think these 3D games are, I don't care how cool you think Resident Evil is, Symphony of the Night is fucking artwork, man. It is. This game is a. 
astounding, and it still holds up to this day. And it breaks my heart that everyone was so obsessed with making 3D games at the time. Now, granted, they had to because that's the that's evolution happening. That had to happen to get us to where we are today. And now, 2D and 3D games coexist wonderfully. But man, at that time, it was painful to me because I didn't like 3D games as much as I like 2D games. And when you see something like Symphony of the Night that really just takes that medium and goes so far with it in su- such a gorgeous direction, the CD quality audio, the the voice acting, the sprite work, the special effects, everything top to bottom, absolute masterpiece. And I, I, I couldn't pass it up. I couldn't, that it wasn't coming to Nintendo 64. The Castlevania we did eventually get on N64 was, while not nearly as bad as everyone makes it out to be, hardly a great game. And I just, I had to have a PlayStation. And then from there, it's, well, Parappa the Rapper, it's Final Fantasy VII, it's uh, Metal Gear Solid, Edge, Metal Gear Solid. Oh my God, Metal Gear Solid versus Ocarina of Time. What a time to be alive that was, right? <laughs> Holy crap on a stick. But yeah, that's that's where I come from. I, I was born of Atari, lit my imagination on fire, uh, then transitioned to Nintendo. I'm still a Nintendo whore to this day. I almost exclusively play Switch. I'm probably not buying a PS5 or Xbox Series X refrigerator, whatever that is. <laughs> um, I am a Nintendo fan through and through because they make the kinds of games that I like, but it was around Symphony of the Night that really taught me to properly respect the other platforms. And while I was secretly jealous of stuff like Sonic the Hedgehog, and I was furious when Blaster Master 2 only came out on Genesis because Blaster Master is one of my all-time favorite games. Yes. Blaster Master 2 is not all that great, but I don't care. It's still a sequel to Blaster Master. I still wanted it, God I damn learned, it. I wanted it desperately, but I learned to respect the other platforms. And going back was like to, to tie it back into the podcast, when we're doing the Summer Series stuff, I'm hitting games that I had never spent the time with before to really properly appreciate. And it was it was Symphony of the Night that really did it for me. Nice. Well, it doesn't surprise me that the PlayStation and Symphony of the Night are the catalyst for your enlightenment because those are both <laughs> those are both amazing. Greatest platform of all time is Super Nintendo. That's my that's that's it, my stance. It is. Look, you can make the argument for Super Nintendo. I grew up as a Genesis kid. We can I'll get into that a little bit later. But I, I admit <laughs> now that the the Super Nintendo is a superior console, better game choice, etc. And it would be my number two. But uh, the PlayStation One, I, I you know that I think that's like the glory days. Um, you brought up there's a couple things I wanted to respond to before I have uh, Dan go through his uh, his early childhood. It was uh, you talked about Symphony of the Night. Oh yeah, it was the first time I saw the enemy. I don't know if you, if you remember the bloody zombie. It's like very early in the game, and when, mm-hmm. and when you slash him, you, you slice him, and he goes yes, and then his blood his torso falls off, and a fountain of blood comes out. And I saw that my friends also named Joey. I had a friend named Joey too, and uh, I saw that his house, and I was like, "I fucking need that game right now!" <laughs> like whatever that is, that's amazing. Is uh, I need it. I need it. And yeah, I agree. Symphony of the Night. I play. It's probably the only. It's a single game that I've probably beaten the most. I've probably beaten it thirty, forty times at this. And maybe, each maybe time, it's fucking incredible, right? Yes, each time. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but um, that, and that's kind of back to what we were talking about. I really want to play the Saturn version. But uh, I can't get it to work on emulation, and so I'm yeah. I'm literally like I guess I'm gonna get a Saturn, get a ROM thing, get a HD, you know, a converter for the HD. Like, get I'm gonna spend all mm. this money just so I can <laughs> play the Saturn version of Symphony <laughs> of the Night. I, and I, I don't mean to be a shill for Stone Age gamer. I honestly wouldn't say any of that stuff if I didn't. Uh, it didn't 
believe it. Like, even if I didn't work for Stone Age Gamer, I'd think mode is the coolest thing. Um, but I will say this about the Saturn version of Symphony. It is more interesting than it is good. Um, the new areas are very cool. Playing as Maria is very cool, but it's, it's more of an interesting it's more of an interesting side note because it doesn't run as well as the PlayStation one. I've heard the that. I've heard that. The effect of Alucard yeah. moving isn't as awesome as it is in PlayStation. You know, that trail that happens behind him, it just doesn't, it, it's not as visually interesting on Saturn. And that takes a lot of the game's style, you know? Because I don't know about you, when I play that game, I'll do the superhero landing like all the time. <laughs> just, just, I'll hold down when I land just to watch the cape slowly fall back into place and then get back up and start throwing knives and stuff. Cause, I also, knives are my sub-weapon in that game, because knives suck in almost all the Castlevania games, but in Symphony of the Night, you can throw those things as fast as you can press the button, and, and I was raised on Mega Man, I can press buttons fast, and you can do some crazy damage with the knives in that game. Sweet, sweet. All right, um, and then I want to talk to Dan a little bit about, or Danny, about the ColecoVision. I've never had, uh, I had one guy on, he's, he's called 16-Bit on Instagram, he's a Canadian collector has a massive collection he uh-huh. talked a little bit about the coleco vision but he had like this um you guys might know more about it my memory's a little off it was like an atari 2600 clone but it was called like the coleco vision might or coleco vision magic or something i had like some other anyway well, I- there was an adapter for the coleco vision that let it play atari 2600 right. games right did that have a weird Let name? See, like, Chris is way more versed in that I think shit. it was just called Expansion Module, because um, I have one. I can't remember what it was called. Mm-hmm. I think it was just called the ColecoVision ex- you know, Expansion Module 1 or something like that. Um, and you could just plug Atari, Atari yeah. VCS carts right near ColecoVision. I see that on the, uh, the Wikipedia, the Atari 2600 Expansion. That might have been what he was talking about. Um, and that was a wild time to be alive, right? Where you could just be like, Fuck it, we're just going to make it Atari 2600 <laughs> for our system. Take us to court, prove it's yeah. illegal, because yeah. that shit was all yeah, new Yeah, imagine then. Sony being like, uh, you can buy this thing and now you can play Xbox games. That's right, you can play right? Halo on your PS4 now, because fuck yeah. it, why not? Right, and that's so insane now, but back then it was just like, there was no precedent for nah, it. Nah, man, it was, it was, it was the, the, the fucking the, Wild West back then. Exactly, yeah. so they could be like, sure, let's do it. Let's, let's make our ColecoVision play Atari games, then take us to court and figure out if it's legal. <laughs> what are the games you remember from ColecoVision? I'm not super familiar with that console, so give us like a crash course in the games you remember. So, so for me, growing up, um, the the ColecoVision really was uh, my babysitter as a kid, right? Because like, uh, not to get too much on, on a downer, but like a lot of kids in the '80s, I came from you know broken home, divorced parents who didn't like each other, all that shit. I don't know why we had a ColecoVision because I was super young. At the time, like, three, four years old, really not the right time to, to give a kid a video game system. But I think it was because the the two games that I played the most on there um, were, like, kind of safe properties that that my mom could kind of stick me over in the corner while she had, took care of whatever the fuck was going on in her life at the time. And I was safe, you know? So the, the two things that I played the most were Mousetrap, which is a really, really interesting Pac-Man clone. And then a Smurfs game. Off the board game? What's that? What's that? Is is Mousetrap based off the board game? I mean, like Mousetrap. I, I don't. It's an arcade. Yeah, game. it's an arcade uh, game. I don't know that it ever had anything to do with the board game. Um, because it didn't have like it doesn't have all the 
the bells and whistles of the board game. Like yeah. the dude, the the dude in the swim trunks that dives into the barrel and all that shit. But like, what what's really cool about Mousetrap is for for being a Pac Man clone, they took it and made it a little bit more interesting because the ColecoVision had this really fucking wackadoo controller. And if you've never seen it, what what it was, it had the, like an old telephone cord on it, right? So you see old movies from the seventies and eighties that have that that curly cord on it. It had one of the, it had a curly cord, and then there was a joystick in the center, and there was two buttons on the left and right hand side. But below the joystick, there was a, a numerical keypad, like on a phone, right? One to nine zero in the middle, pound sign the fucking star, and you could slip little inserts into it that would do different things in the game. So, you know, the first controller that I ever played on, it, it's one of the things where I find, like, we talked to um, we talked to Tommy Tallarico, we talked to Brett Weiss about it, and they were like, oh, man, these modern systems with all their buttons. I was like, yo, dude, I started on a Coleco that had, like, 14 buttons. It was the first video game thing I ever played. Yeah, but, I'm looking at a picture, picture right now. It's like, yeah, you guys got a dial, then it are the the gray buttons on the side like side buttons you can push, or is that like yeah, a, they're like they're action like buttons, like action a and buttons, B okay. buttons. You know what I mean? And the dial moved like a joystick yeah. too. It was it? It wasn't just a turn dial. It like that's like a little mini joystick. Oh, that thing can it doesn't yeah. just yeah. rotate. It's like a joystick, like a thumb yeah. joystick. Yeah. You want oh. a real nightmare? Look up the Intellivision controller. <laughs> but like, so that's a fucking wacky ass controller. But it really worked because in you could do different things. So like in Mousetrap, which, like I said, is essentially a Pac-Man clone. You're just a mouse going around. You got to eat these pieces of cheese. And there's a bunch of bones like scattered throughout the uh, throughout the map. And as you figure out your way through the maze, you eat all four bones. The mouse turned into a dog. And you chase after these cats like you would chase after the ghosts in Pac-Man. But there were also little trap doors that you could activate using the keypad as you went through the game and when you would have the specific insert for mousetrap, it would have little pictures on it. So you didn't have to remember, like as a kid, it really worked for me, you know, cause it's like three, four years old. I really, you know, I couldn't read all that well at that point. So, you know, but I could look at the picture and be like, all right, this button here activates this door because it looks like the picture that's on the screen or this thing does this or this, whatever the game was. Right. So I could make my way through it. And I just, I loved Mousetrap. And it's one of those properties that has fallen off completely and is never talked about again because ultimately it is an inferior uh, version of Pac Man. Like the, the mazes in Pac Man are more interesting. The game controls better. But as a little kid, I didn't know any better. But then the other game that I, that I played a ton of was the Smurfs. Right. Smurfs was a gigantically successful cartoon show because that, that video games and, and cartoons were, you know, my 80s babysitter, right? I grew up on He-Man and G.I. Joe and Transformers and Thundercats and all of the, like, the classic 80s franchises. But Smurfs was one of them, too. So there's a Smurfs video game. I got the game. And it's just this really basic side-scrolling platformer. But I just, I was blown away at how close to the cartoon it looked to me as a kid. You know, and it, it's... I mean, even looking at it now, it's its a really impressive it, visual. Yeah, it is. I'm watching, I'm watching it right now. I'm like, this actually looks almost as good as an NES. Right? Like, right. It's in close. the yeah, very early this 80s. It blows Atari out of the water. Oh, it water, does. It, visually yeah. speaking. Like, the 2600 ain't getting anywhere near this. So, playing through that, and it's a really simple game. 
you know, which is, it, it's just basic, a basic platform where you have to jump over shit or jump on ledges and like it's one hit insta death kind of thing. But, you know, I just, I played through those and just loved them. And then as, as my mom and I moved around, you know, from, we bounced around from place to place and we eventually ended up living somewhere where they, we kind of lived in like the back part of the house and the people that lived in the front part of the house had kids that were a little bit older than me. It was this, this girl named Paige, right? And if I was like, if I was seven, right, Paige was 10 and I just, I was fucking enamored with this girl. I thought she was the coolest thing in the world. She taught me how to ride a bike, but she also had an NES and robbed the robot. And I went oh, over. I a went cute over. Cute girl to, with an NES. Cute, Damn, cute girl, NES, and a fucking robot. Like in the late eighties, <laughs> dude. A fucking robot. That was the dream, man. It was holy shit. You have a robot that works, and no, it fucking doesn't. But you had a robot that works. My God, I love you. Please marry me. I don't even fucking like <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't have words to explain the feelings that I'm having right now. And I just, she, you know, she showed me that and I was just like, oh my God, this is the coolest thing in the world. And I went home and I was like, mom, I have to get an NES. Paige has an NES. Please fucking get me an NES so I can be cool like her. And my mom was one of those moms who was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And she came home with a master system because it was cheaper. (laughs) <laughs> and like that meme that goes around now of like the NES we have at home, you know, that's what I had. I had a, so I got a master system and I actually ended up really, really loving the master system. There's some really awesome games. And what I thought was so cool about it, and it probably pushed me into the type of person that I am now of all of my friends had a Nintendo. I had the master system. So while all of them were talking about the games that they played and I would go over to their house and play those games, my house was the only one where they could come play Action Jackson or My Hero or Wonder Boy or Psycho Fox or all these other fucking crazy games. Like I was the one who got to show them that. And I really, really loved that part of it. And then eventually... You know, my uh, I got an NES and and kind of fell in love with. I, I've never been a Mario fan. Um, it, it's just I I've always been massively impressed by the by the lesson that the original Super Mario Brothers was able to teach the entire world of that that first level, World One One in Super Mario Brothers, is the most brilliantly designed level of a video game ever because it had the responsibility of teaching the world how to play video games in a new way and make it understandable for absolutely everybody. And it fucking nails it. And it's, it's just such a massive achievement, but I, I've, I've just never been a Mega Man or, or a Mario fan. I've always been a Mega Man guy or Kid Icarus or Metroid. Like those were always the games that I gravitated towards. And I was like, this is really cool, but I really like my Sega. Eventually, I blew up my Sega, my master system, because I used to switch the power pack, right? That big fucking brick that you would plug into the back of it. I had my Nintendo and my master system hooked up to my little old 13-inch TV in my bedroom, and I would just switch the power system behind it. And the uh, power, the adapter for the NES was more powerful than the... Because what the fuck do I know about <laughs> suggested volts and shit? 
I it goes in hole. It Put goes in, in the hole. Exactly. It goes in the <laughs> yeah. hole. It makes the thing go g- turn on. Right. I still don't really understand it. So, like, let's you know, we're being honest. But I did. I didn't know it was more powerful. And I was playing a game on my master system, and I heard a pop, like a very faint pop, and my master system shut off. I was like, dude, what the fuck? Is, like, my my shit. Like, I was freaking out. So I took the thing apart. Like, I was going to figure out what to do with it. And I saw that there was a piece in there that even though I didn't know what I was looking at, I was pretty sure it should not be cracked in half. Like, it was noticeably jagged and split, and I'd blown up the power source for it. Like, on the motherboard. Son of a bitch. All right, so I guess I'm just going to play Nintendo. And then eventually, we got to the point where I I went over and spent some time at my cousin's house, and for Christmas, he got the the bundle of the Super Nintendo that had a Legend of Zelda linked to the past. And right, before oh, we yeah. before we'll, we'll switch oh. over to Chris for we'll switch back over to Chris yeah. for the yeah. uh for the next generation. But before we do that, can I take a quick pee? Absolutely. Please. I drink oh my goodness. Beers. I'm dying. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be back. Uno momento. Sweet, let's do uh so we kind of pushes us next to the Genesis Super Nintendo. I know you were saying link to pass, but let's Switch back to Chris. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did you um go to Super Nintendo or Genesis after? Oh, I went to. I was diehard Nintendo. Oh yes, all the yes, way yes, up yes, to yes. PlayStation. Yes. So when the Super Nintendo was coming out, I didn't have a subscription to Nintendo Power because, like I said, we didn't have much in the way of money, and my uh, parents weren't uh, willing to throw that in there. So I would see pictures at Nintendo Powers at my friend's house, and ah. Uh, I remember seeing the pictures of the the bonsai bill before it had a mouth on it. It was like the first screenshot printed of Super Mario World in the back of Nintendo Power, and I was just like, oh, because I had played Altered Beast in the arcade, right? So I had some taste of what a 16-bit game was going to look yeah, like, but oh yeah. my god, Super Mario World is uh, is to this day top five of my favorite games of all time. I think it's just damn right, damn near perfection. and. So we got the Super Nintendo just about at launch, because my sister and I were like, we were saving up, we were begging, we were doing everything we could, and I don't know how it worked out the way that it did, but we got a Super Nintendo right near when the system launched, and we took home, Super Super Mario World was packed in, we got the Super Mario World Super Set with uh, that and two controllers, and they also bought us F-Zero, and... We, uh, we, uh, my sister played more F Zero than I did because she was just way better at it. I, I just couldn't get anywhere in it until uh, until I spent more, way more time playing it. Uh, but I was just obsessed with Super Mario World because it was everything. It did everything Super Mario Brothers Three did, but in my opinion, better. And it's one of those, it's one of those constant old school arguments. You know, like what's better, Mega Man Two or Three? I go Three. What's better, Mario Three or Mario World? I go World. And it really just plays on. N- neither one is is objectively better because it comes down to your sensibilities. There are things, the things that I like about Mega Man, I think three does better than two. The things I like about Mario, I think World does better than three. But the colors, the the commercial for it, the commercial for Super Mario World, where the the announcer is like, suddenly the world is a little, a, the world is a little bluer. The sky is a little, the the, the world is more dangerous. The sky is bluer. The grass is greener. The jumps are harder. The challenge is a whole lot tougher. It's, it's an amazing commercial. It's my favorite commercial for anything ever. I love it to death. Um, but getting the Super Nintendo was one thing. Playing Super Mario World, blowing my mind was was something else. Seeing F Zero and Mode Seven, complete craziness. 
But inside of the Super Nintendo box was a poster. And that poster had all these screenshots for like six different games on them, right? So this is like, this is the launch for the Super Nintendo. You got Super Play Action Football. You got Sim City. All the way at the bottom, you got Zelda 3. I'm like, huh? there's a third one? <laughs> what? Because Zelda was my obsession, right? Loved Mario. Lived, breathed Mario, Mega Man, Kid Icarus, everything Nintendo. But Zelda was a, a league above the rest, right? Zelda and Zelda 2 were just like... I had, I, they had to take away the Nintendo because it was a nightmare when I lost my save data for Zelda 2, right? <laughs> so Zelda, you like Zelda 1 and... You like Zelda 2? What's that? You like Zelda 2? Oh, I love Zelda 2. Yes, I me too. I love Zelda 2. It's, it's, I wouldn't say it's a great Zelda game because like now that there's a Zelda formula, yeah. that doesn't really fit in anymore. Yeah. But at the time, it was Zelda and Zelda 2. There was only two of them. So you couldn't say one was more Zelda than the other because... This could just be where the evolution of the series was going. It's like saying, well, yeah, Simon's Quest isn't exactly a great game, but it laid the groundwork for the Vania part of Metroidvania, right? That was a game about exploring and backtracking. So, yeah, while that one wasn't great, that turned into Symphony of the Night. I wish they would go back to some Zelda 2 stuff, man. I wish they would make a modern Zelda game that played like an evolution of Zelda 2. Like, quick tangent... Have you played much Mario Maker 2 by any chance? Mario Maker 2? No, I have not. The Mario Maker 2 on the Switch, they added, um, you could get a sword in the Mario 1 style and play as Link, right? And when you play as Link, you can throw bombs, you can shoot arrows, but it's the Zelda 1 sprite. But you get this taste of, like, what if they added arrows and bombs to a side-scrolling platformer like Zelda 2... This would be amazing. Have you played the Super Mar? It's like Super NES All Stars. It's a ROM hack where it puts in like uh, I think it's Super NES All Stars. It's like Ninja Gaiden, Zelda, Mario, Mega Man. But you play through Mario, but you can basically pick. Oh, Super Mario Crossover! Crossover, yes, that's what it's called. That game's amazing. Again, I didn't understand why they went with the Zelda 1 sprite when you had the perfectly good Zelda 2 sprite in that game, but whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Super Mario crossover is outstanding. Reg- anyway, so A Link to the Past, I saw this picture that I lost my mind over Zelda 3, right? We finally get that game, and when you walk outside and it's raining, and uh, you see the drops of rain yes, hitting the ground, it's yes, like, oh. yes. A Link to the Past is, is is just one of the most perfect games ever. It, 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 there's almost nothing wrong with that game, top to bottom, floor to ceiling, flawless design. It is incredible. It's as fun to play today as it was back then. I just played through it in front of my son, and he was completely enthralled the entire time. Can't say that about every game in the world. Like, we're playing through the Game Boy ones right now, and he's like, meh. But <laughs> Link to the Past... Link to the Past was was his world, man. He couldn't stop talking about it. He loved it. And then the Super Nintendo, that evolution is my favorite time in video game history. The jump from 8 to 16-bit will never not blow me away. Like, jumping from Mario 3 to Mario World, amazing. Uh, Zelda 1 and 2 to Link to the Past, just incredible castlevania to super castlevania 4 mega man to whatever number they were five up to that that one at that point to mega man x mega man six yeah. came out after mega x, man x was right? like 
Oh, uh, when I saw it. Oh my god, Mega Man X is amazing. That, that music, that, it sounds like electric guitars, it's that, that evolution. Like, this is what Mega Man looked like, and now this is what Mega Man looks like. And even Mega Man 7, same basic principle, right? How are they going to make dead-eyed Mega Man look like still look like dead-eyed Mega Man in, in 16-bit <laughs> style? They pulled that shit off, man. Mega Man 7's amazing. But all that evolution, that was my favorite time ever in gaming, seeing, well, what does it look like when you take something that looks like this, that's a basic interpretation of what a drawing is, and then you get to the next level where you can actually see, like, well, now we can see all the details. God, when Super Metroid, that was one of my all-time favorite moments. Playing Super Metroid for the first time was just incredible. I'll, n- I'll never forget, I walked in with CVS, and there was a copy of Game Fan, and there was a picture of Super Metroid on the cover. I had never heard of Super Metroid at that point. I was like, oh my god, there's going to be another Metroid game? Blah! And uh, <laughs> it's just, it's, how does Nintendo ga- make games this good? And when I finally played that game, again, starts with Rain. Well, not starts with Rain. After that whole intro sequence on the, the space station where you fight Ridley, you're like, oh my god, Ridley's back! He's got the baby Metroid! I went through hell trying to fix that thing in Metroid <laughs> Too, right? I blew up SR388, thank you very much, and I saved that baby Metroid. You give that baby back! And he didn't give it back. He flew away and he flies to planet Zebus. Of all places, he goes back to the place of the original Metroid. It doesn't look anything like the place. It's raining everywhere and you get out and you see Samus' footprints. You hear the footprints as she's walking on the ground there's little splashes of puddle, little bits of rain underneath her footprints that go away when you go inside the first cave because it's not raining in the fucking cave. <laughs> Absolutely incredible st- attention to detail. Blew my goddamn mind. But then I go down a little bit further, right? Because there's only one place you can go. So you start going down, you open up a door. Holy shit, I'm in the ending of the NES Metroid. I just watched the intro to this where they're showing 16-bit renditions of all the stuff that happened in Metroid and Metroid 2. And I'm like, I can't believe how fucking amazing this is. I'm like crying at the sight of this intro. And now I'm at the ending of Super Metroid and I can see what happened after I blew up that place. Because you just, you didn't blow up the planet, you laid a fucking bomb. And there's smoke and ruined shit everywhere. So I'm like, all right, I'm following this shit down. You go all the way down to the bottom, you turn to right, there's Mother Brain's corpse from the end of the game and all that other shit. You blow up broken glass all over the place. I can't believe this shit's happening. But then you go to the next room, everything's fixed. I can't go any further in a Tory and there's an elevator here where there wasn't before and everything is clean. But the lights are still off. Okay, you go down this <laughs> elevator. Where does it take you? To the first fucking screen of the original Metroid. Are you kidding me? There's a background now. It's not just black in the background. You can see all the stones and all this other crazy shit. You go to the left. Let's see. Is the morph ball still there? The fucking morph ball is still there. But then a camera turns on. You're just like, oh my god, now something knows that I'm here. And you do a little bit more adventure. You go back upstairs. The fucking lights are on. Oh shit, you go into that next room, now there's space pirates everywhere, and I fucking died. Super Metroid is amazing, it is so goddamn good in every conceivable level, and that was the Super Nintendo to me, and as amazing as the PlayStation was, as absolutely outstanding as Soul Blade, any game that you can name for the PlayStation, it'll never replace that experience of just like, well this is what gaming was before, we have perfected that. PlayStation has a lot of experiments. There's a lot of really ugly fucking polygons all over the place. <laughs> and it's genius. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It is one of the most important pieces of video game history. But Super Nintendo took everything that was amazing about the most amazing system on the planet at the time, which was the NES, and made it unfathomably better just took all those experiences i could do the i could do the same freak out session for a link to the past and mega man x and all that other stuff it was just magic it was unbelievable magic that just just owned my entire fucking life and it looked ridiculous with the swirly skirt looking thing on the bottom and the big purple buttons but i didn't care because it was 
absolutely amazing playing these games. Fucking Street Fighter 2? You kidding me? I go to my cousin's house and like check this game out. I'm like, okay, what is this? Some kind of final fight? Oh my, it's just two people fighting each other. I'd never seen a game like that before because I never played fucking Urban Champion because who did? <laughs> that game was a pile of turds. But I'm playing, I'm playing Street Fighter 2 and I'm like, I'm like, dad, you gotta come in here and see this. My dad doesn't give a shit about video games. It's like, look at this. It's just the two, the, the two fighting against each other. That's it. And they like stand there and they have these idle animations because I had never seen an idle animation before that was fucking super nintendo because i didn't see it in the arcade that system's amazing that system is absolutely amazing yeah you uh that's how i feel about the playstation one i can go on rants like that and i agree with you 100 percent. like there's you didn't say anything wrong the only reason why i weigh the playstation one maybe like two percent higher than the nes one is completely subjective and biased meaning those because i was just a few years behind you those experiences for me, like, this is the next level. The jump from 16 to 32, that's when I... Ex- and it, it also kind of aligns, like, your age. Something be like, around 12 to 15 is when, like, things are the most magical. Yeah. For, for, yeah. Especially for boys. I mean, I don't know what it's like to be a girl, but I, mean, I know what it's like to be a boy. And something about those times, like, th- that, that's, like, that's, like, the prime time to have your mind blown. But uh, the reason why, objectively, where I could maybe make a semi-rational argument that the PlayStation 1 might be, um, like, just have the slight edge is because it, you mentioned the experiments. Like, that's where a lot of 3D, what has now become the standard, that was the system where all those experiments were played out, and a lot of Mm -hmm. the formulas and the standards and the practices that are now just commonplace for gaming were born, is that era. Well, that's why if, if, if that was the argument and, and uh, this is just a fun conversation to have. I'm not trying to convince you either way because like you got to go where your heart is. But if, if that's the argument from where, from my perspective, that's PlayStation 2 because that's why I like Super Nintendo better than NES because it took all the stuff the NES did and then it did it right. And so you look at all those experiments and stuff on the PlayStation 1, but I, I keep going back to Soul Blade, right? Because it was one of my favorite PlayStation 1 games. I played relentless hours of, of Soul Blade. But then you look at Soul Calibur on the Dreamcast, and that thing is perfect. And it does everything that Soul Blade does, but better, except have Lee Long. Because why, <laughs> of all the characters, to never come back as Lee Long? What the hell? But it has Lizard uh, anyway, Man. And that is it has all Lizard you Man, need. But like... But like the PlayStation 2, Dreamcast, PS2, Xbox, GameCube, that era was where 3D gaming finally didn't look ugly. With PlayStation 1 and N64 and Saturn, what hurt me so much about that era is that we had gotten to stuff like Super Metroid and Mega Man X. We had gotten to sprite work that looks like what it's supposed to look like, and then it went back to Atari. You know, because then all of a sudden we're looking at Virtua Fighter, and while on one hand that's amazing, I'm going. I've gone back to looking at a bunch of squares, and I didn't want to take that step back. I wanted to see more stuff like Symphony of the Night, and that generation didn't really experiment with that. And in fact, even the generation after that, it wasn't until like PS3 and 360 that we started seeing this indie game revolution, where you start getting things like Cave Story that are reinventing, reinventing like, no, we're not done with pixel art yet. Look what we can do now, and. I do 100% agree that the PlayStation was this just amazing bedrock of where gaming came from, modern gaming came from, and not just from the actual games themselves, just the and the entire uh, personality of that platform. It was, Nintendo was like, 
okay, this is, this stuff is for kids. We're going to put this in the boys department and toys are us. Like this is video games are toys. And the PlayStation was like, video games are entertainment. Yep. They were the ones that took that out of the toy department and put it in the entertainment department because this didn't just play video games. This played your music CDs and PlayStation two rocked the whole world on top of that again by popularizing DVDs. That format wouldn't be what it is without the PlayStation and the PlayStation wouldn't be where it is without DVDs. They, they were inextricably linked and that kind of stuff that this is what the PlayStation brand did for video games. I would also say and, the PlayStation I'm, I might be wrong. You guys might have a better memory. I can't think of a console that had like truly adult-oriented games before the PS One. There might have been like the 3D Out, outliers at best. I mean, the Genesis really looked at stuff like that was was cool and hardcore. But no, when you're getting stuff like Resident Evil, yes, that, that didn't that exist. Couldn't before. have existed yeah. before. Yeah, and like most. It, it, it's partially because technologically yeah. it couldn't have existed. Yeah. Before. How do you take How do you take a game like that seriously? A you know? lot of the stuff, like I, I would, I would say that like a lot of the stuff that existed that was more adult oriented was on like PC. At the time, like you look back, yes, at something yeah, like yes. Leisure Suit Larry and whatever, but yes. like because that is absolutely an an adult oriented game, but it's not a very serious game, right? Like no. it, it's it's funny, and like I know more kids that played that game than adults that played Leisure Suit Larry because it was like I can go bang a hooker, awesome. This is super <laughs> funny to me, you know. Where like as an adult, I can't imagine taking that game very very seriously, but like like you're saying. You know, something like Resident Evil, that is absolutely not a game for children, right? That that game... Or even, even, even is, Metal Gear Solid. You guys yeah, talked even, about that. Yeah. Like, even... Like, yeah, Metal no, Gear Solid uh, is so... Because that, like... That, I know, for me, was one of the things that pushed me into eventually getting a PlayStation. Like, I, I went from, you know, the, the Sega Master System... And the NES to the I didn't get an SNES at first. I didn't get an S, uh, a Super Nintendo until Street Fighter Two, because I played that game relentlessly in the arcade at the Deptford Mall in Deptford, New Jersey. I would play the shit out of Street Fighter Two, and I was really good. And I didn't get a home console until I was like, "That looks fucking perfect." And I know it's on the Genesis as well. Um, but this one has six buttons, so this is the controller I'm going to use. I don't have to buy anything else. I'm good. I could just play Street Fighter Two on here, and everything's great. I actually went to the Turbo Graphics before that. Oh, right. Let's again, talk about that. Yeah, like again. Well, real quick yeah, before yeah. you jump into that, I want to clarify a point about the the mature video games aimed at adults. PlayStation One did it as similar to the way that Atari did it with cartridges in the mm. first place the the channel f came first right that came out before the atari cdi actually hit in 1990 and that was a machine that was aimed at this higher end adult style game with stuff like voyeur yeah and right now it didn't actually come out when it it didn't really focus on being a games machine until a little bit later but that and the pc space like dan said that was kind of where you were starting to see cd-rom take that technology into the future and it was playstation that really kind of PlayStation popularized it. PlayStation was the one that did it right. Yes, so I agree. You can definitely attribute it to like it existed before that. But it's like it's like saying that well, yeah, analog sticks existed before the N sixty four, but it wasn't until the N sixty four that they became mainstream popular. They were the ones that did it. 
that that first did it right that got it into people's hands and made made it synonymous with their product. Yeah. So yeah, they have mature games like that. That was PlayStation. They definitely deserve the credit, but there was stuff like, unfortunately, the CDI <laughs> that existed that existed before it. Um, well, and the, the CDI that, that were, that were the same as, well. as the 3DO, or is that different? Different, different animal. Um, okay, it's a similar type of situation, uh, as in they were um, designed to be a platform and like a, a, a platform that you could license and like any company could make a CDI unit. Uh, similar to the 3DS, we have like Panasonic and Gold Star and whatnot. In fact, Sony was originally involved in the development of the CDI. Uh, the problem is the CDI is a pile of garbage. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just not a very well-designed uh, platform. It's not. Yeah. And does a quick other side note, and I, I, I hate to keep drawing off on tangents, but when you're talking about stuff like we were talking about the Saturn being tough to emulate, CDI is this entire library that's all, that's also... There's no good emulation for CDI stuff out there because who's going to put in who's going to put in the time and the effort to emulate a CDI, right? Most yeah, of the games are garbage, right. but those games exist, and there's no good way to play all that stuff. Like I just wrote about um, the, the upcoming issue of Nintendo Force. I just wrote about we're doing a whole thing on on the history of Mario, and I did a whole thing on Hotel Mario, which is a fascinating, weird little game. But that's never getting re-released, because Nintendo doesn't want anyone to ever play that game again. But that happened. That's a game. And emulating that kind of stuff, or the CDI Zelda games, or Burn Cycle, or any other the weird games that existed on the CDI, that's going away, because nobody's that big of a fan to preserve the CDI stuff. So it, it's just a weird footnote in history, and, and super unfortunate. Let's talk about TurboGrafx. <laughs> Yeah, like, I know for me, like, the, the big thing was, this is the system that not everybody has, so this is the one I'm going to gravitate towards, right? I'm, I'm going to do this, this fucking counterculture, like, oh, you like that? It's popular? It's fucking stupid. I'm going to go do this other thing, right? So, yeah, a very, very, like, very punk rock attitude as a kid, and still, I mean, fucking to this day, too, but like a much nicer, a mellowed out punk rock kind of thing now. <laughs> but, like, the other thing for me was that, as a little kid, I got obsessed with kung fu movies, I got obsessed with horror movies, and then I saw the TurboGrafx-16 had China Warrior, which had characters on the screen that were bigger than anything I had ever seen, and dude fucking looked like Bruce Lee, and I was like, shit, that is something I have to have. And then I saw Splatterhouse, and I was like, this is fucking cooler than yes. anything my friends have. Splatterhouse hmm. is mature, it's adult, I'm cool enough to handle it, nobody else is cool enough, and I'm going to be the one that's <laughs> going to show all my friends, like, you guys are playing this shit, come over here, you could be basically fucking Jason, but like a good Jason, <laughs> and just whoop ass. <laughs> and I was, oh, dude, I was blown away by the Turbo Graphics, and I fucking loved loved that system for for years and years and i will still i will die on the hill that the fucking turbo graphics is one of the most underrated systems the games that are out for that like that that system gave me my love for for shmups like blazing lasers is just i jesus christ that game is, is just a masterpiece right like you fall lords of thunder right like oh dude you fall lords in love with thunder. shooters on that game yeah and just oh, it was it was just this incredible, incredible experience. And I, and it looked right like it looked 
in my eyes, so much better than what Nintendo looked like. And, and, you know, going back and looking at it now, like some of the games absolutely looked better than Nintendo games, but some of them were like, eh, no, this is pretty, this is actually just kind of, kind of an NES system and that's fine. But, you know, like, like I said, things like, like China Warrior, things like Splatterhouse, Legendary Axe, I just thought was this incredibly cool game that we went, we did that, what, Chris, two years ago? For the summer series, we went back and looked at Legendary Axe, I think, two or three years ago. Oh, it must have been. Yeah, it was a yeah, while like ago. We, we, we've gone back, and every time we return to, to TurboGrafx stuff, it's like, oh my god, this is just an incredible system. But then eventually, like I said, uh, Street Fighter Two came out. And as a kid growing up who's obsessed with Kung Fu movies, and then yeah, I, I had played, yeah. right? Like, I played the original Street Fighter in the arcade. And I was like, man, I could, even then I could see there's a really cool idea here. This game is just fundamentally broken and really doesn't work very well. But man, if they ever get this right, this is going to be a, a, a big fucking deal. And then Street Fighter 2 came out and I, it just, it just changed the goddamn world. You know, video games are where they are now, largely in part to things like Street Fighter 2. And once once that was going to be ported to a home console, it really, my only decision between, like, what, what's the next system I'm going to get? You know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to mow lawns and I'm going to do what I have to do to, to get a new video game system. What am I going to do? I'm going to get the one that can play Street Fighter the best. And that eventually ended up with, with the Super Nintendo. But like I was saying earlier, you know, going over to my cousin's house and seeing A Link to the Past really kind of cemented the fact that like that to me that that first opening sequence in a link to the past is the biggest watershed moment i've ever had in gaming like i i was a fundamentally different kid after playing through that that game and experiencing that game because the jump like chris was saying that jump from 8-bit to 16-bit was so huge and the the level of emotion that I felt going through that original sequence in a link to the past is something that has really never been replicated. And, and I, and I am, you know, on the show, Chris is the Nintendo guy. I am the Sony guy because I am a, a Sony whore at this point and very proud of it. I still play my Vita. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I fucking love this, the Sony systems, but I've still never had an experience for all the great things that I've had on on Sony platforms, I've never had an experience like that opening sequence in a link to the past where I was just like, fuck, things are different now. All right, Dan, I have a question for you. I can't believe I've never asked this. Oh my God. Yeah. All right. When you played a link to the past, did you know that there was more game after you got the third pendant? Mm -hmm. Nope, I didn't. Me neither. neither. Nope, I had no I didn't. Idea. Wasn't that amazing? Yeah, Dude, that like you beat oh Agonim, and you're like, oh, cool. I guess I finished. This game's a little shorter than I yeah. imagined. Yeah. <laughs> that's only that's only happened to me twice. Um, and it, it, the first time linked to the past. The second time a game we've already talked about is Symphony of the Night. Upside yep. down castle. Yep. Upside down castle. Yeah. You're going, yes, that was incredible. We're in Clock Tower. Are you fucking kidding me? That shit's insane. Yeah, dude. Like I, my my cousin and I sat in his bedroom. And we were upset that we had gotten to the point where we were like, fuck, the game's over? over? No, it's yep. not. No, it's no, not. It's you not. have this entire... You're not even halfway you're not even done. Halfway done. And like, <laughs> not it, even halfway. Oh, yeah. man. It, it's, it's one of the things now where like, 
you know, Chris and I have talked about this a bunch on our show. I don't know how you feel about it, Kay, but like Chris and I are kind of similar in that if there's a movie coming out, right? Like the, the last Star Wars movie was the one we talked about the most. Star Wars Episode Nine is coming out. I already know that I want to go see it, right? So I, you don't need to show me trailers to get me hyped. It's a new Star Wars movie. I'm fucking excited. We watched like the first trailer and then that was it. I don't want to see anymore. I don't want to know any more about what's coming. I want to be surprised by these things because trying to get back to that feeling of Symphony of the Night where you're like, are you fucking serious? This game that I love to pieces is, is I'm halfway through. You're giving me more of this fucking thank you. Jesus Christ, Igarashi. Thank you so much. Right, I know he's you not know the only one. What came close to that for me on that game, but what came close to that for me was the messenger. The messenger right? is the You're same way. The messenger, yeah. and then all of a sudden, this is like, and now it's a Metroidvania. Enjoy, son like, of a bitch. <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> that was really cool. You know, so that's a great. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm super yeah. stoked about their new game, Sea of Stars. Side oh, track. oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! There's so much Chrono Trigger in there, including the music. I yes. can't freaking wait. Yeah, I posted about. I've I've preached that game enough. People who follow me are going to be like, shut the hell up. We get it. Sea of Stars is going to be dope, but I'm like, super no, stoked. No, you don't get it. You don't get it. If you think dope is a strong enough word, you do not understand. Yeah, but, I, uh, uh yeah. Link, to the, link to the past, I remember not only was like, oh, the game keeps going, but this, I think it's pretty soon after you go to the dark world. I can't remember exactly when someone talks to you. And says that the seven, the seven sages or the seven princesses, whatever. Yeah. And you realize that there's not just three more dungeons, there's seven more dungeons. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and when they start talking about Ganon, like, no, 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 no Ganon's a thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, it's just yes. like, oh shit. Cause I, well, I grew up watching the Mario Super Show, right? So it wasn't just Zelda one and two. It was like, Ganon was the villain, right? Ganon was the thing. And once he starts getting talked about, like, no, 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 Ganon's here. All right. He's not just some fa- shadowy figure that stole the Triforce and blah, blah, blah. And now you got to fight Aghanim. No, no. You got to face off against fucking Ganon. Yes. And, oh my God. That the, fight I, was also, incredible. backtrack. I just looked up this game. China Warrior on the Turbo Graphics 16 because I never heard of it. Oh, really? Oh, really? This looks amazing. I mean, it's like the old Kung Fu game, but way b- like that it's, Kung Fu that, NES game. That's what I'm saying, man. But, like, I loved way Kung better. Fu on the NES. I loved, like, fucking My Hero on the Master System, which is a fucking one hit kill game with, like, a dude in a blue jumper. It's really weird. But I fucking love that game, too. But I, I love those side scrolling, you know, Kung Fu games. And then I saw China Warrior, and I was like, are you fucking kidding? This is incredible. This looks like a movie. <laughs> it certainly is an impressive looking it, game. It's not the most it's fun not thing to play. It's super fun to play. But, but I didn't care, because like, like I said, growing Look up- Look at the size of those sprites. That's dude, insanity. As, as a little kid, growing up on the East Coast, the, the, the television channel that we got out of Philadelphia was Philadelphia 57. Philly 57. Philly 57, man. And on Saturdays- Philly 57 showed WWF wrestling in the morning back when it was still WWF. That's because I'm fucking old. Um, and then they would show a Shaw Brothers Kung Fu movie. And then certain weeks it would be that Kung Fu movie would either be followed by like another Kung Fu movie or it would be some kaiju shit like Ultraman or Godzilla or whatever. So I was a little kid. I'm fucking in heaven. You know what I mean? Like Saturday morning cartoons wrestling kung fu kaiju like this is my shit (laughs) and then i see this china warrior game i'm like oh my god dude like this this looks like a shaw brothers film 
You know, and if you go back and play it now, you're like, not really doesn't, but to like an, a nine-year-old, like, that was mind-blowing, man. These sprites would have definitely blown my mind had I ever been exposed to this as a kid. Oh my god, dude, I had had to have it. And then Splatterhouse on top of that. Like I said, like, Splatterhouse is just one of those games where I felt so cool to be able to introduce all of my neighborhood friends, because like a good East Coast, you know, middle-class family, I grew up in a development, right? Other parts of the country call it a subdivision, but same basic idea. Bunch of houses all look the same, fucking tiny boxes. You know, we all live here, and all my friends that went to school, I was like, yo, you got to come over and, and and play this Splatterhouse game. Like, it felt it felt dangerous to be playing that game at such a young age. Like, we were doing something we weren't supposed to be doing. Because it looked like the... Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, Oh, yeah. Because Splatterhouse 3, for me, on the... I think it's Je- Genesis. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That's the only one I played. But I grew up really, really, really hard. Like in a high demand is a nice way of saying a cult. Like a really hardcore religion. Sure, and we were sure, very, sure, sure. We were very like anything to, you know demonic or whatever was like looked down upon. And I somehow got a hold of Splatterhouse because my parents weren't paying attention. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I it was like I had this weird feeling of. This is evil, but also this is so cool. I can't not play it. But right, I feel you guilty had to. because, because you know, and that the opening level on Splatter, Splatterhouse three, you're like trying to save your wife, and then she ends up getting killed and eaten, yeah, and like ripped in half by the first monster. And then you put the mat, the mask already on. The mask starts talking to you, and it's like oh, telling you about getting revenge and feel the so anger. So dope. Oh, such a dope game, dude. It's oh, so, so good. good, dude. It's so and so like, good. That, that was the thing, like. You know, like I said, being born in 1980, right, that was the perfect time growing up, like Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, all of those movies hit at a time where I wasn't allowed to watch them, but I have very distinct memories of sneaking around to the VCR in the front of my house. You know, my mom and I were living with my grandmother and my grandfather for a little while, and my mom was out at work, and my grandfather was, uh, you know, was like taking a nap. And my grandma was working a shift at the local diner. So I like snuck into the front room to watch. They had rented Friday the 13th part three or whatever. You know, the first one where I, and I don't remember if it's that that's the actual one where Jason gets his mask for the first time, but whatever one that was, I remember watching that movie as a little kid when I wasn't supposed to. So then I could get a video game of this character that looked like the thing I wasn't supposed to do. I had to have, like, I just had to have it, man. Did you, did either one of you, did your parents ever, because I remember, I don't know what year the ESRB ratings came out, but I know it was somewhere between uh, Streets of Rage 2 and 3, because I own Streets of Rage 1 and 2. When Streets of Rage 3 came out, they had a rating system, and it was rated teen, and my parents said I couldn't have it. And I was like, but I have the first two games, and they're totally fine. (laughs) I thought that would be (laughs) justification. Uh, but and they go, oh really? And then they just took those two games away. Oh, because, dude, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, it backfired on me. So, but Splatterhouse for sure would have been. I mean, I can't remember. But like, did either one of you, your parents, pay attention to that, or they just kind of like it keeps them occupied? I don't care. That that's what it was for me, man. Like, you know, like my my parents eventually, like I said, coming like coming from a a, a home of divorced parents. Eventually, my mom did end up getting remarried, and 
I didn't realize it at the time, right? And it's kind of a sad story, but you know, whatever. I didn't like I, I didn't realize it, so it wasn't sad then. Um once my mom got remarried, video games became the thing that she would invest in to separate me from the new family, which is like that's fucking sad. <laughs> but I didn't know it Do at I, the time because I, I had everything. I get it. I get it. Both my parents were married previously, had kids, got married, had me. I'm the only kid. And there's when it comes to like, I was separated from my siblings too. Yeah. So I get it. Yeah. You yeah. know, so like, so they, my mom would buy what it, she didn't give a shit about whatever any rating was. It was just like Final Fantasy, you know, three or whatever. Uh, you know, I was like, Mom, can I get this game? It's fucking 60 hours long. And in her mind, that was like <laughs> 60 hours of babysitting. <laughs> off you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, in my mind, it's I was like, than a babysitter oh, I can't for believe, 60 thank hours. you so much. Yeah. But, you know, in retrospect, it, it's kind of shitty. But, yeah, like, my, my parents were absolutely of that generation uh, of parents who were like, I, I, don't, I could not care any less about what this rating is. I'm going to get this for you because it's just going to distract you and keep you out of my hair so I can do whatever the fuck it is I want to do with my life. You know? Before we get back over to Chris, the next generation, is there anything on the SNES that he hasn't brought up that you remember sticking out? Shit, man. Apart from, like, I mean, Super Metroid, Link to the Past, Street Fighter 2, those were the things. I do remember, like, being so excited to get Mortal Kombat and being so, like, trying to Let rationalize down. to myself that was the only time that i was genesis uh, that i was the genesis that i was jealous of my uh, cousin who owned a genesis you know? i used to hold that shit over my friend's head it's like my shit got blood bitches uh, dude that's and you the should. whole point you should that nah my game played it's, better uh, oh god the the snes <laughs> version of mortal kombat one is so much better but that was—I'm the goob. I'm is. the one goober that was like super happy with my Super Nintendo version because I didn't care about the oh, blood. See, man, <laughs> what the fuck's wrong with me? And again, like, like Defford Mall you Arcade. Pacifist? Are you like a Buddhist or something? Are you a Dalai Lama? <laughs> What's no, going yeah, on? You know what? I, I love like the art. Well, it's a weird podcast. Yeah, no, I'm I'm fucking boring. <laughs> but uh, no, like. I love, man, first time I saw Mortal Kombat in the arcade was just this life-changing experience, yes. right? Because I walk into this, um, I, we went to this campground in Virginia, and they had an arcade on, uh, at the campground, so that's naturally where I always was, because I'm not an outdoor kid. I'm an indoor <laughs> kid. So I go to the arcade, and like, this is like the second or third year we had been there, and there was this new machine in the corner, and all these kids crowded around, and all I hear is this bang, 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 bang. Somebody had gotten to Goro. But I had never even heard of Mortal Kombat before. I go over there and I'm like, what the fuck is this? And uh, so I wade through the crowd and I'm seeing Goro and all this blood flying. And we're like, this is incredible. And so we spent all this time playing Mortal Kombat, me and my cousins, uh, while we we're on vacation. We came home and uh, my we walked into the grocery store. And this was back when, like, in the little vestibule area in the front of the grocery store, you still games. find arcade games, yes, right? yes. And there was a Mortal Kombat machine there, and I asked my mom to play it, and she watched me play it. She was like, you know that this kind of violence isn't cool in reality, right? I was like, yeah, mom, this is, look at it. This is ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, all right, as long as as you know it, I trust you. And then, you know, she bought me Mortal Kombat on Super Nintendo. Neither of us knew that it was censored until I got it home. But, like, again, it only kind of bothered me because my character was Scorpion, and my fatality was 100% intact in that game. Yeah, the the burning one. Um, 
let's take one more quick pee break. I got to pee. And then <laughs> let's go back to, um, Chris, you probably jumped from Super Nintendo to PS1 because of Symphony of the Night, right? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember the years. Was that before or after N64 launched? Oh, well, yeah, let's, let's do N64, PS1, and then that same era for Danny, yeah. and then probably start wrapping up. But I got to pee. Word. Have fun. Okay, one Live second. the dream. Let's uh let's talk about um all right so you Chris you went um Nintendo boy so did you get the N64 first and then you saw Symphony of the Night or what was the order Well after the Super Nintendo I had to get Nintendo's 32-bit console the Virtual Boy <laughs> Oh <laughs> let's talk about that you you got one you owned a Virtual Boy I, it's sitting right next to me. I, yes. still, I have a Virtual Boy and yes. a full 14-game U.S. lineup. <laughs> <laughs> I played I I played Mario Tennis, and then there was like a robot boxing game, like Mech- Telero Boxer. Yes, yes, those two games. I I used to. I thought the Virtual Boy was dope. My parents would not buy me one. They were expensive, <laughs> and whatever. But I would just go my to par- <laughs> go ahead. I would just go to Toys R Us because they had a display one. And my mom, mm-hmm. speaking of babysitting, some there was like a some fabric bullshit next to Toys R Us in my town, and so she like would just a Joanne Toys- fabrics or some yeah, shit? like a Joanne yeah. type yeah. shit. And so that was like our thing. We would go. She'd go shopping. So you can go next door, and I would just play the display shit, and I would play Virtual Boy for hours because no one was there. <laughs> no one, I would just, so it's like I would just play through the whole I played a lot of Mario Tennis and I think I beat that boxing game I remember getting really far Teller Boxer is freaking cool man so I was um, this is this is a one of the reasons I love one of the many reasons I love my mom so damn much I was I was like intern like that was the thing that I was good at was being the Nintendo guy right that's what people knew me as or at least that's the persona I had built up in my head well my neighbor was going to get the virtual boy like the day after it came out and he was like my mom's buying it for me this weekend and I was like mom I can't have this kid get the virtual boy for me because I'm the Nintendo guy you got to bring me to Toys R Us the day it launches and like she look. She looked at me, and she could tell how much it meant to me. And she actually fucking did it. She actually brought oh, yes. me to Toys R Us, and I was there. I think I was the only one there getting it day one. But I was there. I got my Virtual Boy day one, and I love it. I I love the thing. I used to bring it over to my friend's house, and we would take turns playing it. Mario's Tennis is great. Um, Teller Box is great. Virtual Boy Wario Land is incredible. I love the original Mario Brothers arcade game. The you know when you jump on underneath the turtles yes, and then yeah, go yeah. kick them down. Mario. Mario Clash is basically like a 3D style update to that. It's a really good game. The library for Virtual Virtual Boy is tiny, and they're not like these amazing works of art, with the exception of War- uh, Virtual Boy Wireland, which is legitimately a phenomenal 2D platformer. But the rest of the library is pretty interesting and decent stuff. Um, you mentioned Retronauts before. Um, Jeremy Parrish does a whole series, uh, is, is the, the Works series on YouTube, and he covered the um, uh, the whole Virtual Boy library. Uh, if you if you if you ever want to know anything about Virtual Boy games, that's a, that's uh, a good Planet one. Virtual Boy is a yeah. great website, and Jeremy Parrish's Virtual Boy Works series on YouTube is a really cool game by game breakdown of the Virtual Boy. Um, but yeah, I adored that thing. But really, even at that time, I knew it was actually coming next. Was the Ultra sixty four. And that was like, 
that that was that was where my hype lived was the the Nintendo Ultra 64 and we're seeing the the prototype pictures in Nintendo Power. I remember seeing Killer Instinct in the arcade and being like coming soon to the Nintendo Ultra 64 and like oh this is incredible. <laughs> like I couldn't could not wait for the Nintendo the Ultra 64. Then it was the Nintendo 64 and I got that VHS tape in the mail, right? I don't know how I got it because I wasn't a Nintendo Power subscriber, but I started getting those VHS tapes like I got the Donkey Kong Country one. Cool. I can't believe I skipped over Donkey Kong Country and gushing about the uh, the Super Nintendo. Donkey Kong Country is another thing that completely changed my world. But when I got that N64 tape and I saw Super Mario 64, Pilot Wing 64, and Star Wars Shadows of the Empire, I was Ooh. like, oh my god. Because I, I had seen PlayStation stuff, but I always like kind of brushed it off because I was totally living in Nintendo's hype where they were like, nah, man, we got Super Nintendo games and they, they you don't need to buy a new system to buy the coolest new games. You can play Killer Instinct on your Super Nintendo. And I bought into that hype because I'm a sucker. <laughs> but Super Mario 64, like I had seen stuff on PlayStation and never been all that impressed because I didn't love, I didn't like the way polygonal games looked. But Mario 64 looked like. Mario 64 was something else, man. That game still looks, still looks totally good. unique on that system. Yes. It's still the best, just about the best looking game on the platform. It was the first game released for it. And Pilot Wings 64 like, wasn't the prettiest game, but I was obsessed with Pilot Wings on Super Nintendo, and I couldn't believe they were making a sequel. And then seeing Shadows of the Empire, like they showed off the, the swoop bike level. And you're you're flying around on that thing, and they showed off like tying up the the ad ads. It's like, oh my god, this is amazing! And then they had that cool little montage at the end where they show stuff like stuff that never came out, like uh, Kirby's uh, Kirby's Air Ride, which would eventually become a GameCube game. Kirby Air Ride was a totally different animal, <laughs> but it, it was that that was just nuts. And I I needed to have one, but I was still too young to have like a proper job and like. My parents didn't give me allowance or anything because we didn't have very much in the way of money. But my parents paid attention to the shit that really mattered to me. And I could not, I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that I could even get an N64. But I came home from school on the day the system launched and I had no idea this was happening, right? But I knew the GameCube was launching, or not, the N64 was launching because I was obsessed with all this stuff. I walk in the door, I put down my backpack, and my mom's standing in the kitchen, and she's got a Super Mario 64 t-shirt on. Oh, your mom uh, is a thug. Hell yeah. I was like, best. hell yeah. Where did you get that shirt? And she was like, oh, I got it when I pre-ordered your N64. Get in the car, we're going to Toys R Us. Oh, shit! <laughs> I could not believe that shit. She and she gave me the shirt like the next day. She like she put it in the laundry. Like this is yours now. You can have this Mario sixty four shirt. And I took my N sixty four home and my copy of Mario sixty four, and I was the happiest kid in the world. That was that was unbelievable. Like my mom never got video games. She still doesn't get them, but she always understood what they meant to me. She sat. I knew my mom loved soap operas. Right, and I didn't understand that shit, but I kind of like <laughs> I get it that that's that's a big long story. You like good storytelling, Mom, you gotta watch me play Ninja Gaiden, and she fucking did. She <laughs> sat on my bed in my bedroom and she watched me play Ninja Gaiden and watched all those cutscenes, which are totally awesome, but in retrospect, that story's bananas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not the most cogent <laughs> storytelling <laughs> ever. Like, it's completely fucking nuts, but she understood why I loved it as much as I did. And when she did shit, like, like going 
out of her way coming up with the money to buy me a stupid fucking virtual boy the day it launched so that I could have it before my other friends because it meant so much to me to be the Nintendo guy. To have the foresight to pre-order an N64 secretly, then be wearing the shirt when I came home from school, that was unbelievable. And I hope to be half as good to my kids as my parents I felt, were to me. I know? feel emotional hearing that story. That's a f- probably because I have kids, but like that's badass, dude. Right, dude, that's the you're way old, to do it, right? Kids? <laughs> yeah, that's like, right, damn, that's I'm like tearing up. Like, I have kids. I hope I can you know, be aware enough. They're probably not. My girls are probably not going to be into video games like I was. But yeah, just you have to be aware. Even if you don't get it, you have to be aware of like what makes your kid tick, and what is mm-hmm. what is the world for them. And you got to meet them there. And that's good parenting, man. How old are it, your kids? Plus, yeah, I, cheers yeah, to your mom. Plus ten internets to your mom. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, yes, plus ten internet. <laughs> I'll make sure that she knows that. I had a, a semi similar experience. Um, they made me, my parents, my dad is very, well, that's besides the point for the Genesis. They, (laughs) they made me earn like, I think they told me like 70 bucks. If you earn 70 bucks, we'll make up the difference. I don't even remember what the Genesis launched at, but it took me like a year and a half to, um, to earn that money. But they bought me Sonic the Hedgehog two before I had the money. So I would just, I would just sit and look at the box. Speaking, you talked about box art. And that's one of the things, because we kind of got sidetracked, I wanted to talk about how how important box art, cases, the pamphlet, and the title screen were to me as a kid. Oh, yeah. That was oh, all... The title screens. The title screens were like the opening. You know, I would I used to like rent games and be like, I, I would think about like, what's the title screen going to be like? Because I would get excited about, and the box art, and you'd read every little word in every pamphlet and every yep. the back Read of the box the instruction manual yes. on the way home i used to bring my super mario brothers and zelda instruction manuals to grade school for like my reading <laughs> yeah. like, bring, bring a book from home like what are you reading the instructions to super mario brothers do something <laughs> yeah so my uh my parents like they, they they met me probably more way more than halfway for the genesis but i remember finally earning the money it was in a shoe box that i was like i colored genesis controllers and pictures and sonic all over the shoe box and i'd put my money in it i finally get it and then that was the last time um they, they did give me a playstation pretty early in a speaking of 64 i don't think it was launch but your mom was smart to pre-order it because i remember i wanted one whenever the the next closest christmas was to the launch i, I can't remember the date 64 probably was, launched uh, in the fall 96 right? yeah let's do nintendo Nintendo 64 came out in September of 96 okay. in North America. So that Christmas, that Christmas. It was the item. It was they the were item. impossible to get. And I remember getting it and my mom being like, later, you don't understand how hard it was to get this shit. Like, you better be good. <laughs> and basically, there was a kid in my neighborhood who worked at Babbage's that my mom paid under the table extra money oh, to, bump nice. me, <laughs> to bump me and get the N64. And then the third time that happened, was I remember being at Toys R Us, or actually it was called F... Before FYE, I think it was Media Play was the chain of oh, like video like game yeah. stores, whatever. They had uh, Einhander on the PS1, the Squaresoft's like side Ooh, jump. wow. Yes. That's a good game. And I was playing it. My mom was shopping. I just played the game, and I was like, damn, mom, this game is good. And she goes, hmm, go get it. I'll buy it for you. And something about like the randomness of like it wasn't Christmas, it wasn't like, and I've told my mom this later. Like I, 
you probably don't even remember. She's like, I don't even remember buying that game. <laughs> but for but for me, like I still get emotional thinking about it. it was something about my mom just randomly being like, you know what? I'll get you, go get that game, go find it, and I'll buy it for you. And it was such a big deal to me, such a big deal to me. And she doesn't even remember it. And it's just weird. It's just weird how that you know you your mom was very aware, and that's awesome. I, I, I thank you. <laughs> yeah, your mom's I, badass. I, I appreciate that's my a great mom, story, especially now that I have kids. She's she watches my kids all the time. She sits through, like my son is such a weird little mini me, and he just recently became totally obsessed with Mario RPG. And so when my mom watches the kids, which is like considerably net less now with with COVID, and she's getting older, but like she comes over and watches the kids once a week. And John sat her down and played the Mario RPG soundtrack to her and explained the whole game. And she sat there and listened. (laughs) I remember, I remember trying to explain to my dad, we were watching final fantasy advent children because he was always sort of, (laughs) which has been bonkers, but he was always interested, not in, he was always interested in keeping up with like video game graphics because he liked special effects in movies. Sure. He, he kind of, oh, well, there you right? go. So he would always kind of like come check my games out and basically shit on them. Like, ah, they don't got this wrong. And you got pop in and these, this is blurry. And like, they're not there yet. They're not there yet. It was never good <laughs> enough for him. But I remember being super stoked to show him Advent Children because it was like, this is CG that, and I knew he wasn't aware of this nerdy stuff. So for him, it would be something he'd never seen before. And <laughs> trying to explain to him the plot of Final Fantasy VII and how it, how it connects to Advent Children. And I still remember his face just like, I love you, kid, but what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and the answer is, I don't know. I, nobody, nobody knows. knows. This <laughs> does not make sense. Yeah, Dude, that's, and it's, that's good it, shit. It's so fun now because like, my daughter will do the same thing. Because like I said, my kids, being 11, they're like their own people now. So my daughter... As they're both of them, as they're playing like these Roblox games, or they'll they'll come like, can you download this thing on my iPad? I'm like, yeah, sure. Does does it cost anything? No, it's free. Fuck it. You could have as many free games as you want, right? So like, they'll download and they'll get super obsessed with this shit, and they'll come down and they'll start talking to me about it. And like, even for me, who has been playing video games forever, they're like, they start talking, and I just go right into to like parent mode, and I'm like. Kid, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about, but I appreciate your passion, and if you go pick up the dog shit out of the backyard, I will buy you Robux, because fuck it, you need to learn a little bit about, like, you know, goods for and services and shit, <laughs> but, like, I support your, your obsession with this game, and I'm happy to be a part of it. Yeah, that's, um... I don't know anything about Roblox. My kids, I know it's popular, because I see, like, music videos and a lot of producers, and I see it referenced all the time, and I look at them like, so Minecraft 2.0, Dude, like, like what is like, what is this? That's the fucking craziest thing about who we were as kids and gamers versus like what our kids are like now. My my daughters don't listen to music, right? Like I have eleven year old girls. Theoretically, they should be super fucking excited about the new Taylor Swift record that just came out last week. I'm super excited about the new Taylor Swift record that came out because t- Taylor Swift is fucking great. And I tried to play it for him, and I was like, girls, do you like this? And they were like, no, not so much, but let me show you a song that I like that is a, something that a fan wrote about Five Nights at Freddy's. And I'm like, what the fuck is the world that we live in now where the music that my kids listen to are like fan songs about video game franchises 
that they're into are like things that happen in Roblox get turned into songs and then get thrown up on YouTube and have millions of views. It's just a, it's a completely different fucking world from when we were yeah. kids. That's a good point. I, I'm just thinking in real time as you brought this up. I haven't really had this thought before, but it's like, you, Chris, you were talking about earlier about looking at the box art and then filling in the gaps between your imagination and what you actually saw on screen. And that was a big part of my childhood, too. And seeing as the graphics got better, like, oh, this is what I imagined in my head. But now they're getting closer and closer to like the dope scenes that I would imagine in my head based off the gameplay and the box art. But you couldn't, there wasn't peripheral. Like, if you were way into the Ninja Gaiden universe or you're way into the Zelda universe, there was no internet, there was no fan base, there was no community, there were no mods, there were no hacks, there was no fan music. But now, if you get into Roblox, you can go all the way down that rabbit hole and forget everything else. And there's a, there's a whole community around any franchise, around any world, around any lore, around any IP. If it's the one that tickles your fancy, there's a rabbit hole that goes infinitely deep for that particular IP, which we had just way less access to cool shit. We really did. And like, and you're, you're so right on that, man. Like there is, there is stuff now that, that my kids will bring to me and I'm like, man, I would have fucking killed for communities like this when I was a kid. Like I, if, if there could have been a, a wild arms community <laughs> like when I was a kid, or fucking like shit popping up around Blasto. <laughs> I got to been all about that, you know? Mm-hmm. And now it's just every little thing has all of this stuff and and what's what's fascinating to me about it is the the inspired creativity that comes from that. Like one of my daughters um has notebooks full of characters that she wants to put in video games. Because so much of what she plays are video games made through Roblox, like using that as a creation platform. Like now for little kids, like it, it's something that they can legitimately see themselves getting into. Like it's kind of what we were talking about earlier, you know, when the PlayStation 1 came out and games were becoming more adult. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the people who were making games at that time were were kids who grew up playing video games. So now the adults that were making the games were gamers. You know, versus mm. and I could be I could yes. be totally wrong. Yes. I don't know about that. I bet that's probably there's probably some teeth to that argument because if you think about like the earliest games pre-NES, you have Pong, you have I, I know when Brett Weiss was on and that other guy 16 bit, they went over like this crazy period where there was something like 50-something consoles in a 13-year period before the NES. Yeah. There was a lot of shit. Um, all those kids are probably the ones that got into games and making games. They probably are adults around PS1, PS2 time. Yeah, and, uh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, you look at it like Miyamoto did not grow up playing video games the way like David Jaffe grew up yes. playing video games. Yes, yes. You know, and That's that, a good point. It, that's huge, right? Like the 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 impact that that has on on this hobby and on this on this entertainment form, like that that is just a, a gigantic thing. So naturally, you see that progression. And now, when we have things like Super Mario Maker, where anybody, legitimately anybody, can go in and make Mario levels, or you have something like RPG Maker, where anybody can go in. And as wackadoo as your story gets, you can put it out there into the world 
and people can consume it and develop fan bases around it and develop modifications for it and all of these things. It's just, it, it's almost getting back into like Wild West territories as far as like creativity is concerned, which I think personally is awesome. Um, it also leads to a lot of shit, but that's okay. Like, it is what it is. Yep. It's fine. Yeah. So I think we're on you now. Um, is it, Chris, is there anything left in 64 PS1 that you really want to you wanna talk about? I mean, the PS1 for me, um, I do either one of you guys get into JRPGs by chance? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, I mean, Chrono Trigger, Super Nintendo, Chrono Trigger was yeah. really the one that, it's number two. that got me there. Number two for me out of all JRPGs and number one soundtrack. The reason why I ask, I don't want to get too far into because I always go off on JRPGs, and I think the pe- people that listen to it are probably like, but I do want to do um, a JRPG-specific episode, like an all-star, based on guests that have been on the podcast before, like a panel, and we go through JRPGs. If you guys are, I mean, I don't know how deep down the JRPG, you mentioned Wild Arms, which is a pretty deep cut, so that's what kind of, <laughs> which is kind of like, okay, this this brother might know his shit, because a Wild Arms bit. is... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Chris, before we go to Danny, anything left on the PS1 and N64 that really stands out to you? Oh, definitely. I mean, so so I, I, I'm I'm obsessed with getting the N64. I get it. It's it's like Super Mario 64 is like my dream thing. But I keep noticing, well, this isn't. Where's the rest of it? You know, like the the game lineup is so light. It was and so I said light. Before yes. I finally went to get a PlayStation because of Castlevania, and then it opened up this whole crazy world of like oh shit well now there's all this there's all this new stuff for me to get my hands on and and i remember i I mean there was that one period of time where metal gear salad and ocarina of time came out sort of close to each other and those were like just two of the best games ever made and like i'm I remember Metal Gear, I was working at Funko Land at that that point, I got a job at Funko Land and Metal Gear Salad's coming out and Everyone's buying it like this. It's this brand new thing. I'm like, you don't know Metal Gear? Like, I'm amazed by this because they made a new Metal Gear <laughs> game after all these years. And everyone's like, I don't know. I never played Metal Gear on the Nintendo. I was like, no, there's an NES game, Metal Gear. And there's a weird sequel called Snake's Revenge that's weird because he's wearing orange. But it's, it's really <laughs> but it's cool still stuff. cool. You should and play you it. In, and you get playing Metal Gear Solid and they're bringing up Gray Fox and Outer Heaven. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, this is a sequel to Metal Gear. This is incredible. And, and just listening to the, the the genuinely good voice acting of that yeah, game, like really? that was insane. You had never heard that before, and I uh, then of course Ocarina of Time. Me being the Zelda fanatic, getting to see like, oh, this is what Ganon was like before he was a pig monster. Like, oh my god, getting to play as like real grown up Link and getting in the three D fights and that whole ending sequence is still just incredible. I played through. I played through that with my kid too. We, uh, John and I were playing through all the Zelda games in the order of release at, at, at his request. And we got to the ending of Ocarina of Time. It was just, it, that still holds up so incredibly well. But, um, honestly, uh, when I think of the PlayStation era right behind that, that PlayStation N64, right behind that and, uh, Ocarina of Time and, and, um, Metal Gear Solid is when I took a week off of work to play Chrono Cross. Because I was, we're getting into my world a, now. I and I'm 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 probably not going to be as deep into it as Dan because it took me a long time to get into JRPGs to begin with, right? Because I could never get into Final Fantasy and or, or Dragon Warrior. I tried, and I have a lot of nostalgia for like NES uh, Dragon Warrior in particular. It gets music is really cool, but um, it wasn't until Chrono Trigger that I really 
I got it. It clicked with me. And then I went back and did Final Fantasy three and Super Mario RPG. It came out after that. And I really enjoyed that because that's also a really great starter RPG. I just realized playing through that with, with, with my it's son. Awesome. But, yeah. Um, awesome. When Chrono Trigger was just such an obsession for me and I had never seen Dragon Ball at that point either. Right. So I didn't get the whole Toriyama thing, but Chrono Trigger is such a, a miraculous coming together of all these amazing personalities in the video game universe. And then the, the, the soundtrack, the visuals, the story, I had adored that game. So when a sequel was coming out, uh, you know, I use that word very loosely uh, for the PlayStation and I'm watching that CG cut scene and that amazing, uh, what is it called? The, the, the something of time, uh, the, the, the theme song to Chrono Cross with that amazing violin and flute playing with each other. That's just, it just sounds like it's crying and it's so good. It's, it's gorgeous. And all this CG stuff looks really cool and I can't wait to get it. And I got it home and I played it for a fucking week. <laughs> and I wish I liked that game more than I did because the soundtrack's incredible. And personally, I think that is like the biggest divide I've ever seen as far as like actual game quality and soundtrack quality because the soundtrack is top, the toppest of top tier. But the game itself got caught in that that situation of, well, we're just going to give you all these playable characters, and therefore none will have real personality. And when I, like, I, un- I unlocked Glenn as one of those characters, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, I'm playing as Glenn in this alternate reality, where am I going to, where's the Chrono Trigger tie-in? When am I going to see aspects of his personality that explain more of who Frog was? And it just isn't there. Because the writing for those characters became so generic because they had to make it so that Glenn and Fungi would both make sense in all of these different positions because there's so many, was it 40 some odd playable characters yeah. in the game? Something it was like that. And it just, yeah, I it did. really lost a lot of its personality and, and playing through half the game is Lynx instead of Sergei. Like I liked playing as Sergei because uh, the same reason I liked playing as Chrono. I love that silent protagonist in JRPGs because you just kind of put yourself in that role and then all the characters around you are what make the story. So in the brief period of time when Chrono's dead and you're playing as Magus, like, well, that's really neat. But at the end of the day, I like being this character that is this kind of blank slate that's me and watching the rest of the characters fill in all of the actual like the real personality that's been written and outside of kid who is an astounding character kid is great there isn't that other character in there that's like really memorable and i barely remember anybody outside of kid links and a, a little bit of harley like there's just there wasn't enough personality there i like the allocating system that was pretty neat but i wound up spending more time allocating spells and stuff before a fight than actually playing the damn fights and I, I think I got all the way up to like almost the very end, and I eventually just gave up because I wasn't having fun. And that game really kind of broke my heart. But boy, does it have a good soundtrack. Great soundtrack. I hated the freaking guitar player character. I thought he was <laughs> so lame. Oh my god, I forgot all about... Oh, Was he the one who sang that... Did he sing a song in that he game? He probably did. I just remember being like... Holy shit. I had the same thing. This I isn't really directly oh. connecting to Chrono Trigger. And this guitar guy is just so lame. I'm like, ugh. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I love JRPGs, but and a lot of people disagree with me. I didn't like Chrono Cross. It's not great. It's not not a great game. I wish it was, but it's not. But it's 
And it, it was fucking impossible. That you can't follow up Chrono Trigger. Like you just can't. That game is perfect. Anything you played, you're gonna make afterwards. Have you played, was just, have you played Crimson Skies? The fan, like the fan ROM hack. That's like that I have not. It's it's not. I haven't played that. It's not Chrono Trigger. Like I'm not gonna say it's as good as Chrono Trigger. But they just take all the assets from the original game and they like remix them. And uh, create like a story. It's and it's for full like thirty five, forty hours, and it bridges the Ooh. gap between Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross. And it's um, as a fan game, I thought it was better than Chrono Cross. As a, it's not as good as Chrono Trigger, but if you want like an actual sequel that maybe scratches that itch, it's really easy to find. You just download it. It's like a you just play your end like just it's like a regular zip file. You just hmm. open your emulator with it. It's ninety. 99% done, but you it's not, I mean, you can't follow up, you're right, you can't really follow up Chrono Trigger, but you can kind of, it's almost like the dessert. It's <laughs> like a nice little dessert for the end of the game, yeah. See, now, I hold that you can follow up Chrono Trigger, right? Because I've seen things that you can't follow up before, and then they follow them up, and you're like, well, shit. <laughs> that, that happened, like, how do you follow up a link to the past, right? And they did. Yeah, it's that kind of stuff can be done with the right um the right people behind it. And the problem is getting the right people behind it because that was Chrono Trigger was a once in a lifetime melding of personalities, right? Those people aren't going to get together to make a new game. But that's not to say that nobody could do it and it's absurd to me that Square is sitting on that property and not doing anything with it other than coughing up shitty mobile ports that look like yeah. trash. And when there's still more, they could, there's still more to do, right? It's t- it's about time travel. At the end of the game, Magus is out looking for Shala, right? And I know they had that kind of weird little um, Shala follow up thing in the the DS version of Chrono Trigger, but I didn't really like that all that much. And it was it just seemed so truncated and like hopeless and. I want to know more about these characters. I want to go to more locations. They have a freaking time machine for crying out loud. <laughs> it is, I, it I is want to see infinitely m- possible. Right. And Chrono Cross was such a good idea. Like, all right, instead of time travel, now we're doing like multi-dimensional stuff and like really playing on the idea that a Chrono Trigger is a, an, a physical object that is pure potential. And like that Sergei was a living Chrono Trigger effectively was an interesting concept. It was such a great idea, but it was just, it just wasn't a good game. And having ideas like that, I mean, even like looking at Toriyama's other work, like looking at something like Dragon Ball, right? Like you look at the progression of that, like, well, where do they go from here? And somehow they wind up going places that still surprise me after all these years. I find that fascinating. And I do think that a a sequel, a proper sequel to Chrono Trigger is something that can be done. I think that a proper remake of Chrono Trigger is something that should be done. And everybody should be able to play that game. A hundred percent. They should. And I say proper. I still hold that they should take the engine that they use for fucking uh, Dragon Ball Fighter Z, use that visual engine uh, and make Chrono Trigger yes. that looks like that. <laughs> that, but yeah, that's that's my PlayStation era. That there looks uh, that game does look they capture. That's the first time Dragon Ball Z the cartoon felt like it was truly captured in a game. Hundred uh, yeah, percent agree. That, Absolutely, and I I love Dragon. The part of the reason I love Chrono Trigger and Dragon Ball Z is. Dragon Ball Z is the only time, other than Ocarina of Time, there's only two things in my life that have ever forced me to wake up at 4.30 in the morning. 
One was to watch <laughs> Dragon Ball Z on Channel 15 Sunday mornings. was the only time that shit was ever aired at like 5.30. And then two, I was so in love with Ocarina of Time, I would try to get playtime in before school, which was 7.45. So I'd wake up at like 4.35, and I would get like two hours in of Ocarina of Time before school. Nice. Um, so well yeah, I, I definitely feel those with, uh, feel that with you. The Chrono, I just, I don't know how you guys feel about the Final Fantasy VII remake. I loved it for about six hours, and then I realized this is bullshit and this is trash. But uh, the, the like the opening sex sequence when they do the Midgar fly through and like, Midgar's redone, and it's like they're they're changing things, but they're also giving like homage to the original. And there's all these Easter eggs, and then the, the logo comes up and the theme hits. I legitimately started crying, like tearing up. It's just yeah. like the nostalgia. Me too. The nostalgia man. hit me like. A dopamine rush in my brain. I felt like I was on ecstasy. I was like, this is awesome. And then six hours later, I was like, Square, you fucking assholes. <laughs> you assholes. That's what I mean by a proper remake. Don't fuck with it. It's perfect. Just make it look modern. Because it already plays perfect. It already plays like unbelievably well. Just make it look look like it's animated just take what you can visually do you don't have to fix the script you don't have to change a, a, almost anything of it just take that exact game and remake you know do what that do to chrono trigger what people have been asking you to do for final fantasy 7 for <laughs> decades just remake the game don't remake the game yeah, you get, take that game and make it pretty. you got fucking ducktales remastered it that's yes, it. yes, exactly. that's a great example. Or uh, way forwards remake of Wonder Boy. Yep, it's like oh, uh, also uh, a great uh, example. Like they're not reinventing the uh, wheel. That was that was that was Lizard Cube. Lizard Cube. Sorry, isn't that published by Way Forward? Maybe I'm uh, Dadimu. You're probably right. Wonder <laughs> Boy. I I I obsessed over that game. That that Wonder Boy: The Dragon's Trap. That remake is astonishing. Yes, it's really and the fact good. that you can switch back and forth between the, the graphics, old, uh, yeah, old style back and forth. That's so amazing cool, amazing to but me. But that's all they need. So that's good. all they need to do for Chrono Trigger. And like I I I totally get what you're saying about the Final Fantasy VII remake because I I love it. I we had talked about on the podcast like four or five years ago. I was like, yo, if they fucking announce a Final Fantasy VII remake, I two hundred bucks, no problem. I will fucking spend that happily. And apparently, that's about what we're gonna have to fucking to get this whole thing. Because I was the same way, man. Like that was my entry into the next generation of gaming. Because like after the Turbo Graphics and the Super Nintendo, and like going to my cousin's house to play the the, the Genesis, and like. Trying to, I there was one kid in my development who had everything, and this kid had a Neo Geo as well. So like, I oh, would go to his house, yeah. I was like, dude, you're the fucking like Richie Rich man, like this is fucking nuts. Like, you, how the f how do you have this? You know, go and play in like war, uh, fucking World Heroes and Final Fight and shit, and just like, oh my god, this is amazing. But then I kind of fell out of video games for a little while because I got. I got interested in, you know, the, the DIY punk mentality of like, oh, I'm going to go fucking be a DIY punk and, you know, start like the, the fucking punk band and, you know, skateboarder kid and like all of that shit. And, and it wasn't until, um, walking through the mall and seeing 
the F- Leviathan summon in Final Fantasy VII uh, for the first time uh, in that demo that I was like, yes. oh my god, are you fucking kidding me? Like, this, I have, I have to get a PlayStation. I, I just, I have to. I have to experience what this is because I adored Final Fantasy when I was a kid. Like, playing it up from the NES, playing... You know, Final Fantasy 3 or 6, depending on if you want to be the fucking whatever about snob. it. snob, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, I, that game is just incredible. And then seeing Final Fantasy 7 for the first time, it was like, all right, well, that's my decision made. Like, I'm a Sony kid from this point forward, because this <laughs> is where I can play this game. And, and as ugly as, like, Final Fantasy 7 now... You go back and look at it like objectively. It sucks balls. Yeah, it's ugly uh, aesthetically. Shit. Yeah, but I love it. Minus the backgrounds, I would actually say. Yeah, no, the, the things- backgrounds are gorgeous. Yes, yes, yes. You know, if you squint in HD, they don't hold up super nah, well. Fuck you, well yes, but there's the uh, <laughs> there's the uh, Nvidia. I get like way into mods and shit. There's mm-hmm. like, this like Nvidia mod where they use like AI upscaling. Mm. To upscale the original backgrounds, and they look—they're 4K, but they—the AI is like perfect. It looks like you can't even tell. You can't even tell. It, it's like the original backgrounds in 4K, and you realize, oh, these were composed really well. Like they—the shots are really cinematic. Like there's a lot of detail in them. It's just when you actually play them on a modern resolution, they're so pixelated. It, yeah, they—they they weren't made to be seen with that fidelity, and so you have to—you have to upscale them for it to feel good not a crt crtv with scan lines then it, it kind of still looks pretty good i don't know it's still you could argue that it doesn't look good even in that case but yeah well, final but, fantasy 7 well, go ahead sorry yeah oh yeah no sorry like that that was the thing like final fantasy 7 was still that thing that we were talking about earlier of like this is the bridge between reality and what my imagination is because the the reality of like what the the sprites look like the the terribly polygonated sprites into those beautiful cutscenes and battle scenes, you know, was like, oh my god, this is the next, this is the leap, this is that that generational power creep that is just so incredible, and like I was so blown away by that. And then the following year after Final Fantasy VII was fucking Metal Gear Solid, and. I, I mean that that game, like we talked about it a little bit, but I mean, my God, like if, if there is ever an argument for games as as art, like I throw Metal Gear Solid up on the top of that pile of games as art. That is a vision and just a revelation as to what video games could become versus what they were. Because I was a huge Metal Gear fan when I was a kid. It was so fucking cool. Like growing up in the eighties. Who didn't want to be Rambo? Who didn't want to be fucking Schwarzenegger? You know what I mean? Like this, I got Commando and Rambo and all this shit put together. I'm a fucking super spy, but a badass soldier. This game's awesome. You know, and again, giant fucking robots, you know, because it was the 80s. And then you get to Metal Gear Solid and it was like, this is fucking smart. You know, like as a 16, 17 year old kid playing that game, I was like, this is fucking smart. Not everybody's going to get this. You know, and and it was like it was just that again, like that. I there are so in my mind anyway. There are so 
few and far between those watershed moments in gaming, right? Like A Link to the Past is a watershed moment. Metal Gear Solid is a watershed moment. Fucking God of War is a watershed. Things are different after those games come out. And then after playing through Metal Gear Solid and just being blown away by the depth of the story and just how fucking cool that game was. Like, that was just, it was cool. Being able to then jump into all of the weird shit that I liked when I was a little bit younger and, like, all of the weird Japanese-influenced stuff and all of the crazy things they were doing on the PlayStation, I was just like, this is this is an incredible console, you know? And like you were saying, I, I fell in love with JRPGs and I didn't finish half of what I played because, you know, at 16, 17 years old, I got a job, I'm, I got a girlfriend, I'm playing in a band, I'm doing all these other things, and I'm trying to finish Vagrant Story at the same time. You know, certain things like jump in and take precedent, precedence and whatnot. But like, there were so many great games that appealed to who I was at that point. Like, I will still put down that Front Mission 3 is one of the best RPGs of all time. Right? Amazing. That, that game you're fucking like the, blows You are the only person away. to ever bring that game up. You're the first person to ever bring that game up. The, and the that's podcast. a fucking shame. Like, for Front yes, Mission 3. that game is awesome. Oh my god, that game fucking blows me away. Like, that game is just incredible. And there were so many cool games. Like, like I said, the Wild Arms series. Like, Wild Arms 1 and 2 are just these incredible games. And the PlayStation then had this convergence that was just perfect for me of going from this this punk rock kid, you know, who fell out of video games and fell back in with, you know, Final Fantasy and then seeing Metal Gear Solid and I was like, all right, this is cool and it's this really mature adult storytelling without being like, it's not just a violent game, it's just adult storytelling and there's all these RPGs and then Tony Hawk's Pro Skater comes out and I'm like, fuck, well, that's just me and my friends you know, this is incredible, and now I'm going to, and I was just, I was hooked, you know, and, and Chris and I have talked about it on our show a few times, and I usually fall to the the Super Nintendo being the best system of all time, but, but the, like you said, there is that argument for the PlayStation being the best system of all time, you know, there, there are just those moments on that system that, I mean, shit, I don't know that are ever going to be replicated at this point. Do you know anyone or any podcast, because you guys seems like you guys have been writing, that have really covered, or has anyone done any deep work on how Metal Gear Solid came to be? Because there was no predecessor for that. There was no blueprint for that game. And I've always wondered, like, how, how did that game even come to be? Because it's like, there's never been anything even remotely close to it before Metal it, Gear Solid. It, it, it's. It, I would it, argue that Metal Gear Metal Gear One and Two are like, Metal Gear Solid. Really feels like an evolution of those two games. Like there was that big communication aspect, and the first Metal Gear Solid largely plays like it's a it's a top down game, just like the original ones. It was. That's it was true. thought about totally yeah. differently than what most people thought about doing. Like, well, I'm going to make this old game and now make it 3D. And most most people didn't approach it the same way Kojima did. But he approached it like, I'm going to do what I always thought of. It's just a really cinematic version of what you did in Metal Gear and Metal Gear 2. That's a good point. A, a big chunk of the gameplay now that you bring it up. I, I was thinking of cutscenes and like the story and the cinematics. But... The actual gameplay part is essentially top down most of the time, or maybe yeah. like a 
yeah. certain angle. It really is yeah. a modern. It's it's if you really, if you really just uh, break it down. Uh, I don't know if you've ever played Metal Gear Two Solid Snake because it was an MSX game, but it did get pumped on some PlayStation discs over the years. But even just just look at the real evolution of Metal Gear to Metal Gear Two to Metal Gear Solid, which was effectively the third Metal Gear game. Uh, there's a real through line on on the gameplay. Like it's it's a genuine evolution of those two things, and it's it's what Kojima always said was like. Metal Gear Solid was what he wanted to do with those games. It just was limited by technology, and he was able to do it. And uh, it's, it is a fascinating study. It's also fascinating when you throw in uh, Metal Gear Solid, uh, the Game Boy Color game in there, which is placed like a bastard child between the NES Metal Gear and the PlayStation Metal Gear Solid, and it's a really ridiculously good game. It really is. Um, but yes, interest, super interesting stuff. I, I, the games, it's the games that took what the original games did and then made them modern, like Symphony of the Night and and Metal Gear Solid, uh, which is funny. They're both from Konami. Yeah. Um, or even uh, Ocarina of Time, which really took what Zelda games were and then put that in three dimensions, as opposed to stuff like Mega Man Legends, which effectively had to just not make a Mega Man game to make 3D Mega Man, or Castlevania 64 that just doesn't feel like Castlevania, it's just in 3D. Those ones, I just don't think, worked as well as the ones who looked at what made the original games tick, instead of just saying, well, we need to make a new game that's... 32 bit not we need to make a new game that's 3d right yeah uh for for the sake of being 3d yeah. well i uh well, i was yeah, just give ahead, one man. quick thing yeah. to go back to you yeah. um because we gotta um <laughs> you might hate me but Mega Man legends 2 is my favorite Mega Man game of all time it's fucking i would never great. hate anyone for that it's great. I, I, I've never been able to get into them as much as as much as the old ones, but like you, you have to admit, they're an intrinsically different animal from anything that came before it, and that's that's cool. I love that they that they went that route. I hated it at the time, but that's because I was I was an idiot back then. I look at it now and say, I can't get into this, but I greatly appreciate this because that those two games, Legends, Legends Two, and Tron Bond. Those are some of the best-looking PS1 games. Oh, they're great. And it's because they played to the system's strength. They still look good in ways that most other games in that generation did not. Now, those games don't speak to my sensibilities because they don't play up on what I loved about Mega Man. But I would never fault anybody for loving those games. That's that's outstanding. Yeah, no, and... Yeah, what I, what I was going to say was, like, I, I look at, you know, the, the stuff that Kojima does is... I, I think it's very comparable to, like, directors, right? Like, there are thousands of people that make movies, and then there's Stanley Kubrick, who makes movies in just a completely different way. Like, he's doing essentially the same thing. He has a camera and film and actors, and all of the, the pieces are the same. But the thing that comes out of that is so very, very different. Right. And when you look at Kojima games, it's what he was able to do with Metal Gear games. He's just a different cat, man. Like he, he is a dude. Like if there was one dream interview that, that we could have for the Stone Age gamer, I, mine would be Kojima because I would love to be able to talk to that dude and really find, just really try and understand what the process was and how he was able to get where he got with those games because they are top-down adventure games like that had been done time and time again but what he was able to do with those same exact pieces was just so very very different it, it, it's very similar 
to how I feel about Death Stranding. Like, now, I understand that that game is not for everybody. I thought it was fucking brilliant. You know, like, I, I've never played a game that, that was so intentional and purposeful and as fucking crazy as that game gets, it is still grounded in the world that Kojima was able to create. And he's just such a different, just such a, a different level of developer. And it doesn't make him better or worse than anybody. It's just very, very different. You know, like I like, like very similar to the way that, that Kubrick directed films, the way that Hitchcock or, or Frank Capra back in the day would direct films that were just essentially different from what other people were doing. That's a good point. I mean, I put Kojima up there, even though I haven't played Death Stranding. It just barely came out on PC. Right. And I'm thinking about getting it because uh, I, most of my gaming is on PC and emulators. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, my, my, my like joke with the podcast is, cause I, I mentioned before, I grew up in like a hardcore religion. They have like this right. idea right. of a prophet that talks to God. So I always say, I always say like, in the name of Miyamoto, the father, Kojima, the son, and Carmack, the Holy Ghost. Those are like my three. And he's up there. He's part of the God. To me, he's part of the gaming Godhead. And I agree with you. It's like, that's, I, I, I like what you brought up, Chris, about like, even though Metal Gear Solid at the time to me came out, because I didn't play the first two. I didn't have an NSX and I never played the original on NES. Um, Metal Gear Solid is like came out of left field. To me, it's just where did this come from? There's literally never been any game like this. But now, in retrospect, you bring it up. It really is those first two games, just with the cinematic flair. I shouldn't say just, but the, no, the, yeah, the it's fundamentals an, it's an are very similar. Yeah, but there was also nothing like those two games either. Like we didn't get Metal Gear Two here in America right. until uh, until way later, released in like these compilations that say like, well, here you can finally play this because nobody in America had an MSX, but Metal Gear One on NES was this amazing revelation because it was the only game that encouraged being a pacifist. You want to get into fights, you're going to die. You got to sneak in that game. And that wasn't something that games did much back then. So um, I, I, I wouldn't, I can understand how if you had never played the original Metal Gear, then it seems like it was this totally new experience. And it was to a degree, but it was also for those of us that played the original Metal Gear and really played through it and didn't just rent it, realize we can't shoot people and then throw it away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it really is an evolution of what came before it, which is, I, I thought it was very, it made me very happy to see that game catch on as big as it did, because I had always considered Metal Gear to be one of like the games on the NES. Yeah, And when that game was coming out and people were thinking it was a whole new franchise, it was like, well, I guess maybe it's not the thing on the end. Maybe it really wasn't as big a deal as I always thought it was. Well, and like what, what's so crazy about that, the story that, that he was telling this entire time, like, like going back again and talking about games that were mature and adult, like I would argue that Metal Gear is one of the most mature and adult stories that was told on the NES. And that through line continued up. Like, I don't know if you guys saw the story, but like a week ago, they finally got to the cutscene. Oh, in, the in no Metal nuclear. Gear, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in five, where nuclear proliferation was, was done away with in, in, fuck, in the online world. And there was a special cutscene that played for all players, like talking about the dangers of nuclear war. Like, Kojima has been telling this story, this pacifist story and the dangers of like all of this stuff 
all of this in this crazy world, like Metal Gear ends up being this message about anti-war. And it's just this amazing experience that taken together as a whole franchise is just something that that I don't know anybody else that can do it in the way that he did. And it's just like, I love the fact that here in 2020, we finally get to see this cutscene for this old, at this point, this old ass game that was, you know, recorded and was, it was something that we might not have ever gotten to if people were not still playing it and getting to the point of reducing the amount of nuclear weapons in the world. Like the story was up on Kotaku and Polygon and all that shit. Um, but it's just the, this crazy thing that happened. I think that, um, man, have you guys seen the uh, YouTube video that talks about how Kojima, the theory that PT wasn't really a playable teaser for Silent Hill, but it was actually him predicting, giving the middle finger to Konami and, and talking about Death Stranding? No, I I'm haven't seen that. I'm going li- huh. to try to link it to you guys and, and then send it to you. The reason why is um, I'm going to do this and then we can talk about the next generation to even more wrap it up. But I, you know how do you guys ever see the movie Donnie Darko? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. So Donnie Darko is a cult classic. A lot of movie snobs in my experience kind of roll their eyes like, oh my God, you like Donnie Darko. That's like <laughs> the popular cult indie movie that people cite. I, I, I liked the movie, but Richard, Richard Linklater, I think is how you say his last name. Yeah. Um, yeah. He said in an interview, like a lot of the sort of deep symbolism and things was just not planned. It was kind of like a lot of stuff came together for that movie. He had a loose mm-hmm. idea and he's not quite as genius as, as people make him out to be, as can be shown in his later Southland tells his next movie, which is <laughs> and, um, whatever he hasn't, he's not like prolific. That was like the one movie that things came together. Now Kojima has been prolific. And so the reason I, I preface that is, this guy goes in, and, but a lot of people look at look at Donnie Darko and be like, oh my God, the director is such a genius. How could he put all these moving parts together? How could all this happen? Like he, he thought about this to the absolute deepest levels and master architected this whole movie, but he didn't. People are finding the meaning themselves and they're kind of building it themselves. And I wonder if this YouTube video that goes deep into, he makes such a convincing argument that I'm like, God damn, Kojima's like predicting, he's, he must be an alien. It's almost like the Simpsons. How do they how do they keep predicting all this stuff? I want to send it to you guys and I'm I'm trying to like am I am I doing what people do with Donnie Darko and I'm creating a genius out of nothing where there really isn't a genius thing happening? Or is PT truly like five D chess against Konami? And I I would love to send it to you guys and get your opinion on it because I I, I don't know if I'm getting like one over by a bad conspiracy theory or <laughs> is there actually some meat and teeth to this see man i would argue that there is nothing that happens that that dude hasn't thought through just ba- based on the interviews that i've read of his um and and what i know of him and the way he approaches the design and the story of these things it it really appears that he has thought through every aspect of this stuff. I I mean, and like you said, I could be uh, completely wrong about that and be getting rooked into the, like, he is an auteur of vision. My goodness, we should all worship at the altar of Hideo Kojima. 
but but I but I I think it. I mean, I find it hard looking specifically at the Metal Gear franchise to to have all of that happen by accident seems way too coincidental to me. Yes, personal. I agree. And they get in. They get into Metal Gear. They get into Metal Gear Five. Uh, things like how like the Foxhound symbol in one of the Metal Gear Five like DLC missions you have to actually take Foxhound symbols down. But it's like right. First, they go. They go into like, and he lays out this. I'm going to butcher this. I'm not even going to try. But I'm going to send you the link. <laughs> but by the time the video ended, I was like, he's more than odds here. Like he's he's like not human. Like he's just too smart. How this could have all played out. But um, is there anything left? Because we were on you. Anything left on PS1 and 64 that you want to bring up? Let's do some like PS2 GameCube for each of you, and then we'll you guys can give your shout outs again, and we'll wrap it up. Right on. Um, no, I, I really, I mean, just I think for me the the biggest thing, like uh, other than the stuff that we covered, right, like Symphony of the Night and that sort of shit. Um, for me, the the other big thing was getting into um a lot of, you know, weirder games that came out on the PlayStation 1 and and really being able to explore, like, the weirder side of gaming, things like Intelligent Cube and whatnot, which... <gasps> I, ah! Right? Dude! Like, right, like, dude! But, you, <laughs> God damn, I've tried to bring this game up to, like, 30 people and no one even knows what it is. I'm like, do you guys remember what? this game that measures... Intelligent Cube, that game's, that game's amazing. amazing. And it's so it's fucking amazing. weird. Like, it's so different. From everything that people were expecting or or had played, like there was just there was this uh, what what seemed to be an unlimited fountain of creativity that happened on the from from the later PlayStation One into the PlayStation Two because like then you're getting into stuff like Mister Mosquito and that sort of shit and Katamari Damacy and those sorts of things, but like just this uh, this unlimited creative space where people were putting out these things that were interesting ideas and really challenging what the idea of a game was and like what can we do with this space that we've created just fucking you know blew me as a shitty teenager who thought he was smarter than everybody else shit like that just blew me away man i'm so glad you brought that game up because i i didn't remember the name until recently i I figured it out but mm-hmm. I would bring it up in different podcasts. Like, there's this PS1 game that measured your IQ and blocks would fall towards you. And you had, a, there was like <laughs> patterns, and everyone was like, What the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, That's the yeah. game IQ, IQ Intelligent. intelligent game. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, I had originally on a demo disc. I, for, I forget which, I had a handful of demo discs. There was like the Pizza Hut demo disc, the oh, original fuck. PlayStation Dude. 1 demo. Dude. It was on one of the demo discs, and I played it a bunch, and then I ended up renting it a handful of times. and that's a that's a great weird game and one of the reasons why I like the PS1 as Chris mentioned earlier it's when I mean there was experimental games on previous systems but and I I could be wrong on this but the like the sheer number of games on the PS1 even just North American release and when you when you bring in imports is there were there that even close to that many games on the SNES and Genesis and previous consoles I don't think there was no, no probably the closest would have been NES but even that was was nothing compared to the PlayStation. Yeah, library. the NES is what, like eight hundred and something games, like the official release. I, yeah, I think seven hundred, so. eight, like high seven hundreds, low eight hundreds. Mm. And the PlayStation is thousands. 
7,918. Yeah, like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. just. Wow. That's insane. That's, that's insane. insane. North American releases or official North American releases are close to something like thirteen hundred, and even that's out of yeah. This like world. I, yeah, this a, is this a, is everything absurd, combined. An absurd amount of games. Yeah, this looks like yeah, thirteen hundred games. Is there anything else that was kind of weird you want to bring up before we go back to Chris? Oh uh, fuck, I'm trying to think. Like Chris, you mentioned Parappa the Rapper, right? Like that's such a weird ass game. Did, I fucking yep. love that. Like you love medieval. I love medieval. Like that. That was the other thing too. Like Sony came out with so many really cool franchises at that time. Like medieval was super cool. I fucking. I wish somebody would make a, a fucking new siphon filter. God damn it! Give me a new siphon filter game. I need it. I need like <laughs> that franchise died on Sony Portable, which for sucks some reason. because but like the and the bend the Sony bend. Like, Days Gone is a fucking dope game, and I, I like a lot of the ideas that they had and a lot of the shit in there. Like, give me a new fucking siphon filter, man. Like, god damn it. There was just... We need a new Legend of Dragoon. New, How has there never been a sequel New Legend of Dragoon, game. new Vagrant Story. There's so many RPGs oh on god. there. Like, falling in love with Suikoden. Because like you were saying, Chris, like, Chrono Cross had all of those characters, and it didn't work. And then you look at something like Suikoden 2 that has more characters and works. And it fucking mm-hmm. works. Like they nailed it, man. Like and I mean, I fucking I just sold a copy my copy of that game for like 175 bucks because I'm not gonna turn that down, but like I fucking I adore that game, you know. There's oh man, like I like, dude, I almost just hung up on you. That is the greatest <laughs> JRPG of all time. And you blasphemous apostate fool. Why would you sell that? I had to buy baseball ah! cards. I was trying to fucking get a Glaber Torres auto. <laughs> That's what I had to do. That with my is life a. Now. That's the holy grail for me. That's, in my opinion, the greatest JRPG. If you've played Sui Coden One and you've carried over your save data and you got all 108 oh, stars, so fucking cool. And you played Sui Coden Two and you got the original character from the first game, like so badass. That's that experience. It's great. Yeah, that's it's great. It's great. It's great. Yeah, yeah, it's I, great. Um, great, great choice. All those, Chris. Let's jump back to you. Is I know. So PS2, you would. I'm, I like your argument that PS2 could be considered the greatest console of all time, based on my logic that I was trying to argue for the PS1. But things were really refined on the PS2 in the GameCube era. And if you wanted to argue for the PS2 as the greatest console of time, I believe it's still the highest selling console. Correct? Uh, yes. I believe you are correct. I think yeah. it is the highest selling console. PS2 sells highest console. I'm pretty sure it's like by a long shot still. 155 million. Yeah. Uh, console sales break. This is the best selling game consoles. Yeah, PS2 by. Oh, just a little bit. Nintendo. Oh, this is the Nintendo DS family, which is like. There's been a handful of versions of the DS, I guess. That's 154. Yeah, it's, it's, it's including uh, PlayStation and PS1 gets lumped in in that as well, and all the various revisions. And you got your DS, DS Lite, DSi, but it doesn't include 3DS into that uh, either. But yeah, no, PS2, PS2, PS2 Slim, that's that's still at the top, I think. Well, it's because it's they kept making fucking right FIFA games. It. You keep, you keep oh, yeah, chucking, and, chucking you know, out FIFA games and... and like I'm not even making a joke about this. Like they continued to make FIFA to sell in South America 
and that continued to sell PlayStation Two units. Yeah, and it was it was the DVD player. You know, that it too. was everywhere you go. Like, well, I need to buy a DVD player. This one also plays PlayStation games. Okay, sure. Like that that system had that ace in ace in the hole. Like it would have done well anyway, but that DVD player aspect rocketed that thing way over the top. Yeah, I mentioned that on I was a guest on Still Loading podcast. You guys haven't heard of him. Pretty cool, and we were talking about Shinobi on the PS2, and uh, we talked about my earliest PS2 memories. And- Greatest video game scarf ever. Yes, I'm glad you, <laughs> dude. We went deep down the rabbit hole because that was one of the things as a, ki- a kid or like a teenager when I saw that I was I couldn't believe the physics of the scarf. I had never seen cloth animation, and we went we started googling, and I'm like, that might, as far as we could tell, we were googling around um, like actual physical based cloth simulation. And we found some video game developer forums on like NeoGAF, and I think Shinobi Two is like the 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 one, the first one. We couldn't find anything with cloth simulation like that prior to Shinobi Two. I only looked for like twenty minutes, but um, <laughs> yes, yes, like the scarf, the scarf, the cape, whatever you want to call it. It's uh, I found some whatever that thing is. It was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. But my, uh, we were talking about the PS2. The, the my first memory of the PS2 is watching the Matrix on DVD on the PS2 <laughs> and just being like, "This is this is it. This is the Holy Land. Is this thing does everything? I can watch the Matrix. I can put in my old PS1 games, and I can play PS2 games. It's is we're done. We're done. This is it. This is it. Yeah, dude, you're you're not wrong. Like I, that was my DVD player, and like just being able to get that like i my i my girlfriend at the time called me from she i was in college and she was still working up at the store that i pre-ordered it in like like an idiot i was like not even thinking that i would be away at college when it came out and she called me and she was like yo there are fucking dudes in the parking lot like legitimately thinking about whether or not they're going to beat the shit out of me and fucking take the system (laughs) so i'm going to talk to you this entire time so that wow. they know, so that we have a record of if I get jumped in this parking lot, because it was the hottest fucking thing. But like, dude, jumping into that system and like SSX and and fucking like ready to rumble boxing and whatnot was just, oh my god, loved them. It was so it was really that generation started with the Dreamcast, right? That was when I first stopped being disillusioned with where gaming was and things looked like they were supposed to be right so i'm looking at well there's a new zelda game coming out majora's mask but i just played the demo for sonic adventure and i will never argue with it sonic adventure is a better game than majora's (laughs) mask but holy crap when we're playing that we're playing the original ready to rumble boxing we're playing soul caliber on dreamcast that was out of this world man that was that was uh, that was the future that was you're holding the future right there so i loved the dreamcast i liked the playstation 2 i was always bitter towards it because of the way it just completely destroyed the dreamcast on its hype alone like there weren't even great games at launch it's just like who cares it's this playstation on it it's better than dreamcast so i'm buying that and so all right but eventually the ps2 katamari damacy metal gear solid 2 uh God, I'm, I'm, it's been so long since I've even. I'm, I'm, having, I'm actually drawing a blank on what PlayStation Two games. I have fucking ninety four PlayStation Two games, and I'm <laughs> Dude, like God of War. looking at my list here. Like, oh yeah, the original, the original God, of, God War. of War is just. 
I mean, like, like I said, the original uh, Devil the May original Cry. Devil May Cry. Good, good stuff, man. PlayStation Two is like ridiculous, and I liked the Xbox okay, but being the Nintendo whore that I am, it was the GameCube that truly knocked my socks off because uh, Luigi's like we had seen what games are supposed to look like, right? Nintendo was so slow getting there, but then you play Luigi's Mansion and Luigi's reacting to things and he has like a voice and his hand shakes when he turns the doorknob and I'm like, oh my god, this is what Nintendo games look like with this kind of fidelity. And that was totally nuts to me and you know, I think about the GameCube and I think about stuff like Beautiful Joe. I think about the original Animal Crossing that completely ruled my life, but my favorite my favorite video game of all time is The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker. Um, that game, Wind Waker, uh, uh, just still just, it hurt, it hits me in the heart. I love the sailing. I love just putting up the sail and just looking at this beautiful cell shaded world. And it re- represents this crazy turnaround for me because I, ha- coming off of that whole time period with the N64 and starting to get somewhat disillusioned with Nintendo and really enjoying my PlayStation way more than enjoying my N64. The GameCube's out and it's it's good. Rogue Squadron is super I was going to bring cool, that right? up. Rogue Love Squadron. Rogue I was Squadron. jealous of Rogue Squadron. My friend had a GameCube and I was like, god damn it. That one. <laughs> that that game. Like, that's Rogue legit. Rogue Squadron yeah. is sick, man. That game is still so good looking. But then... There's finally a new Metroid game coming out, but it's a first-person shooter developed by an, an unproven American company. There's a, finally a new 3D Mario game coming out, but he's a fucking janitor. And there's finally a new Zelda game coming out, and it looks like a Saturday, like it looks like a shitty Saturday morning cartoon with all this slapstick comedy. Because that original trailer for Wind Waker is garbage. I hate that trailer. It still looks like shit to me. All three of those things had completely disillusioned me. And if you go, I don't remember what issue it is. I can look. I can look it up. I have it upstairs. I was the letter of the month month in the issue of Electronic Gaming Monthly that had Wind Waker, Mario Sunshine, and Metroid Prime on the cover um, for being so completely disillusioned. Of just like, I can't believe they're they're doing all of this wrong. How are they doing all of this wrong? And then. Super Mario Sunshine blew me away when I first played it. It hasn't aged extraordinarily well. There are some big problems with that game, including the weird story with baby Bowser Jr. thinking that Peach is his mother. That's really <laughs> just disturbing stuff. But Metroid Prime and especially Wind Waker are two of the best games I've ever played. Metroid Prime was so crazy to me that... I start playing this first-person Metroid game, and the level of immersion from the HUD is first, like, just just hits me real hard straight off the bat. But a few hours into the game, right? So I'm playing it, and I'm having a good time, and I, I'm not really thinking too much about what makes this Metroid. A few hours into the game, I figure out where I need to go, and I'm looking at my map, and I realize I've been doing this a lot lately. I've just been stopping and looking at the map and figuring out what my course is going to be. Holy shit, I'm playing Metroid. I didn't realize it up until this point, but I've been playing Metroid this whole time. I'm playing this like I played Super Metroid, except I'm doing it in 3D, and it works. And the atmosphere is amazing, and the graphics are amazing, and the controls, for as weird as they were, they fucking worked. And I'm playing Metroid in 3D, and that's nuts. But it was Wind Waker was was even more of a, a, a hit to me, because... 
the whole time I'm looking at it, it's like, this looks like fucking Looney Tunes. And then um, our Nintendo rep brought the demo disc into my Toys R Us. I was working at Toys R Us at the time. Pop that sucker in the interactive, and I start playing it. And seconds in, I'm like, I'm not playing Looney Tunes. I'm playing Samurai Jack. This, this uh, is incredible. Yeah. This is incredible. I'd never seen cell shading look anywhere near that good before since Jet Set Radio on the Dreamcast. And even then, this was really taking that shit to the next level. Link was not wearing his green clothes in the beginning. Link was a person, just in a regular outfit. He had a sister and he was concerned for his sister when the sister got taken away by the bird. And oh my god, it's the best depiction of Ganon in any game ever. It's the best depiction of that character. He's got an actual motivation. And God, the, the way that world works, the way that every single island has a has a purpose, and there's something on it. I will sit and just chart the whole game. Every time I play through it, I will chart the entire game. I will go through, I'll get as, buy as many baits as I can from Beetle, I'll feed every fish, and I'll chart every spot. And then I'll explore every single little tiny island, and the way the music stops, the way it picks up, it's so intelligently put together the way the 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 game freezes for a split second when you connect with your sword giving every single one of those sword hits this extra feeling of importance and gravity because every single time you connect it's not just swing hit it's this brief half a second freeze that really accentuates you just made contact and it's these little tiny details that that game is so chock full of. And I know that people complain about the, the the sailing, that the sailing is boring, which I can understand that. I didn't say it's the best Zelda game. It's my favorite because, because that stuff, that stuff means more to me. I, I love kicking back that sail and just spinning the camera around, watching the seagulls, watching the clouds take different formations, watching when it starts raining, like... The weather system exists in that game, and it's so interesting to watch, and the whole thing is beautiful. I didn't see the whole Tetra thing coming. That Tetra is Zelda? That was just like... That, that Spoilers, hit me as man. hard as Sheik being Zelda. Damn. I'm sorry for the people who've never played Wind Waker, but... I didn't. I I didn't see that shit coming. And when you get to that part, that that's the that's the real game changer. You get to the part in the middle of the game where you go down and you go to the Hyrule from Ocarina of Time, and you walk into the room and there's all this stained glass that are all the sages from Ocarina of Time. And then the King of Hyrule grabs uh, Tetra's necklace and the the piece of the Triforce, and it spins around. And it plays the intro music to the Legend of Zelda: Link to the Past when the Triforce is coming together. And I'm like, ah. Oh! And it makes the Triforce, and you turn around, and Tetra's Princess Zelda, and I'm like, she didn't know that shit. I didn't know that shit. That was amazing. <laughs> and then when you get to the last boss fight, even more so than in Ocarina of Time, when Zelda's like, she helps you, but she's still like, ah, in the background, you know? No, Tetra's in there with a bow and arrow. You have to fight Ganon together. Ganondorf, who has absolutely no, no problems beating the shit out of a 10-year-old child... <laughs> Because that's what you get to that fight, and he just starts punching the shit out of you, and you're like up to his shin. You're a fucking child, and he's just beating you mercilessly. And then you got to fight him, and then you stab him in the face, and then yes, I, that's that the, game's incredible. That part to me was like I, I I ended up not playing it till the remaster on the Wii U, but uh, which is which is awesome. Great way to play that. Yes, game. great way to play it. I, I had missed it because I'd never had a GameCube. Um. But that was almost like the game 
was so charming, but then the ending, you just shove your sword in his face and his head. I was like, damn! <laughs> Woo! I remember it's going it. down. I did this take. I almost dropped the controls. Like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. It, it, but I like, was so disillusioned with that game to begin with. I hated the concept of that game. I hated the concept of Metroid Prime, and I hated the concept of Mario uh, Sunshine. And I wound up adoring those three games so goddamn much, and that was the point where I decided to always trust Nintendo. They're not always going to get it right, but I will never be able to predict when they are, and I'll never be able to predict... like. I could never have predicted that I would like Breath of the Wild as much as I did because I don't like open world games. And I played that game for hundreds of hours. I, I couldn't believe how much I liked that game. And yeah, like I, it, I, I never thought that they'd... If, okay. if you want to hear two guys be super wrong about Nintendo, you should go back and listen to our episode <laughs> we did after the first Nintendo Switch trailer, that like three minute trailer that came out. Chris and I went off for like three and a half hours and like put out a two part episode of like, what the fuck is wrong with Nintendo? What a piece of shit about what the Switch well, was going to be. To be fair, and I was, my I, goodness, uh, my, were we wrong? My piece of, con- my point of contention, and it very much could have went this way because if, it, depending on which game was the bigger success, it could have gone the opposite direction. I was pissed about 1 2 Switch because I thought that was the exact wrong thing to do with that uh-huh. system at the time because they were trying to distance themselves from that shit. We had become a toxic brand. And that kind of gaming had become a bad situation to be in. And there they were tripling down on it after the Wii U being like, nah, one, two switch. Here we go. But then Breath of the Wild took over the world and Nintendo didn't keep following up on one, two switch. Instead, they went fucking crazy and wind up making stuff like Labo and Ring Fit Adventure, which is why switch is quickly, quickly approaching replacing the Super NES as my favorite game system ever because. And I never thought I'd say it, but number one, you can play most of the best Super Nintendo games <laughs> on the Switch. That's fair. So that helps. But also, the the time I've spent with this system has been unbelievably rewarding to me. I haven't enjoyed video games this much since the Super Nintendo. And when I think to the, the amount of fun I had with Breath of the Wild, the amount of fun I had with Mario Odyssey, the amount of hours I've already put into Animal Crossing New Horizons, when I think about all that kind of stuff and discovering games like Celeste, like The Messenger, Horizon Chase Turbo, that fill me with all this incredible nostalgic joy of like, this is what the games that you love have evolved into without being these big AAA releases, because I barely even play any of the big AAA releases anymore. I am all about these, these smaller indie game experiences and the first, the first and third party stuff that really gets pushed out on the switch. You know, like I never would have been able to play through Doom doom 2016 had it not been released on the switch because i just don't have the time to dedicate to sitting in front of this specific tv where where this specific console is especially for a game that i can't play in front of my kids but then they put doom on the switch and i love doom i love the original doom and doom 2 and they put those fucking games on the switch too which also makes it amazing (laughs) but when they put Doom 2016 on Switch, I could play it everywhere. I took it with me to work. I'd take uh, my lunch break out in my car and just start playing Doom. I'd play it in the bathroom. And that game is incredible. And I got to play through that because it was released on the Switch. So that that's kind of where... That's that big tangent. Sorry. 
can't well, it's actually it's a good it's tangent because I, my last question after Dan uh, finishes his PS2 GameCube era was, "What are you playing recently?" And you just answered, you just answered that question. Yeah, so, there it is. I'm yeah. playing Switch. Uh, you played Switch, Animal Crossing, Mario Maker. If, uh, before we yeah, get to Dan on the last Rift. one on for indie games on the Switch, I'm a, I play probably more indie games and retro games than I do AAA. Before Ghost of Tsushima, that's pretty much I didn't play anything AAA. Have you played Katana Zero? On the oh yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> that game is so fucking cool, yes. and there needs to be a sequel. I need to know what happens. Yes, that to me, I played it on Switch. Um, is my favorite indie game of all time. I could not believe that game's how good that game was. Oh, fucking amazing that game. Yeah, I t- there's new Blaster Master games on the Switch. They made new good Blaster Masters. Zero and Zero Two are so good. <laughs> Bloodstained, Bloodstained Curse of the Moon. Yes. Like Bloodstained Curse of the Night. Damn solid game. Yes. A big hit tip of the hat, but Curse of the Moon, man. That thing is fucking cool. That is good. Did you play Bomb Chicken? Fucking Bomb Chicken. I love it. <laughs> there's so many good games on the Switch. It's it's out of this world, and it's they're making new games for me. And even the new big stuff, the weird experimental stuff, like I fucking loved ARMS. ARMS was great, right? That kind of stuff that keeps coming at me, like these new kinds of games that couldn't have been done on older systems that aren't like the big system sellers, they are the big system sellers to me. And the fact that I can play them anywhere on any spot in my house, or if I go on vacation or in the fucking bathroom or wherever, I can play these games wherever I need to play them. That 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 system has given me back the ability to play games as much as I want to. And by extermination force, right? By minute, there's so many of these great little games that are on the Switch, and they're also on other platforms. Buy them there too. But seriously, like this system speaks to what I like about games more than anything has in decades, and I freaking love it. There you have it. Go buy Switches <laughs> or be bitches. Uh, Dan, PS2, GameCube, kind of Xbox. What sticks out to you? During that time, yeah. So, like, I I've had, um, I've had basically everything up until this current generation. Um, like, I had a PS2, I had a GameCube. I mostly got my GameCube, um, originally because of the Game Boy Player, because I fucking adore the Game Boy Advance. Um, mostly because that was like where I could continue to play the Castlevania games that I wanted to play. Oh my god, they're so good! And like shit, like Golden Sun. And whatnot, I was like, fuck, I can now play, I can play this on my TV, fuck, I gotta get a GameCube. But then, like, shit on the GameCube, like, Beautiful Joe and Skies of Arcadia, like, those games came out, and I was, I was fucking obsessed with those. But for the most part, like, I, I, I was and still am a Sony kid, right? And there was, there was so much that came out on the PS2 that just, I, I mean, from, from, top to bottom that system has a variety and a depth of of gameplay experiences from the weird shit like we were talking about you know like Parappa the Rapper and Intelligent Cube on the PlayStation 1 and then you get so much weirder when you hit the PlayStation 2 shit like Katamari Damacy and Mr. Mosquito and Guitarou Man <laughs> and like all these just fucking weird ass games that are super cool but then you have not as weird as Odama as, you're right not as weird as Odama <laughs> But, like, then you have the big, you know, the big budget franchises, the big AAA things that came out. Um, Sony continuing to build those those sort of legacy brands 
on the PS2 of introducing Ratchet and Clank. Um, you know, that game got me back into like mascot platformers, you know, and Jack and Daxter, and then eventually God of War comes out. And then, like I said earlier, God of War is one of those watershed moments where video games are different after this game happened, you know, and the, just the way God of War came out, um, just really, really blew me away. But then there were those more like uh, ethereal experiences like Ico and Shadow of the Colossus, which Shadow of the Colossus is one of my favorite games of all time. And I'm, I'm so happy to have finally been able to play the, a game that actually works because it just does not work <laughs> on the PS2. Like the, the, what they were trying to do was simply not achievable at the time, but the, the idea behind Shadow of the Colossus is just this hauntingly beautiful game and the storytelling that is done without with with barely any communication it's just the visuals and and it's so incredibly well designed like all of that shit just blew me away you know and and then going over to play things on the xbox like i had an xbox because i worked at a video game store so it was like all right well i have to have all the systems so i can play all the games and i ended up playing stuff on the xbox that I only bought it because it was the cheapest version, you know, there like Psychonauts, which is another one of my very favorite games of all time. I played the Xbox version because it was five. I worked at a game crazy and we had it for like five bucks. So, all right, I'll give this a shot and ended up being, you know, just completely blown away by the, that experience as well. And just all of the immersion that we were able to feel in that era of gaming, which has really continued on until today. And that that's what I, what I think one of the most interesting things is, is that we don't have that generational leap like we did from 8-bit to 16-bit or 16-bit to 32-64-bit, right? The jump from the PlayStation 2 to the PlayStation 3 is a decent jump, right? Like graphical fidelity and, and all of that. There, there is a big jump there, but I would argue that the jump is not as big as what we experienced when we were kids. So now as, you know, adults playing these things, it's where, where can I go and get all of these different experiences, you know, and as much as I love Katamari Damacy is as much as I love Devil May Cry, you know, so PlayStation was really the like, fuck, I'm just, I'm locked into this system here. I'm going to dabble in the GameCube. I'm going to dabble in the Xbox. But this is really where I'm going to, you know, focus most of my time. And then once once the PlayStation 3 hit, it was like, all right, Jesus Christ, like, the, I can go back and play all these indie games now and just download shit. And, and you know, you, you guys like Katana Zero is your favorite indie game. My favorite indie game of all time is Guacamelee. I fucking love that game. Like that, that game, as much as Ghost of Tsushima is a game that like, if they made a game for, like if they opened up my head and poured out a game, it would be Ghost of Tsushima or it would be Guacamelee. Like those two things are just me in video games. So like going through and be able to play that, but also getting to play things like Uncharted and just these, these adventure storytelling masterpieces that have come out have just, I, I mean, they just, they put me on my ass. You know what I mean? Like, you play through that original, the opening sequence of Uncharted 2 
or the opening sequence of God of War 3. Like that, that, that shit just, it just puts me on the fucking floor and I have to, I have to stop and wait for a minute before I go back and play it. Cause there are these experiences that are just absolutely, um, just incredible. And you know, the, the game that has made me feel the most that way since has been death stranding was one and ghosts of, uh, ghosts of Tsushima as well. Um, those games really like as far as what I'm playing now. I I do have a Switch and I I play a decent amount on there. Like War Groove is absolutely dude. Like if you haven't played War Groove, but you were a fan of Advance Wars back in the day, like War Groove is Advance Wars with fucking knights. It's awesome, <laughs> dude. Like I love it, you know. But the bulk of my time is spent on shit like Ghost of Tsushima now or the indie games that are coming up, like. On, on PlayStation 4, like Chris was saying, like, the Bloodstained Curse of the Moon that came out, or um, uh, Jamestown Plus was the shooter that came out on, on PlayStation 4, like a shmup that was really, really cool. Hollow Knight, dude, Hollow Knight is, oh my god, that fucking game is, uh, it, it just, it blows me away. It absolutely blows me away. Even with the shitty map system, that game is uh, astonishing. And like we we've just had such an interesting journey, I think, from from where we started playing games as little kids to where we are now and these experiences that we can have. Like I don't we're we're going pretty long, so I don't want to go too much deeper into it, but like damn, like everything Chris said about the way that he feels about Metroid and the Legend of Zelda, like that is that's how I feel playing through, you know, playing through God of War the first time was just like this unbelievable experience. I can't believe this kind of shit is happening. Awesome. Okay, I'm gonna I'm, um I'm gonna ask you guys a couple like rapid fire questions. Mm-hmm. And then um it. I wanna talk Shh. well actually let's do this first. Have you guys played The Last of Us Two? I have not. I have not either. <sighs> I, it's not my not my jam. Plumber town. Well nothing but res- no, nothing but respect, but I don't, I don't need that in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say this. It is a masterpiece in the sense of no game has made me feel more emotions. My only issue is with most of those emotions were not positive emotions. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a heavy ass game. That's how I feel about Pac-Man too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let's do some rapid fire questions. I'm just going to ask you guys like you just got to name a game and then uh you guys, right. uh, plug your plug your shit again at the end of the podcast and we'll wrap it up. We'll start with Chris. Favorite, well, we kind of already talked about it. Favorite video game soundtrack? Favorite video game soundtrack? Probably Chrono Trigger. Okay. But if I had to pick like a set, a runner up, maybe Mega Man 3. Mega Man 3, that's a good one. Dave, or Dan, excuse me. Uh, Mega Man 2. Mega Man 2. Yes. Ooh. I'm, I'm a Mega Man out 2 of, whore. Out of those two, I'm, I don't know what's one better. I'm more familiar with Mega Man 2 than I am 3. It's um, a better game. It's a better game. <laughs> and it's okay you, that's okay you're wrong <laughs> alright uh, it's okay if you guys disagree with my opinions it's because you're wrong too I get it um, be- favorite uh, story Chris in a video game video game story yeah like narrative best narrative game in your opinion either Chrono Trigger or The Secret of Monkey Island ooh no one's brought up Monkey Island that is a good one that's a good one. 
Uh, I mean, it's comedy, but it's so good. It is good. I played the like the whatever like remastered HD version that was the special edition on Steam. On a, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had that on my very first PC, and I I, I loved the crap out of it. And then yeah, that remastered version was great. Cause you, you do the Wonder Boy trick where you can switch back and forth. Yes, you can switch back and forth. It's awesome. They had that with the new Command and Conquer remaster. You can switch back and forth with spacebar. I like that feature. <laughs> That's cool. I didn't know that. Yep. Uh, you, what's what's your favorite uh, video game story or narrative? I should say, Shadow of the Colossus. Ooh, yeah, you kind of brought that up. And you did you say you? I remember you mentioning like I'm glad I could finally play it where it was where it was functional. Are you talking about the remaster? Yeah the the remaster that came out on PS4 is is the best way to play that. Like the the thing about that game that um that I find so incredible is that with without any dialogue. It takes you through the story of 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 putting you into this world and you're out there and you're you're it plays on that video game trope of like you're the hero and you're supposed to save the princess, right? And so the voice in the world tells you to go out and kill these monsters, and you do, and you go out and you kill the first monster and you're like, Oh my god, what a fucking cool thing. I'm climbing up on his fur and this is so cool and I'm stabbing this thing in a fucking head. This is badass. But then as you're going through the game it naturally leads you to question yourself as you're playing of, am I doing the right thing, right? Like without any dialogue, you start to feel as if you might not be the hero, you might actually be the villain of the story. And then when the revelation comes at the end of the game and you're just like, fuck, this game took all of the traditional tropes of video gaming and turned them on their heads and made me question things with barely any dialogue with just emotional storytelling in the character's eyes i have never seen anything like that and it is fucking brilliant the world was also really well fleshed out that's a game there's many games that i've done this but when i beat it i immediately went to the internet and started reading more about because i was so engrossed and and like realizing how it connected to ico and realizing all like how deep the lore what the guy like in the ceiling the god that talks to you and like the people that are chasing you in the village that you're from and how that that's all there if you're paying i just wasn't like aware enough to to pick up all those finite nuanced details but but then i go to the internet i'm like oh yeah that they do have that in the background in this scene and there's this scene that shows this and that everything is there If, if you're paying attention everything's there to really flesh it all out you just gotta pay attention yeah, it, it is a game that re, that rewards that sort of thoughtful, intentional playthrough as opposed to just like, I'm going to go kill the big fucking thing. Like, that's so not the point of that game. I got to change my answer because you, you just reminded me of all you've reminded me of conversations we've had about this previously. And my, I, I can't believe I didn't think about this off the top of my head. I, it's a it's a tie between Super Metroid and Portal. Are my two favorite video games. I, w- I was really surprised you didn't mention Portal. I yeah, it's I just totally slipped my mind until you started talking Shadow of the Colossus, and then I remembered our our, our previous conversations. Like fuck, Portal and Super Metroid are are my two perfect examples of video game narrative. And again, Super Metroid because it tells the story without telling the story. Like you play the story, and that whole shit at the end with the baby Metroid showing up and like. How did I know that's what that was? I th- it could have just been giant Monster Metroid, but it, the game spoke to me, and it was amazing. And Portal, awesome. Just, Portal is perfect. <laughs> yeah, Portal is... That, uh, yeah, it's, 
Most people don't bring it up, but it's also like this is huge cult classic, and I played it much later um, because of all the hype. And then I think it took about an hour before it. I'm like, okay, I get it. This is some next level shit. It really. Like, this uh, is. It, it is yeah. one of the very few games where no matter how hyped up that game gets, if you've never played it, it absolutely delivers. That just does. It's, it just it's does. Stunning. It's amazing. It makes you feel smart. Like, I'm yeah. a goddamn genius. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, favorite. Back to you, Chris. Favorite video game. I try to change these up. Off the top of my, favorite video game weapon. What's the coolest weapon? Coolest? Or just favorite, Grappling I guess. beam. Super Metroid grappling beam. That's a good one. No one's brought that up before. It's 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 not like the best weapon. It can be used as a weapon, and like it's woefully outdated the second you get the gravity jump. But it's such a cool thing. I'm shooting a laser and I'm swinging from it, and it's amazing in Super Metroid. But then in the beginning of Metroid Prime, when you get to use it, yeah, <laughs> nice. That's a good one. Because like I would say the screw attack. But I don't know if that's a weapon or an ability. So I'm going with that works. Beam. I could say, you know what? You could add ability to it as well. Uh, if we're adding abilities, then yeah, screw attack. Screw attack is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> Doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, you're just going to. Sp- How is she not vomiting everywhere? Who cares? It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, what, what, are, the, what are the G forces she's experiencing? But it's so cool. And then for you? Yeah. Uh, mine is a tie. Which I know is a cheat and is a lame thing to do, but it is a tie between the two by four and Splatterhouse. <laughs> That's just fucking awesome, and the uh, the Blades of Chaos in God of War. Like I, I don't know that oh, I've ever answer. felt any more of a visceral connection playing a game of just like this is fucking amazing. Fuck Jesus Christ! Like, <laughs> oh my god, fucking love it, dude. When you get the Blades of Chaos in the new God of War on oh, PS4, oh, oh boy, that was. Like, cause you realize, cause I played all the, I was a big fan of God of War. I played all of them, played the ones on PS3. I didn't play the, the final one on PS3. I forget what it's called, but I did play like the PSP Chains of Olympus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but when you're like, when you realize what's happening, because you, you need to go to the, the freezing cold hell world and they're like, nothing, nothing will work. And you're like, wait a minute. Is he gonna? And then you get on the boat and you start, you see Athena and she appears to you and she's talking shit and calling you a, monster whatever and you're like oh my god he has him somewhere he has him and then you pull him out of the ground and then she what was the line that she says she's like you'll always be a monster and he says but i'll never be your monster again oh it was so and fucking he, and dope he, and he Dude, takes the blaze and that, walks out the like, door have you ever uh, in fucking rocky four when apollo's manager grabs paulie's head as they're fighting and he shakes his head back and forth this might be way too much of an East Coast reference. I don't know how popular Rocky is everywhere else. But he fucking grabs his head and starts shaking it back and forth because he's so excited. That is what I did to my wife as we were sitting on the couch playing God of War. Like, we got to that part. I was just like, oh my god, I'm gonna fucking get the blades can't. Like, could you get off me? Yeah, that, that was, uh, yeah. I think that would put the Blades of Chaos pretty high for me. Previously, they would have been high, but having them come back in that fashion and the way they pulled it off in God of War on the PS4 would definitely it, be up there. And it worked with the new fucking camera angle. Like, that was the thing I was really worried about. Like, man, I don't know how this is going to feel like with this new perfect. over-the-shoulder camera, but oh, yeah. god damn it, does it work? 
Yeah, it felt perfect. Back to you, Chris. What's your favorite, um, like singular video game character? Pit. It's funny. My my kid just asked me this same question earlier tonight. Uh, Pit from Kid Icarus. He's my oh. favorite video game character. Interesting, because you haven't really talked about Kid Icarus at all. I, I mean, Kid Icarus uh, for NES. Really, just um, that that game was a. Uh, I'm trying to think of the words for it. I was I was always mystified by it because I never had it. I always wanted it, but I saw pictures of it. I have this uh, Nintendo game, cal- the Power Game calendar that had a Kid Icarus month. I just always thought it looked like such a neat game, but I you know, I never had it. Never, never had it at the rental store, so I never my friends ever had it. So I didn't get to play it till I was older, and I was totally enthralled with it. I loved the sequel for Game Boy, and then it went away forever. And then Kid Icarus Uprising came out on 3DS. We didn't really talk about handhelds much, which is really why it didn't come up a lot, but Kid Icarus Uprising was incredible, and I just love that character, because he's he's goofy, he's got a great sense of humor, but the whole premise behind the character is that he's an angel whose wings don't work, but he's brave. You know, he's just like, well, I'm gonna just jump then, and I will <laughs> I will save the goddess Palutena, and I'll I'll free all the rest of the Centaurians, and they can help me out in defeating Medusa. But his wings don't fucking work. They do nothing in the original game, and they barely make him float in the second one. And in the third one, he can only use them to fly when Palutena is giving him the ability for five minutes at a time. I just think he's a great character, and he's so well fleshed out. In Kid Icarus Uprising, if you've never played that game, I it's it's such. It is the production values in that game are insane, and it's made by um, Sakurai from Sma- you know the Smash Brothers guy. So you know oh, that how? it's got Laboratory? Way, way more-, more content than it needs. <laughs> <laughs> but it's um, it's it's probably my favorite 3DS game, and the 3DS has such an insanely good library, just out of this world good library on 3DS. But it's such an original game that calls back to the uh, original Kid Icarus so many times, but it plays like almost nothing. The 3D action stages play like nothing else. The 3D flight stages play like Panzer Dragoon or Sin and Punishment, which is, I fucking love those games, like Star Fox. And the whole time, there's all this conversation going, and it's never so, it's never distracting. It just works. It's such a goddamn good game, and everyone should play it. And yeah, Pitt's definitely my favorite character. That's uh, I don't really know much about him. I like the I don't know anything about him other than I play him in Smash sometimes. I did not know he was <laughs> a fallen like an angel that wings didn't work. It's a cool concept. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's he's the general of Palutena's army, but his wings don't do anything until she does it. Uh, but if you want to get some more characterization from Pitt, there's a whole thing in Smash Brothers similar to the Codec conversations uh, in Smash Ultimate where you can. Go on a stage. I don't remember exactly what you have to do, but you can get into these conversations for every single character in the game where Pitt talks to Palutena and various other characters from Kid Icarus Uprising about every character in the game. Sweet. Uh, Danny? Mega Man. Individual. Mega, Man. Mega Man. That's a good one. Yeah. I, thought, it, I actually it's thought it's an obvious answer, that. but. Yeah. I fucking love Mega Man. It's just. Do you like Mega, old school great. Mega Man more or Mega Man X more? Uh, old school Mega uh, Man. Old- I like Mega Man X. But um, I really, really hate Mega Man X 2. So that kind of sours me on the whole Mega Man X thing. But the original Mega Man is just such a... Uh, man, I just thought it was such a cool character. And like, and part of it, too, I think, is because the, uh, the original Worlds of Power books that came out, which, quick sidebar, if anybody remembers the, the Nintendo Worlds of Power books, 
on the geekade.com website. We thought it would be a really good idea to do audiobook versions of those books. So, like, there were these really shitty novelizations of NES games that came out, like, in the late 80s and early 90s. And, like, I read the Metal Gear book. Um, Chris read uh, fucking Mega Man 2. Blaster Master, Mega Man 2. Yeah. I know. I feel like I did another uh, we, one, We too. did basically all of the fucking Worlds of Power books, and you should go listen to them because they're terrible. Um, but like, there was a lot of characters, characterization in that. And I was like, I really know this character and I really connect with this character and I just fucking love Mega Man to this day. Awesome. Chris, a couple more and then we'll wrap up. What is the single most emotional moment you've had gaming, whether it's a game, a, a certain, like a social playing with somebody, friends, like the most. Yeah, like the most po- or it can be even negative emotion too, but the most emotional moment you've had gaming. That is difficult to answer. Um uh I have the moment Mother Brain kills the baby Metroid. Um that wrecked me. <laughs> <laughs> that I I was I was fucking angry. I couldn't believe that whole segment, that entire ending sequence to uh Super Metroid. Um I don't know if I would put it above or below, but the opening sequence in Wind Waker when they're delving into the history, uh and it's got that really cool like harpsichord music, really like kind of like a chamber orchestra almost sounding stuff going on and then and then when um they mention Link for the first time and this gorgeous violin start or his violin or fiddle, but it starts playing the Legend of Zelda theme through the intro. And even now I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Uh, is every single time I watch it, I just get all teary eyed, uh, just misty eyed from that, that one moment when that kicks in. Just I can't, I can't take it. Um, or uh, sort of an exterior moment. Uh, obviously, my mom wearing the Mario sixty four shirt's pretty high up there, but um, playing through. No, not even playing through. Uh, within the first hour of my son being born, when they give him back to me, uh, where we used to be back in the room, my wife had him for a little bit. Then it was my turn to hold him and hang on to him. I sat in this chair. I put him on my chest. I pulled out my three DS. And I played the original Legend of Zelda from the from the beginning, so that he could hear that music and hear those sound effects. <laughs> and that, that that was that that was pretty much it for me. We we sent him. We, he came home in a Link outfit that I had. Uh, so I, somebody pointed it out. We bought it off Etsy or something, and it's just like a little uh, a little Link outfit for for an, in a newborn. And we dressed him up as that for his first big adventure, which is coming home. Uh, with us, but playing the, that that music for him, that title screen music being the first music he heard in his life was so important to me, and uh, that clearly had an effect because he hasn't stopped listening <laughs> to that shit since. <laughs> Dan, that's a good one. Anything with kids gets me a little, gets me a little. That's a that's a good one, man. It's a really good one. Yeah, that Danny, that is really good. Like for me, it's for me, either it's um either, either the the Kefka fight, Kefka fight in and, in Final Fantasy three. Like that, it's it's just one of the most effective sequences of 
it's just just absolutely brilliant. You keep going like screen after screen, like, oh my God. Like you keep, you move up and you move up and you move up and then you finally get to his like final angel form and there's like the sun behind him. It's yeah, it's epic as shit. It's just just epic and stunning. And like, it's like, oh my God, this is just incredible. Um, Or the other, the other experience would be uh, playing through Hollow Knight uh, with my kids. For some reason, that game really affected them. And whenever I was playing through it, like they, it just, they got very quiet and very introspective and like really questioned, you know, it, it somehow the playing through the worlds of that game led to these conversations about how people and systems interact within the world and, you know, differences of like, what happens when we abuse one system versus another or abuse people versus another or take advantage of things or why are, why are things structured the way that they are? And, you know, talk like conversations about justice and all of this really interesting shit that is not necessarily like, that's not really the message of hollow Knight, but that is what my kids got from it. So having these really mature conversations with them that came from this game that affected them in a way that I was not expecting was a really interesting um, experience. Damn. That's also a really good one. I can see that my, my kids are a little bit younger. They're three, uh, me four and five now. Mm-hmm. Um, my five-year-old, that's like the only game I can get her to pay attention to is Hollow Knight. Yeah. yeah. It, it's it, a, it hits with kids, yeah. man. It's a weird yeah. thing. I got to try it again with, with, with John then. Cause my my kids are three and six, so pretty close. Yeah, yeah. They're uh, the 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 problem is they still like the motor function of and holding the. I, I have like the regular Switch Joy-Con where you put it right. in like the whatever. Like their hands mm-hmm. can't reach it. And I've tried. I hooked up like an old Super Nintendo with the HDMI converter. I have like a hand like one of the only things I still have left over from my collection. Um, and the reason I sw- was sweating you about Sui Coden is I have the <laughs> world's greatest. PlayStation. I had a, almost. I had like probably like six or seven hundred PlayStation games, J- wow. uh, JRPG, wow. everything, and I sold them all when I needed some money. And it's like I still feel sick when I think about it. So, <laughs> and I had I had two <laughs> copies. I had Sui Coden two, like original Black Box and a Greatest Hit. Yeah, that's I had. One. I just sold the Black Box one. Ooh, I know, I know. <sighs> it hurts. It hurts. It I hurts know. inside. But you should try Hollow Knight. Yeah, it's uh, my kid. Just for whatever reason, she doesn't. So just play the same spot over and over again. And it, that game does have a very. What's the tone? Is very yeah. It's reflective and yeah. introspective. Yeah. Yes. yeah, it is a really yes. introspective and reflective game. It's uh, it's fucking. Uh, I love it to the piece. It's one of the best Metroidvanias. We were talking about oh Symphony of the Night and old school games. People bitch about Metroidvanias and how many indie games are Metroidvanias. I say, bring them. I'll play another thousand yep. Metroidvanias. Yep. I don't care how many they Pile make. Pile on more of those. Please yeah. do. Yes, bring them on. Please do. Bring them on. Bring them on. Sweet. Well, let's have you guys each. Chris, you can go first. Danny, second. Uh, again, tell people what podcast you're involved in, where you write for, where they can find you on social media, Instagram, all that stuff. Plug each one of you, and then we'll wrap it up. 
All right, I am Chris Randazzo. I am the co-host of this Stone Age Gamer podcast from StoneAgeGamer.com and Geekade.com. I also write a regular blog called The Gratuitous Rainbow Spectrum, which I still don't know why it's called that, but it sounds <laughs> neat. Uh, that is also on StoneAgeGamer.com. New posts go up every Wednesday if you just want to hear me ramble about video game stuff uh, all the time. I am the host of the Waveback Music Podcast, where I nerd out about video game music, which I have a deep and unreasonable love for, uh, which is a lot of fun. I can be heard on the This Week's Episode podcast from geekade.com, where we talk about TV shows, which is a lot of fun. And you can read my physical writing in the physical magazine which you should totally buy like and subscribe to it's called nintendo force or nf magazine uh you get free posters in every issue and the next issue is going to be super mario uh anniversary themed and the the full-size poster that's going to be in there uh on the back of it is going to be the original famicom artwork for super mario brothers that's been up and it looks unfathomably gorgeous so do it <laughs> sign up for this magazine it is it's it's so good uh, it's it's a really good time and i'm incredibly proud of it i can be found on twitter at geekade chris that's geekade k-r-i-s uh and i think that's about it for me oh i forgot to mention i bought that book while we were talking on amazon the other one the video game phoenix four or whatever oh nice oh yeah very excellent good good call so um, you will not be disappointed it is dense it is a dense read, but man, you will know all sorts of stuff about video game history. And Leonard Herman is a—he has done his research. He's been around, and he knows his stuff. I'll give you a, a shout out when I find something I like. I'll be like, "Chris is the one. He's the prophet for this one." <laughs> I—I was—it's hilarious. That edition of the book, I think, has a quote from me in like when we're talking about like a pull quote talking about how good the book is. Because before I met Lenny, uh, I. I reviewed his book for the examiner and I found out like when he was doing a new edition of his book, he had found me on Facebook and tagged me in a post about it. And I was like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> you know me? I, so I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. Uh, and there, then I, I, we've, we've, we've hung out a couple of times. He's a super cool guy. And uh, we had him on the podcast once or twice. He's really fascinating to talk to, but uh, so that's awesome. I'm so glad you bought his book. It's a really good one. Perfect. Danny, you're up. Alright, uh, so I can be found at Dan on Twitter and Instagram um, where most of my posts are bullshit about baseball cards or wrestling or beer. So uh, if, if those are things you're interested in, uh, you know, please uh, throw a follow that way. Uh, co-hosting the Stone Age Gamer podcast with Mr. Chris Randazzo uh, every week fucking by hook or by crook, we get a new episode out. And uh, knock on wood, we it has been the two of us consistently for uh, for quite a while now. So we we make sure we get that out every week for everybody. I will also be co-hosting the Paper Cuts podcast uh, once a month on geekade.com talking about uh, comic books, like what what me and uh, the co- my co-host Evan have been reading, and then talking about a feature book. So if anybody wants to uh, listens to this and wants to subscribe and hear two guys uh, talk about comic books, the, the feature book that we'll be talking about for the first episode is All-Star Superman. It's a really incredible Superman book, uh, so we'll jump into that if you want to read along. And then eventually, uh, if I ever finish school, which at this point doesn't seem like it's ever going to happen, 
But if I ever do, I'll go back to writing about kung fu and wrestling and beer and video games and all of those things. But you can uh, you can follow on Twitter and Instagram for updates on that. Is there anywhere where we can find what episodes you did do for alcohol and games that go together? Is that up anywhere? That is it, it is all on geekade.com under bits and brews. Um, it, I sent you a link in the uh, in the chat for it. Actually, it should be in our chat within this Google program, Google Meet. There's a link for it right there. Yep there there's a bunch of uh, a bunch of pairings of craft beer and video games. Um, you know what? How does the Legend of Zelda? You know what video game does that or what beer does that pair with? What beer does? Uh, fuck, I cave stories on there. Street Fighter Two. Like I tried to go through and and do a bunch of shit. There's a bunch of indie games on there, um, and it was a pretty interesting series that I would I would love to get back to one day when I actually have some time to to really think about it because it it's a good idea but it's really hard to do. It's a fucking great idea. Like that's I, I you have Toe Jam and Earl, and I'm like hmm, I'm gonna go buy these beers and I'm gonna <laughs> play Toe Jam and Earl, and I'm gonna play it. I'm gonna do a video and I'll give you a shout out because I love. I love the idea. Awesome, um, man. 